three months later. There's a rap party at the end of season three. It's another posh London club and Crowley goes because he has to and ignores the canapes again and holds up the bar. He's drinking bourbon this time, straight, but he's as antisocial as always. And there's a restless energy beneath his skin tonight that isn't rooted in anxiety, that isn't tangled up in judgment or shame like a snarl of green yarn. Tonight he's restless for an entirely different reason. Doing yourself. Anathema appears beside him, nearly giving him a heart attack. Fuck's sake, Crowley manages when he can speak again. Going to have to put a bell on you. Lost in thought, were we? Bold of you to assume I have thoughts. My mistake. But I can't say you don't look lost. She gives him a once-over and then finishes her glass of wine. Why is that? Curly stops scanning the crowd for a silver rehead of hair while pretending that he isn't. I see they hired the same DJ. Classics. Why mess with perfection, eh? I think he's Michael's cousin, nephew, some sort of family member. Fucking figures. Teenage Wasteland by The Who is blasting through the speakers, so loud it's approaching distortion. Crowley can feel the bass in his teeth, and he gnashes them together. You want to dance? Anathema asks. Clearly the wine is affecting her memory and judgment. Don't look at me like that. It was worth a try. Why do you bother when you know what I'm going to say? Maybe I just like talking to you. This gives me an excuse. Well, that's a bloody lie. Yeah, probably. You're not that interesting. She touches his shoulder more gently than Crowley expected. Where's your friend tonight? Which one? I have so many, they all run together. When Anathema says nothing, Crowley gives up the ghost of his dignity. Be gone, Shade. Go haunt some other bastard. Dunno, we're around here somewhere. Why, are you that set on dancing? Somebody to Love by Queen starts playing, a simple piano line that feels like fingers tightening around Crowley's throat. He might be cool and disaffected and all that good stuff, but this is still a bloody great song. It resonates. Shut up. Don't look at him for a minute. Maybe, Anathema raises an eyebrow, unless you've changed your mind. Not likely. Well, I'll see if I can track him down. Best of luck with that, Crowley snorts. Somewhere around the food, I'd imagine. He watches her walk away and thinks about tomorrow. Thinks about tonight. He should have had his laundry sent off a few days ago. What does he even have that's halfway decent and also clean? Not that it really matters. He's not going to need a suit or anything. He doesn't want to look a complete pillock, no matter where they are. And he's pretty sure the has-been rock star look isn't the one he should lead with. Not that Az hasn't grown used to it by now. Not that he... Not dancing, then. Az walks quietly up beside him, hands folding and unfolding. Anathema is still looking for a partner. For some reason, the sudden presence of Avery isn't as startling as Anathema's was. Sometimes Crowley thinks he feels the other man before he sees him, like a sudden change in temperature, a warmth where there used to be a metallic ice of air conditioning, a quiet where there used to be intermittent static or white noise or traffic. You turned her down, he asks, when he can stop looking at Az's interlocked fingers. Yes, regrettably. I suggested she try 
What's his name? Newton, the new chap. He's been tearing napkins apart all evening. He needs something better to do with his hands. Avery's tone is intentionally light, but Crowley can hear all the fault lines in it, can see the purple fingerprints beneath Avery's eyes, the sheen of sweat on his forehead. Besides, I may call it an evening, as says softly. I am supposed to catch an early train tomorrow. Are you? Going anywhere exciting? The country as it happens, getting away from it all. I'll walk you out, baby, to say goodnight. I'll... As his lips part. All right, I'll just get my coat. This isn't a coat? As is affronted in a way that only as can be about vintage fucking frock coats. This is an authentic Edwardian duster. I wouldn't wear it outside. And Crowley just blinks at him, as lets the corner of his mouth twitch. How very dare you! Oh, a thousand apologies, my lord. Can you ever forgive me for such a grievous error? If it means that much, as his twitch turns into a sad sort of smile, the kind that tastes like lemon on a split lip, fine, I forgive you. They look at each other. Curly wants to sing the scorched heart of himself out of his body, like a phoenix rising out of his throat, turning to ashes in the cool air. He wants to reach out and undo every button on that damned Edwardian duster with his teeth. Very generous, I'm sure, he murmurs. Then he follows Az to get his actual coat, and then he follows Az to his car, and then he gets into the passenger side beside him and closes the door. They sit in silence. Both of them look straight ahead, studying the honeyed slant of streetlights around them. Every beat of Crowley's pulse is like a clock winding down. How much time do we have? How much time can I ask for? As clears his throat. So, I'll see you there, then. If that's, if you still, and Crowley can't stand this shit for a moment longer, is going to dissolve from stress and longing if he doesn't reach over and take Avery's hand. So he takes Avery's hand. I still, he says, voice broken. I fucking still. As his breath hitches, he glances down at Crowley's fingers laced through his and nods. That shaky little panic nod that Crowley adores. Adores. That's the word for it. It feels somehow stronger, shinier than just saying love, although he loves that little panic nod as well. All right. Well, yes, that's... You're driving? Yeah. Despite certain unfortunate decisions made in the past, Crowley still loves driving. It relaxes him in a way that yoga doesn't makes him feel adrift at sea, with nothing but the horizon stretched out in front of him. He doesn't need to drive all that often, but given the chance to get on the motorway, he'll do it in a heartbeat. Shame about the Bentley, though. Shan't see its like again. Sure I can't give you a lift? Better, better not. As swallows loudly. His fingers curl tentatively against Crowley's palm. Knowing the way you drive, be be a shame if Warlock both lost both its leads. Crowley fucking adores him. How tinted are these windows? He asks too quickly, 
too desperately, not cool at all. Can I, can I kiss you? Oh, would you? Much as Curly wants to launch himself over the gear shift and into Az's lap, he has a feeling the man might bolt. So he moves slowly, tracing his fingers up Az's neck, over the soft jawline against his cheek. Az mouths a breathy, oh, before Crowley leans forward slowly, slowly, don't go too fast, and nudges his lips against Avery's. Avery's mouth opens with a gasp, and they kiss gently. No tongues involved, just sharing air, really. Their lips sip from each other like their glasses of champagne. Everything feels golden, swimming in lamplight, and Crowley sighs at the first tentative touch of Avery's hand in his hair. He pulls away a bit, nuzzling. Yeah, he never thought of himself as a nuzzler, but there's no other word for it. Into the space below Avery's earlobe, the side of his neck, almost singing when Az gasps and pulls him closer, one hand in his hair and the other fisted in his jacket. You are, you are so... Curly doesn't know how Az is going to end that sentence. Part of him doesn't want to. There are too many ways to fall from that ledge. Lovely, as breathes against his mouth. Something short circuits in Crowley's brain at that word. He has to go somewhere else for a moment, somewhere less heavy, where he doesn't have to hold so much feeling. Fuck's sake, when will his heart stop doing this? He thought he'd beaten all those feelings out of it, burnt all the serotonin and dopamine out of his brain through years of neglect and abuse. When will he be too old for this shit? When will this aching stop? Never. Love never learns. That's the trouble. Tell yourself differently. It'll be a lie. Crowley pulls back, ends the kiss himself, because that hurts less. He can't think about the feeling of Az moving slowly away from him. It'll twist the knife in his ribs too deep. He can't bear it. Better that he pull away first. Better that he sits in the passenger seat, trying to slow his breathing trying to swallow down every awful word he wants to say. Safe, safe travels, as murmurs. He is flushed pink and breathing just as hard as Crowley. You too. I'll see you there. All right, okay. Go before he asks you to leave, before you stay too long. Crowley has his hand on the door when Az's voice stops him. Yes, um, before you go, would you? When Crowley turns back, Az lurches forward, sucking the air from Crowley's mouth with a final kiss. It's brief, too brief. Az pulls back quickly and turns away, as if he's embarrassed by the momentary lapse in self-control. Christ, Crowley's been there. But now is not the time or the place to have that conversation in any sort of depth. See you there, he repeats stupidly. And Az nods again, but does not ask him for another kiss, even though Crowley is drawing on his powers of visualization to manifest that outcome. There you go. Irrefutable proof that visualization is bullshit. No more vision boards, no matter what Pepper says. He has a cigarette before he heads back into the party, giving it some time so his lips aren't quite so swollen. He'd rather leave directly, but doesn't want it to look like he and Az left together even though they always leave together, or they used to. Curly only stays another half hour before fucking off home, 
He's still got packing to do, and he's utter shit at it. Probably comes as no surprise to anyone. But he either brings everything he owns, or three black music t-shirts and absolutely nothing else. Curly spends the rest of the night fretting and staring out the window and throwing random socks into his suitcase when he thinks of it. His cockroach heart survives and survives. Fuck that bastard. There will be no living with it now. Tomorrow. Tomorrow he will drive two hours and meet Avery and... And they'll talk. After that, it's anyone's guess. Three months earlier. Somehow Crowley makes it through the night. He isn't quite sure how it happens. It's a slow, headache-colored shift from darkness to dawn. One that Crowley spends in various locations around the house. He blinks and he's sitting on the stairs, blinks again and he's back on the piano bench, opens his eyes and he's lying on his back, staring at the ceiling on the second floor landing. He's got coping strategies, right, but none that he can bring himself to actually use right now. He could be listening to music or meditating or whatever the fuck, but instead he just goes into a strange sort of shutdown, curled in on himself like an injured animal. He decides he's allowed a lapse this one time. We can't all be bloody paragons of self-care at every moment of our lives. And being shut down is better than some alternatives Crowley could list. He knows people in Belfast, or new people, places. He could make a call, easy, like it was nothing. But he doesn't. Won't. So, well done, Crowley. Have a fucking cookie for doing the absolute bare minimum. His fugue state goes on until morning, at which point Crowley thinks, Oh shit, Tracy, and then starts to properly panic. No wonder Avery ran off like a thief after a heist. He has a partner, a lovely partner. Crowley adores her, and he didn't even think of her once last night when he was on his knees trying to suck Avery's heart out through his cock. As must be feeling like some sort of monster, and Crowley feels about the same. He tugs brutally at his hair. Oh, you fucking madman. You told him you loved him, and you weren't even drunk. You were just an idiot. A complete moron, and he's practically married. What were you thinking? And now, now he's got to go film scenes with Avery and pretend that none of this happened. Pretend that he doesn't know the taste of his sweat, the texture of his jaw. Let's see how talented an actor you really are. You should win an award for this if you can pull it off if you can make it through the rest of this shoot without collapsing on set in a simmering pool of lust and mortification. He manages to pull himself into something resembling a human shape before the studio driver gets there. On the set, he runs through blocking in a trance. It's a wonder he's still standing, let alone remembering lines or hitting Mark. He grabs an unholy amount of coffee on the way to his trailer, because the only way he's going to get through this day. And when he slinks through the door like a guilty house cat, he finds Az. Az is waiting for him in Crowley's bloody trailer, sitting on his sofa with a book and a cup of tea as if it's any other day. Crowley actually drops his coffee. Like, he didn't realize this was a thing that could happen in real life, but apparently it can. His hands stop working. The travel mug falls heavily to the ground. Avery is on his feet immediately, and Crowley swears, vicious and clumsy and loud, as soon as he realizes what he's just done. I'm so sorry. I didn't want to startle you. 
it's fine. It's The mug's lids kept most of the sweet, precious elixir of life from spilling, so the mess is minimal. Curly kneels down to clean it up while Avery hurries into the kitchen to grab a tea towel. When he passes it to Crowley, Crowley tilts his head up to say thanks and realizes that he's on his knees at Avery's feet again. It's a view he will remember until the day his neurons stop firing, until he doesn't remember his own name. As must have a similar memory, because his face goes pink, he immediately steps backwards. One of the PAs let me in. I am sorry. They assumed I would be welcome. You are. Curly's answer comes quickly, too quickly. Just a surprise. As sits down stiffly on the sofa while Crowley wipes up the coffee, chucks the towel somewhere to deal with it later. He can't possibly sit right now. He's so wired from caffeine and sleeplessness that he could spin like a drill through the floor. Made it home okay? He asks, like an idiot, at the exact same moment as Avery says, I have to apologize. All one word, a rush of ice water. Curly flinches. He doesn't know if he can survive Avery apologizing for something. Something Crowley bloody well begged him for. No, I need to. He starts talking before Avery can. Fix this. Fix this. It shouldn't have happened. And Tracy, Christ, I can't stop thinking about her. I feel fucking ill about it. Avery's face is gray like he's seasick. My dear, I shouldn't have even... I'll never say a word to her. Believe me, I won't. But you can, of course. Whatever you want, I'll understand. She... she knows. It's like a gut punch. Curly actually takes a step back, winded. Oh, God. Jesus, fuck, I'm so... Stop apologizing, please. You... I'm the one who has to... Is she all right? Do you want me to call her or Crowley? Avery stands up again. It's one of those moments that makes Crowley remember that they're nearly the same height. Please. And there it is, right? The silver bullet, the key to the attic room, the pears and cheese, and let me make some calls about Hamlet. The anything, anything you like. We haven't much time. You must let me get through this or I'll, I'll lose my nerve. Avery is talking very slow, taking deep breaths. He's shaking almost as badly as Crowley is. There's a leaping pulse in his throat, and Crowley wants to kiss him exactly there. Feel that fluttering against his mouth. I'm the one who has to apologize, not you. Last night, I overindulged, clearly, and what we did... Right, right, you were drunk. It was a mistake. I get it. That's not what I'm apologizing for. As gets a flinty sort of look in his eyes all of a sudden. It reminds Crowley of a film as was in where he played a general or sergeant or something. Some American Revolution thing. As was the reluctant anti-hero. It was a Yank film, so the British were mostly conniving bastards. Crowley maybe watched it more than a couple of times last summer. Didn't know he had a thing for uniforms. But it turns out he has a thing for uniforms. Anyway, focus up. Point is, when Az looks like that, Crowley can see something of the soldier in, still in him, in the set of his jaw, the angle of his shoulders, even as he's apparently shaking himself to pieces. I, 
after that, when I, I left last night, I couldn't bring myself to speak of it. And I, I am trying to. He sways a bit, reaching out a hand to steady himself on the side table. You, Christ, are you... Crowley didn't expect this conversation to actually kill the man he's in love with. Are you okay? Tracy and I are, Avery swallows, not, in fact, together. Crowley stares at him. But that's, please don't tell anyone, Avery says quickly. Although, of course, I understand you may wish to as as recompense for my dishonesty. I only hope that our friendship is worth enough to convince you that, stop, stop, wait, I'm falling behind. Since when? Since when what? Since when are you two not together? Is this recent? You could have told me. No, no, it's not. It's not recent? Emotion trembles on Avery's face. Crowley reads it like an old, sad story he's never heard before, a story that Avery has never told him. No, as his voice comes out in a whisper, I am trying to tell you. Crowley gets the wrong idea of a lot of the time. He knows himself, knows how easily wrong-footed he gets, especially where Avery Fell is concerned. But he doesn't exactly need a hand-drawn diagram illustrating the potential reasons that a man he's kissed on more than one occasion might have a partner that isn't his partner. So, fuck's sake, does this mean... Are, are you... Please don't, as cuts him off. Not here. Where? I don't know, Avery winces. That's what I'm trying to say. I would, if you would, angel. The word comes out like a clod of earth, black between Crowley's teeth. Wait, until after this season is finished, and then we can discuss things properly. Right now I'm just a bit in pieces. I'm sorry, and I don't want to ruin everything. No, that's my job. Crowley is not joking. So... So let me wrap my head around this. You are in a fake long-term relationship, and we aren't to discuss it or anything else until, until we're done filming this show in three months. His face must do something awful, because Az looks staggered. Oh, I mean, I, I can't lose focus. Neither of us can. And if anyone found out we'd been fraternizing... Fraternizing... Crowley repeats the word, can't help it. It tastes so fucking ugly. Please, please don't look so disappointed with me. Perhaps when all this is over, we could, I don't know, go for a picnic. Az takes a shuddering breath, forces a smile on his face. Dine at the Ritz. Crowley just keeps staring at him. He wishes he had his sunglasses on, but he doesn't and his whole wasted heart is shining out of his eyes. Or go on a trip, maybe. Get away. Talk. Right. And, and that thing that you said, I know it wasn't. There's a sudden knock on the door. Crowley almost hits his head on the roof with alarm. But as calls, come in, 
immediately, like he's afraid to hesitate a moment, afraid of what it will look like. Mylin from makeup peeks her head in. Oh, hello. Should have known the two of you would be together. I'm going to be ready for you in about ten minutes, Anthony. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. She shuts the door quietly behind her as she leaves, but Crowley's ears are ringing. He feels like someone shot a gun right beside his head. I have to go to makeup. Wow. Yep. Brilliant conversationalist you are. All right. You can stay or leave, whatever you like. Crowley's mostly speaking to himself at this point, trying desperately to make sense of what's happening. And I guess I'll not talk to you now? Is that what we're doing? No, I didn't mean that. I don't want that. I've got plenty of other people to fraternize with, if that's what you want to call it. As stutters out a wounded noise. I'm sure you do. He doesn't make a move to leave, though, and Crowley needs air. Needs to get out of this trailer. Needs to walk. I'll see you later. Around. I'll... Yeah, bye. He turns toward the door, and just before his hand touches the knob, he risks one last look over his shoulder. It's a mistake. A fucking mistake, because as has this look on his face... This defeated, hopeless expression that cracks Crowley's heart right down the middle, and he can't help but make some injured sound in response. As soon as he makes that noise, Avery's eyes meet his, and then it's like a car accident. The slow motion moment where you can see it coming, but you can't do anything to stop it. Crowley is crossing the trailer in two spidery strides and putting his hands on either side of Az's face and kissing him. As tilts his head back, welcomes him into his open mouth, even though his hands are shaking on Crowley's shoulders. It's a brutal kiss, more wolf than lamb, but it still feels clean. As his mouth tastes like mint tea, not sex and sadness like the night before. Crowley pulls away while that taste is still in his mouth. He's going to quit drinking coffee, give up smoking, just so that taste will be there all day. Bye, he says again, and leaves without looking back. As he walks, he licks the mint tea off his lips, hard in his trousers and sick to his stomach. He doesn't have a full-blown weeping meltdown when Mylin runs her hands through his hair, trying to get it to behave, but he wants to. Softness destroys him, all right, and he's feeling particularly destroyable this morning. When Anathema sees him, she tells him he looks like shit which is probably her way of asking if he's okay. But Crowley ignores her until the cameras are rolling. He can still act, even if he looks like shit. Call it his special talent. He's had enough practice at it. He doesn't have any scenes with Az today, which is lucky. The man is off filming something in the sound studio while Crowley kicks around the village with anathema, and it gives him some time to think. And the more he thinks, the more tangled up his memories of last night become and the conversation this morning, and the story of Avery Fell, the one he's never been told. What had Curly thought about him before they met, that he was bland and perfect, boring and blameless? That he was a talented bastard, sure, but nothing all that interesting. Curly was wrong about that completely. What else has he been wrong about? What else doesn't he know? 
After he wraps, he heads immediately over to Az's trailer. It's fine, they used to do this all the time, get together for a glass of wine or a cup of tea after shooting was over. It doesn't look weird, suggestive. Does it look suggestive? Would anyone suspect that Crowley was arse over tits in love? Would anyone even fathom there's a part of his heart that isn't scorched fucking earth? Crowley knocks on Az's door. At the soft sound from inside, he goes in. Az is sitting at his table, looking over tomorrow's call sheet. His eyes immediately go wide, but not in surprise, not in fear. Crowley, is anyone else here? No, Az says quickly. All right, all right. Crowley shuts the door behind him. Just so we're clear, you want me to wait. Okay, I can wait. I can wait three months. He swallows, wonders if the next sentence will give him a brain bleed just in the uttering. I can, I can wait longer. The look of disbelief on Avery's face is painful in a way that Crowley doesn't quite understand. He looks like Crowley is offering him the whole world, shining around its edges. But that thing I said, Crowley swallows, tries to keep his voice steady, tries not to start coughing up the wet sand of his love, leaving a mess all over the floor. That thing, you know, I wasn't apologizing for that this morning. I won't. As nods. He doesn't fucking say sorry again, which is really, thank God. That might have been the end of Crowley. He's on his eighth life as it is. So we're, we're clear, Crowley repeats, and as nods again. Yes. Anthony, I, I can't. All right, I'm going to go wash all this filth off me. Life of a medieval peasant, eh? Keep talking, change the subject, distract him before he says he can't love you back. See you tomorrow, Angel. Curly spends the night working his way through the fancy bloody cheeses in his fridge and sitting on the stoop, studying the ember at the tip of his cigarette, thinking about how things burn. When he was 11 years old, he used to do this thing where he'd light a piece of paper on fire and hold it for as long as he could. He'd start the flame on one edge and tilt it, tilt it away from his hand, wait until the fire started licking his knuckles like a cat. He'd wait as long as he could, and his pain tolerance was surprisingly high. He ended up with blister dust on his palm once. It wasn't a test of strength or endurance or anything. He didn't give a damn about how far he could push his body, how much it could bend until it broke. No, it was more of an aesthetic fascination. He was 11 and bored, and he couldn't sit still, but he liked the slow, blackening edges, like dead lace. He liked the liquid way that the fire moved. He liked the moment that he dropped it, set it down on the grass to smolder and dissolve into ashes. The church does not burn the way paper does, the way cigarettes do. It burns like a beast, splintering wood in place of teeth, a great gasping mouth that's always hungry, never full. Bastards! Curly chokes out from where he's collapsed on the ground. He feels like he's waking up in an unfamiliar place, his whole body heavy with panic. All of you. They're going to add a bunch of CGI flame in post. Can't have Crowley getting too close to it. His stuntman did most of the live firework, but there's still a fire crew standing by, just off set in case they're needed. Crowley screams the scorched heart of himself out of his body, screams out three years of ashes, 
screams out a night spent wide awake and drunk with grief, screams out all the words he can't take back. I can't find you. I can't find you. Cut. Holy shit, Anthony. Brilliant stuff. That's an episode wrap on Anthony, the first AD calls out. Curly accepts a hand off his knees, accepts a pat on the back from Michael as the fire crew rushes forward with extinguishers, putting out the remaining flames. As Crowley leaves the half-standing church, he realizes that a bunch of the cast and crew have gathered around to watch. People that don't even need to be on set right now. Newton and Anathema, hair and makeup, a handful of PAs. They start to clap as he comes toward them. Crowley cringes away from the praise just a bit. Gotta keep that personal narrative intact, right? Don't let anything challenge your comfortable and familiar self-hatred. Shit, that sounds an awful lot like Pepper. Is she actually in his head now? Definitely fired. Killed it, Anathema says as he passes by. I have goosebumps. That was was really well done. Newton only stammers a little. He's getting better. You were wonderful, Avery says. And fuck's sake, Avery is here. Crowley almost missed him in the crowd. Thank you. He comes to a halt in front of him. He's still a bit raw, which is the only excuse he can think of for being an absolute fool. You want to grab a drink tonight? Dinner? I better not. Quite a lot of packing up to do. Got it. I'll, I'll have a drink with you. Anathema cuts in, eavesdropping like a fucking professional. Or dinner. Newt and I would love to, wouldn't we? Uh, sure. Yes. That's, yes. Newton is staring after her so affectionately that little cartoon hearts may as well be floating around his head. This was not what Curly had in mind for the evening. If he couldn't be staring moonily at Az over a dinner table, he thought he'd at least be moonily drinking tea and bashing around on the piano, not socializing. Good Christ. Can't wrap an episode without marking the occasion, Anathema insists. I... You pick the place and text me. Good talk, great plan. Crowley looks helplessly at Avery, but the man is already looking away, headed back to his trailer. His shoulders are hunched, as if a great wind is trying to knock him off his feet. Right then. Anathema feels the need to invite some of the crew out for drinks as well, so Crowley spends the night trying to make small talk with a couple of electrics. Actually, they have pretty good taste in music, so it could be worse. Every so often he catches Anathema smiling at him like a proud dog owner, which makes him scowl at her, which makes her smile more. In all, it's not a bad time. It's less awful than he expected, so that's something. He flies out of Belfast the next day, spends a couple days in London before the next episode starts filming, and somehow three months go by. Curly mostly keeps to himself when he can avoid Anathema's sporadic attempts to get him to spend time amongst the living. He stays in hotel rooms. He flies back and forth between Ireland and London, Iceland for a couple of days. He skypes with Pepper and thinks about firing her. He stares at Az on an offset, and in his hotel room at night, he gets off to the thought of Avery's shoulders in his tweed coat, the thought of his th soft thighs in his trousers, how they felt beneath Curly's hands how they'd feel wrapped around his waist. Once, 
Never let anyone know this bit, least of all Pepper. Crowley gets so caught in the throes of his fantasy that he whispers, I love you, as he comes in his fist over his knuckles, spine arching off the bed. I love you, I love you, Jesus, fuck. They talk on set and occasionally off, but there are no late nights or dinners out. It's back to the way it was in Liz Dune, with Az very carefully avoiding him, and Crowley very carefully giving him space. And if he sometimes catches Az watching him between takes, and if sometimes Az looks up to see Crowley staring at him like some pathetic, salivating creature, well, they don't speak of it. They can't. Crowley said he'd wait. The last scene of the season is when they film together. Crowley's just had a run-in with the Grand Inquisitor, guest spot by Benedict Cumberbatch, and wasn't that a fucking thing. Crowley was a bit starstruck the whole time, could hardly put a sentence together. They've met before, of course, but Crowley always goes a bit mental over the man's voice. The Inquisitor lets Crowley leave unharmed with a message for the priest. He has arrested Avery's caustic, unusual sister, guest spot by Josie Lawrence, which is bloody unfair. Crowley was more starstruck meeting her than Cumberbatch. It's her life for Adams. But I don't understand, as tells Crowley, whispering. We just saw her. She was fine. I, I don't believe you. Why would I lie about this? Why would he? They're filming in a tiny room meant to be above an inn. It has the role of numerous in-rooms throughout the three seasons, breakout star of the show. Anathema and Adam are sleeping in the narrow bed nearest the fire, just stand-ins lying there now. So the conversation is hushed, tight-lipped, and much too close together. I don't believe it, as is doing a great job with the conflicted panic and denial. Curly shakes his head at him, frustrated despite himself. And why would he think this is my decision to make? What about your friends, family, anyone he knows you loved? We need to warn them. We really don't. Of course we do. How could you say such a thing? He'll find them like he found Agnes, where they're in this room, Crowley spits, voice getting a bit too loud. Everyone I love, they're in this room. As his expression should win the man another BAFTA. It's a look of despair and longing and hope braided together into a rope that might as well be a noose. It's a knife engraved with, I love you too, but in the worst sort of way. I love you too, and it will be used against me. I love you too. This love is a shovel, and I've been burying myself alive. He can't, he can't have the boy, as says. I know. There's no point in pretending that they have any choice in the matter. So I guess we've got to take the easy way out and rescue your bloody sister. Their gazes catch and hold. Cut, says Michael. Everyone, that is a wrap on season three. We are wrapped. I will see you all at the Emmys when we sweep it. There are applause and cheers from the crew, and as blushes, shyly pleased, but doesn't break eye contact with Crowley. Last season, Crowley would have reached out and touched him, innocently enough, a clap on the shoulder, a pat on the back sort of thing. But now, he doesn't dare. As looks at him, and Crowley looks back. They don't say a word as they walk back toward the trailers. They end up at Crowley's first, and Avery follows him inside, and then Crowley doesn't know what he expects, but it isn't this. 
as hugs him, pulls him into the warm circle of his arms, breathes against his neck. The scent of him, the warmth, is so gorgeous that Curly doesn't bother thinking about what this means or what he should do. He just hugs Az back. Thank you, Az says against the edge of Curly's jaw. What for? For waiting. Az pulls away a bit, drags his hands slowly down Curly's arms. He's shaking again. Curly feels the urge to wrap him in a blanket and lay him down by a fireplace and never let him go. I, I don't want to stop touching you. Az laces both of their hands together, stares at them. Curly studies the top of his head, the pale hair against his pink scalp. So don't. After the wrap party, will you... Would you... Yes, Curly answers. You don't know what I was going to ask, Az says with a weak smile. It could be something awful. Don't care. Yes. You are... As lets out a sigh that Curly feels on his knuckles. Entirely too kind to me. Who made you fucking think that, Curly wants to ask. And then he wants to find that person and tear their throat out. Who told you that kindness was something you didn't deserve, something you had to earn, and not just the bare minimum someone could show you? They lied. They lied to you. They were wrong. I'm really not. As swallows, clears his throat. You, would you like to, to go somewhere, perhaps with me? Yes, yes to all of it. You would. Avery's gaze keeps moving from Crowley's face and back to their hands. I haven't anywhere in particular in mind, but I did say that we could let me sort something out. Let bees sort it out, more like. I'll take care of it. As nods, doesn't let go of Curly's hands. I suppose I'll see you in London then. All right. My dear, I don't want you to think. As's hands clench reflexively on Crowley's. Then As lifts Crowley's hand to his mouth, turns it gently so he can press a kiss to the inside of Crowley's wrist. Something short circuits in Crowley's brain at that. He has to go somewhere else for a moment, somewhere less heavy where he doesn't have to hold so much. As immediately drops his hands, steps back. He's blushing more than Crowley's ever seen him, and he can barely look at Crowley as he backs toward the door. I'll... All right. Well, safe travels, and let me know what you... If there's anything I can... As bumps into a standing lamp, almost knocking it over. See you soon. After he leaves, Crowley stares at the door for a bit. Then he stares at his wrist, surprised it isn't glowing golden where Avery's lips touched the pulse point. Then he goes home, his home in Belfast anyway, and calls Bees. I need you to book a place for after the wrap party, a cottage or something. Bees sighs as if he's just asked for some sort of blood sacrifice. How long? I don't know. How long would they be allowed? How long could they press pause on the rest of the world? A week? Two weeks? Somewhere quiet, by the water maybe? And it can't be close to anywhere. It's got to be private. Jesus fuck. Bee suddenly spits into the receiver. Nope, no, this is not happening. What are you... A lovely romantic country getaway for one? Is that what I'm expected to believe? 
I'm not seeing Matt again if that's... Oh, I know you're not seeing Matt. Bees lets that hang there for a second. This is worse. Jesus, fuck, Crowley. What are you thinking? I... How the hell do they know? They don't know. They don't know anything. I have no idea what you're talking about. This is going to hurt you. You do realize that. This is not... I thought you weren't my therapist. I'm not. So don't tell me what will hurt me. I know what hurts. He didn't expect to say any of that last bit. Kind of comes as a surprise to both of them. But it shuts bees up well enough. They don't hang up on him, but he can tell from the angry buzzing on the line that it's a near thing. I'll text you the details and mind my own business, shall I? If you would. He pauses, feels a bit guilty. He's not mad at bees. He's not mad at anybody but his bloody, useless heart. Thanks, bees. Don't thank me for this. Then they do hang up. They text him the details that evening, and he texts them to Avery. Two weeks in the South Downs, near some little place called Ditchling. The pictures are gorgeous. Bees has outdone themselves no matter how much they might disapprove of Crowley in general, and in particular. And Az says yes, yes to all of it. Curly doesn't see him on his flight back to London, but they text constantly, back and forth, about the weather down south, travel plans, the train versus Curly's driving, of which there has been, frankly, a lot of misinformation and malicious rumor. Curly's definitely not as bad as they say. Or he's pretty sure he could be worse. A couple of days pass and Curly's thinking about packing, but mostly screaming in his plants and getting ready for the season three wrap party. No reason to get all worked up about it. It's not like he hasn't been to a dozen. As long as the music is better than the last two parties, and it would be hard for it to be any worse, Curly will be fine. He'll probably see Az, but who knows if the man will even talk to him. Maybe it'll be all cloak and dagger so that no one suspects they've ever met or worked together or are running off to the country tomorrow morning. Crowley's an actor. He can pull it off. Why, sir, I believe you've mistaken me for someone else. He'll say it like a plant for some traveling road show. No, we've never met before in my life. Yes, this elixir gave me back my hair and my virility. It'll be fine. Nothing will happen. There's no reason to get all worked up it. But Crowley wears his leather jacket to the party. You know, just in case. The drive from Ditchley to London is about two hours. That means that Crowley can listen to Transformer three and a half times. That means he can replay the Kiss and Az's car the night before about 13 times, depending on which parts he slows down and whether he skips over the stupider things he said. That means he can chew on the nails of his right hand down almost to the quick while rattling with want of a cigarette. He doesn't smoke in the car. He's not an animal. It means he can worry constantly if he's making a mistake. Just a perfect day. You made me forget myself. Crowley's shite at directions, glad for a nav system when he has to leave London, and it only leads him wrong once. He can... Sp- considers the speed limit more of a suggestion, like a wine pairing, and so, even though he heads out later in the day, wants to give Az a chance to taxi from the station and settle in, and the traffic is fairly steady, he makes excellent time. 
I thought I was someone else, someone good. Sussex is needlessly pretty in the autumn, and Ditchling is quaint as anything. Bees had food delivered to the cottage, or so they said, and Crowley brought a couple of things from home, so he doesn't need to stop anywhere. But he does stop, just the same, pulls the car over at the edge of town, smokes until the cigarette is burning the tips of his fingers. Frets. Maybe he'll come back, explore the village a bit later. Seems a nice enough place. Past some sort of museum might be something to see. In case the cottage gets claustrophobic. In case Az needs a break from him. Christ knows Crowley needs a break from himself often enough. Or maybe Az would want to come with him. Crowley doesn't know if that's allowed. If Az has stopped being all right with the two of them going out in public together outside of filming. There's a lot Crowley doesn't know yet. Doesn't know the rules, hence this two weeks in the country to figure it out. And two fucking weeks? He can't remember the last time he shared space with someone for that long. Christ, would it have been Luke 15 years ago? That's pathetic. Of course, he's hooked up with people since then, but never stayed with any of them for a great length of time. Never lived together. Barely even slept in the same bed unless he was basically passed out. He's a bit clingy, handsy when he sleeps, ends up twined around his partner like a great bloody snake trying to soak up all the warmth in the world. Luke was constantly on him about it, said it was too much, said he could never get a decent sleep with Crowley in the bed, and you know what, let's not think about Luke right now. Crowley forces himself back into the car, sets out on the road that leads from the village and into the woods. He takes his time, full of resentment but mindful of the windshield, winding through birch trees and only feeling a little like he's in the opening credits of a horror film. The sat-nav beeps at him that he's reached his destination, just as a gorgeous lakeside cottage comes into view around a bend. Jesus Christ, what has he gotten himself into? Oh, fuck, what has he done? The cottage is right at the edge of a lake, surrounded by poplar and silver birch and pine. It's not even five yet, but the sun is starting to drop low on the horizon, and the sky is all paintbrush-colored, and there's a mist kicking off the lake into the evening air. Crowley parks the car and takes a deep breath, tells himself to calm the fuck down, screams at himself the way he would a particularly sensitive orchid. You can't sit in the car all night, you absolute nightmare. Get it together. He's going to come out of that cottage any minute and see you, see you for the wreck that you are. For the first time in his life, Crowley feels a bit bad for his plants. He gets up, hoists his stuffle bag out of the back seat, and gets on with it. Fuck's sake, this place is pretty. There's a massive bloody deck around the back overlooking the water, and Crowley walks across it, admiring the view while working up the strength to go inside. There's a canoe tethered at the shoreline. No chance he's getting in one of those again, not after last time and a couple of ducks floating idly in the shallows. The air smells like, like wet earth and cedar bark. A couple breaths in and Crowley feels almost high on it. There's entirely too much oxygen out here. He needs to add some exhaust fumes to the mix. As must have heard the car door slam, because next thing Crowley knows there's a creak and then footsteps behind him. Crowley forces himself not to flinch as Az walks over, hands shoved deep in his pockets. 
The man is bundled up in, is that two layers of cardigans? Cardigans all the way down. He looks entirely too soft, and God Crowley is in so much trouble. Hello there. As smiles, but it's tentative. Crowley feels about the same. Like if he relaxes even a fraction, he's going to start bubbling over, steam leaking from his eyes and mouth. Good trip, he asks, shifting his bag to his other shoulder, grateful it gives him something to fidget with. Oh, yes, beautiful countryside. I did enjoy the train, always do. It gave me a chance to do some reading. This is quite the place, isn't it? Curly scans the calm water, the occasional leaf floating gently on the surface. Nice and woodsy. Is it all right? Do you like it? Sure, yeah. Curly shifts his bag again like a very casual and natural human person. Big woodsy fan, me. As darts a gaze at him, there and gone in an instant. There's an odd silence between them, and there's never an odd silence. Well, maybe recently. I'm sorry, I should have offered to take your bag. You bloody should not have. What are you, the concierge? Let's go inside. You can give me the tour. He follows Az into the cottage, has to take off his glasses, which promptly steam up, fuck his life. As has clearly been making himself at home, which is the thought. There are a couple of lamps lit and candles flickering on the kitchen table. The first floor is all one room, open concept kitchen and dining room, two armchairs and a small sofa, which As is already haphazardly covered in books and sheaths of writing paper. What do you think? It isn't too small for you, is it? I don't want you to feel like I'm underfoot. No, it's fine. And we've had closer quarters than this. Remember that B&B from season one? As laughs weakly. Don't let's bring it up. I get leg cramps just thinking about it. There's a fire going in the grate, throwing off the kind of warmth you want to curl up in, bask like a lizard on a rock. Curly hangs up his leather jacket by the door, watches As take off Cardigan the first and Cardigan the second, hooks them both carefully on the rack, and then... Curly blinks, feels unsteady on his feet. As is wearing a V-neck t-shirt, just a t-shirt, in pale green and nothing else. The material looks soft and a bit worn, clings to the muscles in his shoulders and the slight swell of his stomach. There's, there's no cravat or waistcoat or any other bloody thing. And at the lowest point of the neckline, Curly can see a tiny curl of silver hair. He has never in his life seen the man in less clothing. Who the fuck told him this was allowed? The blonde hair running up as his forearms makes Crowley feel like he just drank petrol and swallowed a pack of matches. The, uh, the kitchen seems serviceable. There's food enough to feed an army. So, so, get it together, fuckwit. So there should be enough for you, then. Oh, shut it. Besides, I'm on holiday. I shall do what I like. As gives him a look that Crowley feels down to the soles of his feet. The two of them stare at each other and then both look away awkwardly. Crowley's face is warm and he wants to go dunk his head in the lake until he calms down. The sofa folds out. As continues, trying to sweep the awkwardness away like ashes in the grate. 
and there's a pantry wine cellar through the door there. Right. Shall I, um, show you upstairs? Crowley tries not to answer that by dropping dead. He nods, because if he doesn't at least nod, then he's going to try to speak, and speaking is out of the question right now. Is not going to go well for either of them. So Crowley nods and follows Az up the stairs. The top floor is almost entirely taken up by the bedroom. Mostly the uh, bed. There's a whole wall of windows, and it's sparsely furnished, all piles of white linens and pillows. There's also an enormous clawfoot bathtub in the corner overlooking the lake. Ugh, says Crowley. Suddenly this whole trip seems like a terrible bloody idea. At least one that will be impossible to survive. One that is already wrapping its bony fingers around Crowley's throat, pressing its thumbs against his windpipe. Crowley was all, oh, let me book us a holiday to sh sort our shit out. And then apparently had no qualms with bees renting them a fucking honeymoon sex cottage. <sighs> Keep fucking breathing. There's a washroom through there, but the bathtub is, um, as you see, as is shuffling from one foot to the other, tucking at the hem of his t-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> very, uh, fancy. Look at that, can just, nice windows, I bet they're double glazed. You know, I might call bees, let them know we're here, and then just tip-top, or, yeah, I'll call them. Should I call them? I'll call them. I'll leave you to it. Has says quickly, and he almost trips in his haste to get back down the stairs. Crowley watches him go. Then he doesn't call bees. Certainly not. What, so they can shout at him? Instead, he looks at the very fluffy, very soft, very large bed. He looks at the bathtub. He walks to the windows and stares down at the lake before pressing his forehead to the glass. Uh, no, not that one. Curly reaches over, trying to steal the remote from Az. Why ever not? The thing about roses, it looks utterly charming. It certainly does fucking not look charming. The image on the screen is a room full of pink and white roses with 20-something Crowley. Shitting Christ, look at his hair. What a prick. Making eyes at Emily Mortimer. It's fluff is what it is. That much sugar will rot your teeth. Crowley makes another lunge for the remote, but as yanks it out of his grip. I like a bit of fluff. And look at the volume on those curls. Nope, I think we simply must watch this one. When are we? Is this mid-season one or season two? What hotel was it? What sofa? What month? What bottle of wine? Was Crowley already hideously in love, but hadn't yet known the word for it? Or was he thinking that word in his head already, tracing its outline on his palm, biting it into the meat of his cheek at night when he should have been sleeping? Was he already lost in the woods, looking desperately for a north star to lead him out again? Or was he following that flickering light deeper and deeper between the pine trees, certain that rescue would be just around the corner? Trust me, you don't want to watch it. It's a bunch of romantic nonsense, the worst sort of cliches. You're just saying that because you're in it, and you know I love a good third-act chase to the airport, a grand romantic gesture. You're so full of it. Crowley shakes his head. Public love confessions, 
Shut up. It's absolute drivel. Rose petals on sheets, slow dancing in the kitchen. That sort of nonsense never happens and something twinges in Crowley's memory. Wait, have you already seen this film? As blinks at him. No. His face has gone absolutely blank. <laughs> no, I'm just just listing the worst sort of cliches. Why? Is there actual kitchen slow dancing? Recorded footage of Anthony Crowley swaying to soft rock? My dear, I must insist we watch it now. If you press play, I won't be responsible for my actions. Why? As looks at him and his face isn't blank anymore. It's soft and slightly pink. The color of rose petals, and that's the thing about roses. What will you do? I will ensure that everyone on set gets the Vimeo link to a certain karaoke scene from a certain early 2000s indie sex romp. You wouldn't dare. Try me, Angel. When Crowley pulls his head back from the window, there's a smudge on the glass from his greasy skull. Great. Good start. Leave a mess all over the glass. Leave your grimy fingerprints all over Asfell and see what happens. See how long it takes you to ruin something beautiful. For the first time in a long time, Crowley contemplates calling Pepper just to check in. He's got a meeting scheduled with her when he gets back from this holiday or whatever they're calling it. But he wonders if he should have talked to someone other than bees beforehand, made some sort of heartbreak game plan, a flowchart with eventualities and all the ways they would ruin him. Well, hindsight is that thing they say it is, right? Crowley takes a few deep breaths and goes back downstairs. The light and warmth of the kitchen compared to the cool shadows of the bedroom is a jarring contrast. As has somehow managed to find a place to sit on the cluttered couch, but he stands up immediately when he sees Crowley. At ease, Crowley snorts, and as blushes a bit. Or maybe it's just the fire. How were they? Who? Bees? Crowley wants to smack himself in the head. Oh, yeah, fine, doing just fine. Good old bees. Right. As doesn't look convinced. He closes whatever centuries-old book he's been reading and adds it to the precarious stack beside him. Shall we have dinner? Would you like something to drink? Or he has no cuffs to fuss with, so he fusses with the hem of his t-shirt again. There's a boat. Hard pass on the boat, Crowley interrupts, given our nautical history. It might be Crowley's imagination, but he thinks that as glances toward the pile of books on the couch. The man who has experienced shipwreck shudders even at calm sea, as says very seriously. Ovid said that, I think. I apologize for bringing up such a painful memory. Yes, well, good. I'm sure just the sight of the canoe was enough to cause flashbacks. You're a lovely person, you know that? Real considerate. Nothing like laughing at his trauma to make a man feel at home. There's no bite to Crowley's tone, or maybe just a nibble. And he takes a step toward Avery without thinking. Poor darling, do you need to have a lie down? After using the word nautical, I'd understand if you do. As takes a step toward Crowley, and there's a tilt to his mouth that all makes, almost makes Crowley's knees give out. Heavens, the water was almost up to our shoulders, as I recall. 
I think you're remembering it wrong. We were lost at sea for days, barely escaped with our lives. Crowley moves closer, a planet that can't help but orbit around this particularly lovely star. You're right. I must have repressed things. Given the trauma, Crowley says. Then he realizes how close they are to each other, and every remaining hint of banter dries up in his mouth. You... Glass of wine, then? As asks Brightly, flinching off toward the kitchen. Been struck by a few hundred volts of electricity. What are you in the mood for? I brought a couple of bottles of that Penfolds you liked. Should have been letting one breathe. Oh, all right. They're going to talk, Crowley reminds himself. They will. It won't be nervous chatter about wine and the sea for two weeks. There's got to be a point where the anxiety burns off like the brandy in one of Az's fancy desserts. I'll get there. Or would you prefer the Priorat? As calls from the kitchen. Whatever you like. They're going to talk, and they've got two weeks. Crowley doesn't have to pull the words out with his teeth like they were in itchy stitches. He can wait. He can. As pours them each a glass of wine, and they go out to the deck. Watch the light fade over the lake. It's quiet again. Bit of woodluck. Lark's song, a bit of water against rocks. But Az seems mostly content to sip at his wine and let out soft, contented sighs every now and then. Crowley may well go mad at the sound of them. Can imagine them in a completely different context. Look, he's not proud of himself. When is he ever? He's wearing his sunglasses again, so he thinks he can get away with staring at Az instead of staring at the water. But Az seems to sense it somehow, because he looks over at Crowley and smiles. Fuck. Crowley's still lost in the woods, isn't he? Never found his way out, ate a bunch of poison mushrooms, went fully feral. Will probably be lost forever. This is a lovely place, Az says. I'm glad you're here. What's that word for when you feel too much but can't bear to say it out loud because you'll choke on your own heart? Oh, yeah. Likewise, Crowley says. What he wants to say is, kiss me. I'm glad you're here too. I'd be glad with you anywhere. We could be at the bottom of a mine and I'd still stare at you just like this. Can I kiss you? Or maybe would it be all right if I held your hand? I've done it before, remember? And there's no one around to see it, only the ducks. Could I tell you I love you again? I've done that before, remember? And it was wrong the time... But maybe here, right now, maybe this is the right time. There's no one around to hear it except the ducks again. Ducks can hear, right? They aren't like listening with their tongues or feathers or anything. They've got ears. Do ducks have ears? Must do. Not that they'd care about anyway. Instead, Crowley takes a sip of wine and stares at ass from behind his glasses, committing this moment to memory. He's got a lot of memories that left burn marks in his brain, but this, this, this will be one of the good ones. They go inside after the glasses run dry, and Crowley explores what's in the kitchen while Az fusses with the fire. He can make a bastardized cazio e pepe without any help from Giada, and there are radishes and garlic and a handful of Brussels sprouts in the icebox to spice it up a bit. He tucks his hair up into a bun, ties on an apron, serious business cooking. Soon he's got garlic softening and butter and fresh fettuccine bubbling in the pot. As sets the table, pours more wine. Leans close to the back of Crowley's neck. 
That smells heavenly. Crowley shivers but tries to pretend he didn't. He looks at Az over his shoulder, that stupid soft t-shirt and his stupid gorgeous chest hair. Completely unbloody fair. How is Crowley expected to keep his hands off of him? This is a test. It's got to be. You stay back. I don't trust you in my kitchen. Your kitchen? While I am the chef, it is my kitchen. When you make burnt toast tomorrow or whatever, then it will be your kitchen. How dare you? I can certainly. And then they're kissing. And Crowley isn't sure who moved first or who leaned in or who grabbed the other. But they're kissing in Crowley's kitchen. The air smells like garlic and butter and firewood. And as his soft, soft shirt is clenched in Crowley's hands and Crowley staggers forward, sucking Az's tongue into his mouth, finally, fucking finally, he's exactly where he wants to be. Oh, please, please, Az murmurs against his mouth. And Crowley kisses his throat, his collarbones, licks the salt from his chest. His skin smells like sweat and some sort of cologne and also something burning. Wait. Garlic. He pulls away to turn the heat down. His heart is racing and his hand shakes as he stirs the frying pan. The taste of Az's mouth, the only thing he can think about. You, you see? See what? Az looks bloody staggered, lips parted. I knew I couldn't trust you. Distracting you are. Az breathes out a laugh and Curly focuses on the meal and not the tap dance of his pulse. Nothing gets lit on fire, so that's a plus. He dishes it all out, and they eat at the table together, and they talk about nothing and finish the wine. And Crowley doesn't think about the wide white bed upstairs or the fucking bathtub. He doesn't think about why he's here or what will happen tonight. He just stares at Az's face in the firelight and throws his heart against the wall one last time, hopes that it will stick or at least leave a mark. When the fire is starting to die down and the second bottle of wine is nearly gone, Az looks purposefully at his watch. He gets to his feet and Curly panics. I can take the sofa. I don't have any expectations, all right? It's whatever. You don't have any expectations. That's a shame because I... Az's voice hitches slightly. I do. Not that you can't. Of course, you're free to, but, but if you wanted... What I mean is, he shakes his head in frustration, words clearly failing him. Then he holds out his hand. Crowley looks at it, palm open, welcoming and warm. It can't be for him. It's not for him. Come to bed with me, Az says quietly, if you like. And Crowley takes his hand. Look, it's not always tearing clothing, pulling hair, leaving bite marks against throats. It's not always frantic or up against a wall. You don't always have to break a lamp with the viciousness of your wanting. It's not always, I can't wait anymore, or now, now I need you. Fuck. Sometimes it is like that. Later it will be. But when Crowley imagined it, it was soft. And it is. This time at least, it is. They don't turn on any lights. The moon is shining over the lake, and its light is just kind enough to fall upon the bed in silvered waves. They stand at the foot of it, staring at each other. How do people do this when they're not blind drunk? 
Crowley should have had a couple of shots of whiskey or opened another bottle of wine. He can't stop thinking, and he's going to ruin this. Anthony. Asmus noticed something going on beneath Crowley's wretched skin because he steps forward, puts a hand on the side of Crowley's face. Is, is this what you want? And Crowley's ugly when he's in love. He can't help the way he falls, the grease he leaves on the glass. I'm going to fuck it up. All the blood in Crowley's body is gone, replaced by lust and panic. I know, I know I'm sit down, as says it quickly, the look of the soldier on his face. Sit down on the bed. Crowley does. He fists his hands on his knees, tries not to dissolve as As leans forward, leans down, rests their foreheads together. My darling, he says, can I kiss you? Crowley nods, will never say no to that. He'd cut out his own tongue first. As soon as their mouths touch, the nerves start to fall away. Not entirely. Crowley's prickly with nerves at the best of times. But soon the taste of wine and garlic on Az's tongue, the plush softness of his bottom lip, take up more room in Crowley's nasty inner monologue. Az's hands wind into his hair, and it's better than good. It's better than anything. Crowley had no fucking idea hands in his hair could feel like that. Can I touch you? Az asks. Yes, fuck. Az undoes the button of Crowley's tight, extremely tight, what the fuck was he thinking, jeans. Undoes the zipper, pushes them low on his hips. He reaches inside, pushing past a layer of cotton until Crowley is hot on his palm. And fuck, Jesus, that's... Crowley makes a mortifying mewling sound, thrusts helplessly up into Az's grasp. You gorgeous thing, Az murmurs, lips wet against Crowley's jaw. I'm, I'm going to undress. You stay there. Touch yourself if you like. I'll... Az backs up, pulls his t-shirt one-handed over his head. Crowley is confronted with the reality of Avery's naked torso, the softness of it, the smattering of silvery blonde hair. Not much, just down the breastbone and then below the navel. His mouth bloody waters at the side of it. Stop that, Az says a bit sharply. Az's sharpness works for Crowley in a way he should probably examine when Pepper's around. You look at me like... like what? Crowley can't stop moving his hands, tracing gentle patterns on his hip, his pubic bone, his inner thigh. He's holding off, barely holding off from giving in, giving his cock exactly what it wants, jerking himself off to the side of Az's body. Like I'm... Az looks briefly pained, confronted with something impossible and longed for. Crowley wants to hear him say it, but instead Az shakes his head. Should we close the curtains? Az asks, waving his hand toward the window. The light and this... He gestures toward his stomach, and that's what makes Crowley stop being nervous entirely. He stands up, takes three steps forward until Az is in his arms, and then keeps walking, presses the man against the wall. If you think I can survive this without looking at you. His mouth on Az's neck is vicious. He needs to feel skin between his teeth. Needs to feel the thump of a pulse beating against his tongue. If you think every part of your body isn't perfect, does it make me fucking weak? 
as makes some sort of garbled, inarticulate sound, tilting his head back so that Crowley can lick his throat properly. And Crowley may be a tangle of anxiety and wire coat hangers in a leather jacket, but he jogs almost every day, does yoga most evenings, has a weight routine when he's on the road and feeling twitchy. So what he's saying, not to brag or anything, is that he's got a bit of strength to him. Oh, as gasps as Crowley shifts him into his arms, lifting him off the ground. You wrap your legs around me, Crowley growls against Daz's jaw, pinning him to the wall. What do you want? I'll do anything. He shoves his mouth against Daz's and their tongues slot together like lock and key. What do you want? Do you want it like this? You want me to have you like this? You want me to suck you off again? I'd do it this second if you wanted. Drop to my knees right here. I'd love that. Do you want to fuck my throat? Do you want me to? Please, tell me and I'll do it. Tell me. As kisses him, kisses him like it's the first time in that hotel room. Like this, like, oh, this. And Crowley wants to die. Pleasure always fills him with terror a bit, and he knows that there will be no coming back from this, knows that every moment after this one will be a different color palette, that he'll be marking his life in terms of longitude, taking it apart like segments of an orange, all the before and all the after, after this, after Avery. I'd, I'd quite like you inside me, Avery says, flushing, and I'd like to be in bed. I'd like you to be naked if, if those jeans of yours even come off. Crowley laughs against Daz's throat. You can laugh during sex. Is this that sort of thing all right? Is it okay? And feels Daz's arms wrapped tight around him. His lips brush against Crowley's temple, and Crowley lowers him back to the ground, steps away. The skinny jean process isn't going to be pretty, but it's his shirt that's more concerning. He pulls the hoodie off anyway, and the t-shirt underneath it, holding Az's eyes as he does so. Avery looks at him like he's beautiful, and Crowley doesn't believe it. He knows what he looks like. Ribs and hip bones and a whole stupid history of tattoos that he's lucky he didn't catch something from. A handful of stick and pokes done in filthy back rooms, an illustrated map of Crowley's bad decisions. He knows. He knows what he looks like. Oh, As breathes, and Crowley looks away, turning his attention toward his jeans, shimmying out as gracefully as he can. How do people do this when they aren't high out of their tree? It's impossible, completely mad. Those people are sociopaths, all of them. A moment later, Crowley realizes that he's naked in front of another person for the first time in over a decade. Fucking hell. He forces himself to look back at As, who is naked as well, and soft and smooth-skinned and golden, and, and the man he's in love with. He loves him. He doesn't have to be embarrassed. At least they didn't turn any lights on. I didn't know, As says, about... Crowley clenches his hands into fists, but he doesn't let himself hide. Yeah, I got a bit of uh, ink done. It's nothing pretty. You are? Crowley stares at him. He's overthinking things again, has been standing still for too long. I like them, As continues, and when Crowley shakes his head and runs his hand through his hair and looks away, As steps forward to pet him. 
His hands trace Curly's thighs, his flat stomach. Curly lets himself be touched, which can be rough sometimes, but not this time. He lets Az bend and flick his tongue over each of Curly's nipples. Let's Az lick a path over his collarbones and into his mouth again. They kiss, standing up until Curly is dizzy with it. His hands might never leave Az's hair ever again. Az is the one who pulls away first, and whatever he sees in Crowley's face makes him come to some sort of decision. Get on the bed, against the headboard. Fuck, is it ever good to be told what to do to have someone take control so that he doesn't have to. Crowley climbs onto the bed, stretches out his legs, holds onto the headboard so he doesn't touch himself. He watches Az rummaging around in his suitcase. This is happening. It's happening, and it's okay. This is okay, Az whispers, as if he's reading Crowley's thoughts, as if he's trying to convince the both of them. He climbs onto Crowley's lap, writhing against him, and the two of them let out matching moans. This is good. Fuck yes, this is good. Crowley pulls him closer, grinding their hips together, pressing kisses against Az's throat. Az pulls back, bringing Crowley's fingers to his mouth and sucking on them, laving them with his tongue. It makes the world go briefly white. Please, would you? Everything goes a bit foggy after Az has tasted his fingertips. There will be no coming back from this. His mouth has burned Crowley's fingerprints clean off. Somehow Az is straddling him, slicking Crowley's hand with spit and lube. Somehow Az is above him, looking down as he guides Crowley's fingers inside of him, searching, searching. Oh, yes, that's... There. There's a condom and more lube, and then Az's hands are in Crowley's hair, and he's looking down at him like he's not a rotten junkie covered with scars and shitty tattoos, like he's something beautiful and touchable and holy. It's been a long time, Az says. His voice is trembling as much as his hands are. You have. Crowley isn't sure what he's allowed to ask. Done this before? I'm nearly 50. Do I look like a blushing virgin to you? Az defeats himself by blushing as he asks, and Crowley kisses both of his cheekbones. Yes, Az continues, I have, but never with someone like you. Like me? His mouth goes dry at the question. God knows there's enough people out there with opinions about someone like him. And what has Az heard? It can't be anything good. Maybe he... Someone that I liked. Carly takes a couple of beats to process that. Takes a couple more. When he can breathe around the jagged bits and pieces of his heart, he leans up and kisses Az's throat. Look at me, can you? Az's voice trembles. Is that okay? It is, and Crowley does. He can look forever. He loves the rose petal flush that's blotchy across Az's neck and chest. He loves the curls of blonde chest hair, the pink of his nipples. He loves the mole on his left collarbone, the softness of his shoulders. As nods, getting up on his knees a bit, reaching back to adjust. As he lowers himself, he closes his eyes, but Crowley can't, won't. He's not even going to blink for the two weeks they're here. Oh, fuck, As breathes, the curse sounding strangely proper from his lips. 
surrounds the head of Crowley's cock, and it takes every lesson in mindfulness and self-restraint he's ever learned not to just mindlessly thrust upwards, not to take and take and fuck and fuck. You are, you are so... As is adjusting, breathing, sinking down on him inch by inch. Is it good? Crowley asks. Please, is it? Yes, darling, it's good. It's good. It's... As takes the rest of him, bottoms out, moans like he's been punched. Oh, my God. Oh. The sounds he makes are going to be the end of Crowley's life. As is frantic, barely moving, but already falling apart. Crowley tries desperately to keep breathing. I'm going to. Are you all right? Is this... As his hands are trembling on Crowley's shoulders, his cock impossibly hard and leaking against his stomach. Crowley's flexible enough. He thinks if Az leaned back a bit, he could probably suck him off at the same time. It's a perfect angel. Then Avery moves, a slight shift upwards that sends Crowley's vision spiraling. Oh, fuck, oh. Az sucks a breath in as he sinks back down, tilting his head to look at the ceiling. This is, it is, Crowley gasps, thrusting his hips up just enough to make Az cry out. Here you go. It's good, right? It's good. You love it. As his eyes are closed, as his movements increase steadily, riding Crowley in earnest now. I love it. It's so, God, Christ, like that. Fuck me, angel. Just, just do what you like. I like this. As rises and falls on top of him, muscles of his thighs tensing beneath Crowley's starving hands. Crowley wishes briefly that he could finger Az at the same time, or get Az's cock in his mouth, or lick him where Crowley's cock is fucking into him, or bite the back of his neck, or... Christ, he'll never get enough of this, will he? It's too good, too good, and he's racing toward orgasm already with every noise Az makes low in his white throat. You gorgeous bloody thing, Crowley hisses. Fuck yourself on me, get yourself off. Az cries out, fingers clenching on Crowley's shoulders. Yes, just like that. So Az likes a bit of chatter, eh? Thank God that chattering mindlessly is Crowley's specialty. Like that, like that. I want to see you come. Oh, you, I will, I will. Come all over me, Crowley says, hoping faintly that he can last that long. His mind runs scattershot over too many memories, too many fantasies of this moment none of which hold up to the real thing. In his fantasies, Az was never this soft-skinned, never this wet or hot around him. In his fantasies, Az never whimpered, fuck, when Crowley rocked his hips up, never dug his nails into Crowley's shoulder as he hiccuped in surprise, dropping his hand to stroke his own cock. I can't, I can't, I'm going to, sorry, love, I, love, he said love. And Crowley grabs Az's hips, slams them down on his cock, wanting to make it good, wanting to make Az want him, want him, want me like this. I love you, Crowley says, the mortifying words falling from his mortifying mouth. I love you, please. Az twists one hand into Crowley's hair, tilting his head back and kissing him. It's the hair and the kiss that does it. Crowley loses any control he ever had. Shivers out an orgasm that doesn't stop, can't stop, goes on and on and fucking on. For fuck's sake. 
He has enough reason left to cover Az's hand with his own, the two of them stroking Az through his own release, shocked speechless but still keening against Crowley's lips, his jaw, his throat, in time to the restless rock of his hips. Yes, you gorgeous, fuck yes, Crowley murmurs, hand growing slick, mind going silent, and heart glowing neon pink as Az goes limp in his arms. After. And there is an after. The rest of Crowley's life is going to be an after. They talk in the dark. Maybe that's easier. Maybe it's easier for Az to piece it all together when Crowley isn't staring at him with his chin in his hand, saturated with happiness. Tell me about this one, Az says, mouth against the snake tattoo on Crowley's hip. Cotton mouth. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. I was... They're poisonous. I thought I was too. As kisses it, drags his lips over Crowley's ribs to the ace of spades. Stick and poke, Crowley says, before As can ask. A friend was getting one, wanted both of us to do it. Does it mean something? Means I was a wanker. There's an anchor as well, a diamond, a traditional swallow over top of skull. As kisses them all, laughing against his skin, and Crowley glows so brightly that he lights up the room. Is that a Pear? As pushes Crowley's shoulder forward so he can see it better. Uh, yeah. Best not to go into too many details here. I was not my best. They really should have kicked me out of the shop, though I probably kept throwing money at them. I think I woke up with it. As kisses that tattoo as well. I like pears, he sighs, and Crowley decides that he loves all his tattoos now, the whole ugly mess of his body. Every inch of skin as is touched. What about those? As rubs a thumb across the three round scars on Crowley's breastbone. Um, fuck, fuck, fuck. Burn marks. The first time he relapsed, disgusted with himself, disgusted with the world, that high as a fucking kite. Did, uh, did those myself. He waits for Az to tell him he's a nightmare. Waits to, for Az to say, kindly of course, that he's too broken to touch without getting your fingertips cut. He waits for Az to get up out of the bed and call for help or flee into the night or something. But instead of that, Az's eyebrows pull together. He winces. Then he kisses those three scars, one after another, with just a hint of tongue. Curly's going to faint. He can't hold this much kindness in his body. He feels it at the back of his throat. Bile, blood, spit, it's all too much, all brimming underneath his skin. Real, real fucking drama queen, right? Crowley hopes that he can distract Az from the tremor of his voice if he's flippant enough. Self-harm, who cares? What a laugh. Do you have any? Scars, tattoos, exes' names I should be aware of? Az lifts a hand to his cheekbone almost without thinking. Curly watches the man run his thumb over it, tracing something invisible in the dim light. There's a small one there. I don't know if you can see. As lowers his hand, tilts his head. Curly doesn't notice anything. What happened? My dear, this is terribly embarrassing, but could I hold you for a moment? Oh, fuck right off. Crowley doesn't say it, but Az can bloody well hold him for the rest of his life, if he likes. Never has to ask, never. 
He rolls onto his side and has spoons up behind him, wraps his arms around Crowley's waist and tugs him close. Then he tells him a story. What's a story Crowley has never heard before? It's not a nice story, not a happy one. Tracy's in it, and she's lovely as ever. People are in it too, people Crowley wants to find immediately and grind into the pavement. When Az stops telling the story, he's shaking, and Crowley's hands are clenched around his, all their fingers interwoven and pressed flat on Crowley's chest. Your whole life, there's something in Crowley's throat. It might be a shovel. My, yes, my whole life. Az lets out a long, unsteady breath, and Crowley feels it against the back of his neck, between his shoulder blades. And I don't know, As laughs like breaking glass. How to? I think it might be rather too late for me. It's not, Crowley replies immediately. He's trying to keep his voice calm, trying to keep any trace of anger or grief out of it. Perhaps not, but I... Anthony, I don't know if I can. There are damp lips against the back of Crowley's neck. Every word as is speaking burned directly into his skin. He knows he'll have other scars by the time this trip is over, some more superficial than others. I don't know if I can ever... Hey, Angel, just... Crowley rolls over, has to look at Avery's face right now. In the moonlight, his hair is pale, and his eyes are huge, and he's lost for a moment, until he meets Crowley's gaze. Curly might feel an ache like an ulcer in the pit of his stomach, and he might know a whole awful history. But this man in his bed is still so familiar. I know you, Curly wants to say, but doesn't. I know you. This man gave away a leather jacket the first night they met. He brought Curly tea when he was mid-spectacular breakdown. He held Curly together through one long shoot and into another. The man in his bed looked at Crowley like he wasn't marked or scarred or broken, like he'd never fallen. This man kissed him, kissed him. Crowley leans forward, presses his lips to whatever invisible mark as thinks he has on his cheekbone. I'll take whatever you want to give me. This is going to hurt you, bees is buzzing around in his brain, but Crowley bats them away. It's your choice, but this week... He swallows. Maybe we could just be together however you like. Even if As searches Crowley's face and Crowley pushes his hands through the man's pale hair, dragging his bitten nails slightly against As's scalp. Even if I, even if anything, Angel, he says it and means it, and it does hurt, just a bit, not enough to cause any concern. He has put lit cigarettes out on his skin. This is absolutely nothing in comparison. Why would you... Why are you so kind? Crowley gives Az a look like he's probably given him hundreds of times by now. And are you actually being serious, look? This time, instead of making Az roll his eyes and ignore Crowley entirely, it draws him in for a kiss. There are whole paragraphs of unsaid words in that kiss. There are pages of a book that Crowley will never write, never read aloud with Az's head in his lap. But he can kiss him tonight. They fall asleep there, wrapped around each other, 
and As doesn't say anything about Crowley being clingy or too much. As holds him close and snores against his neck, and whatever Beast said, this bit doesn't hurt. Oh, it's such a perfect day. I'm glad I spent it with you. It's not often that Crowley wakes early. He could sleep and sleep and sleep, could pass whole centuries in bed. But that first morning together, he wakes up before As does, the two of them twined around each other like handsy vines. It's barely light out. Crowley watches As sleep for a bit, not in a creepy way, or maybe it's a bit creepy. Crowley's creepiness meter is off lately. He likes how calm As's face looks when he's sleeping, the gold of his eyelashes against his cheeks. He likes the softly parted lips, wants to lick his way between them, and then kiss his way down As's chest, and take him in his mouth, suck him to hardness, choke on his cock until As's stuttering out an orgasm beneath him. Wow, okay, good morning. Anyway, Crowley isn't going to do that because the man's asleep. Can't be waking him up with oral sex, not without establishing some parameters around that sort of thing. However delicious it might be in Crowley's head, he's going slow. If he's going to fuck it up, and he will, he'll at least try to delay it for as long as possible. Instead, Crowley gently unwinds from the gorgeous warmth of Az's skin. He dresses silently, pulls on a few layers because the air is brisk and clear, the sort of autumn morning you dream about in the dead heat of summer. He creeps down the stairs in wool socks, steps into his boots but doesn't lace them, tromps outside as quietly as he can tromp to have a cigarette. He sits on one of the deck chairs even though the wood is freezing against his skin-tight denim and he wishes he had brought a blanket smokes and watches the ducks and gets helplessly, revoltingly thoughtful. Might never want anything more than this. Might want a week away here and there with Crowley and then nothing else. Might want dinners and drinks together, but no hands touching over the table. No pecks to the cheek on the way to the car. No promises. Or he might not want any of that either. Might want these two weeks and then decide to put an end to it. But Christ, that's like any relationship, isn't it? Crowley's got no right to be making up any kind of plans, having any sort of expectations, because it's new. It's all new, and who knows where it will end up. Just slow the fuck down. Get it together. It doesn't matter how in love you are. And he's never been one for self-control. Huge surprise, right? Don't fall off your deck chair or anything. After the cigarette, Crowley goes back into the cottage and starts the fire, tries to warm the place up a bit. He boils a kettle. There's a French press, and he makes a pot of tea for Az and a pot of coffee for himself. Az comes downstairs at the smell of it, wearing a fuzzy robe and slippers, looking so bloody adorable that Crowley is briefly speechless. Good morning. Az puts his arms around Crowley's waist, kisses his neck. It's so heartbreakingly domestic that Crowley thinks he might go into cardiac arrest. But instead, he says, Good morning. And it is. It is. For nearly two weeks, it goes like this. As spends an afternoon reading and Crowley drowses beside him. There's sun shining in the windows and Crowley wakes up to find himself sprawled against the sofa, his head in Az's lap, and Az's free hand petting idly through his hair. Nothing has ever felt this good, and Crowley bloody purrs as he slowly surfaces out of sleep. I'm sorry, he slurs, embarrassed. I'm all over you. It's quiet.
quite all right, dear, asked Lass gently. You're lovely like this. Sleep as long as you like. And Curly closes his eyes and drifts back to sleep and dreams of a world where he is lovely. It goes like this. They take the canoe out on the lake. Curly isn't thrilled about it, but their only company is the ducks, and Curly doubts they'll kick up enough of a wake to tip the canoe over. As wants to wait until it's dusk, and they bring a bottle of wine with them, then float lazily, watching the stars appear between patches of cloud. Curly makes a wish on every one, and the wish is always the same. The sky shifts from violet to midnight blue, and the two of them drift on the water as if they have nowhere else better to be in the whole world. And for Crowley, at least, it's true. Like this. They sit on the sofa, as his laptop propped on the coffee table, watching the new Avery DuVernay film. Crowley keeps losing the plot, getting distracted by Az's hand resting on the cushion between them, like an invitation, like a question. He puts his own hand down a few inches away from it, as casually as possible. Uses his powers of visualization, whatever, he's fickle and he'll try anything, to will Az to take it. Az doesn't, but he does glance over at Crowley, smile tightly, and look away. Sod this, then. Curly reaches across the distance, traces his thumb over the back of Az's hand. As flinches, a bigger reaction that su than such a simple touch should probably warrant. But he does not pull his hand back. Instead, he laces their fingers together, brings Crowley's hand to his mouth, kisses the back of his knuckles. Also, they have a lot of sex, in case you thought it was all dried roses and hand-holding now. In case you thought that this evening on the couch doesn't end with Crowley climbing into Avery's lap, the two of them making out like teenagers, as his hands under Crowley's shirt and scratching up his spine, their hips grinding and grinding until Crowley swears and blushes and comes in his fucking pants. Jesus Christ. In case you thought the night in the canoe doesn't dissolve into kissing and laughing as they try to keep from tipping over while getting their trousers undone, doesn't result in a desperately hurried trip back to shore and then a series of hot, stumbling kisses on the shoreline. And then as, pressed against the cottage door, cuffs of his trousers wet. I need you now. Please, God, now. You're going to fucking kill me, Angel. Curly dropping to his knees, sucking him off right there, with a, one of Az's delicious thighs draped over his shoulder, Az's hands in his hair, and the duck's bloody traumatized for life. In case you think they don't wake up together and have slow, half-asleep morning sex, Az still opened up and slick from the night before, and Curly nudging up behind him, mouth on his shoulder and hands gentle on his soft stomach, barely thrusting, just rocking against Az until they both reach a quivering, quietly devastating climax that Crowley feels in his fucking teeth. The ugly real world creeps in from time to time. It can't help itself. It can't help but remind them what's at stake here, of what's waiting for them once the two weeks are over. On the fourth day, Crowley thinks he might go to town and asks Az if he wants to come with. Az's eyes go wide for a moment, then shakes his head, a fluttery, nervous gesture. I don't believe I will. I might wander around here a bit, or books, you know. I have lots of reading to do enjoy yourself, though. And that's fine, it's fine. 
So Curly wanders around Ditchling, visits the museum, picks up some more wine, grabs the most expensive chocolates he can find at the gift shop. He stops in briefly at a second-hand bookstore before realizing that he doesn't particularly care about second-hand bookstores. He's only doing it because it's the sort of thing he'd do if everyone were there, if they were here together, which they aren't, which is fine. Fine as it all is, he has to go for a run when he gets back to the cottage, just to get the hell out of his head. For about an hour, he jogs through the woods, letting the world dissolve into white noise. It starts raining about halfway through his route, but the trees block the worst of it. He maybe jogs a bit longer than he should, even though everything is fine, it's fine. And when he gets back to the cottage, the rain is falling harder and his muscles are screaming at him. Fuck, if he's completely locked up for the rest of the trip, he is going to be pissed off. Az is still on the sofa, reading and drinking a mug of cocoa when Curly comes in the door. He watches as Curly drinks a whole pint glass of water and stretches and complains about his hamstrings until Az finally says, Perhaps a, perhaps a soak would help you. A soak? We, I mean, they have a bathtub. <sighs> Curly considers it. He's pretty wet through, shivering and sore, and maybe Az has a point. They haven't used the tub yet, and it's kind of a feature. Yeah, I'll just have a bath then. All right. As turns his attention back to his book, and Crowley tells himself he's imagining the flush of color on his face. He runs the water as hot as it will go. He likes it so warm it hurts a little. Adds a couple of bubbly this and that's and strips off his wet clothes. He doesn't hear Az's footsteps on the stairs until he's completely submerged, head resting on the back of the tub breathing in the lavender-scented air and pretending he isn't writhing with nerves beneath the milky surface. Feel better? Az asks, and Crowley sighs. He doesn't open his eyes until there's a touch on his head, the feeling of his hair tie sliding out of place. Is this okay? Az asks as he strokes the soft hands through Crowley's damp hair, and he can't help the mortifying moan that escapes his mouth. I see. Shut it. There, that's better. Get yourself under control. As has pulled a stool over to the edge of the tub, and he sits there playing with Crowley's hair while Crowley bites down on anything louder than a sigh and melts into fragrant steam. Are you plating it? Don't sound so surprised. I do have a younger sister. As tugs at a loose curl, pulls it tight, but not so tight that it feels anything other than lovely. Is this all right? You have such beautiful hair. I'm so glad you're wearing it long. Sometimes Curly thinks his long hair is more trouble than it's worth, but fuck it. He'll wear it long forever, grow it out past his waist, be some mad old ginger hippie if it means as will pet it and untangle it and braid it back. When Az is finished and Crowley's hair is out of the water and out of his eyes, Az's hands move to Crowley's neck, his shoulders. He presses his thumbs into the muscles there, rubbing the ache out of them. But fucking hell, Crowley can't bite down on these sorts of moans. It makes Az chuckle, and it makes Crowley glow an electric red, but there's no helping it. It feels too good for him to be embarrassed. 
after about 10 minutes of it, it starts to feel good in an entirely different way. Az presses a kiss to the side of his neck, and Crowley reaches up one wet hand, stops him before he can pull away. If you don't get your kid off and get into this tub with me, you'll what, Az says, hint of a smirk on his mouth. But his hands are already unbuttoning the, his shirt. I don't know. It'll be something really devious. Oh, As slips the shirt off his shoulders, peels off the vest underneath. Yeah, Curly can't banter right now. Doesn't have two brain cells to rub together at the sight of As getting naked. It's a bright autumn afternoon, sunlight bleaching the walls around them, and Curly takes advantage of it to do a fair bit of objectifying. He loves the soft curves of Az's torso, the strength of his arms, his thick thighs, the silvery blonde smattering of hair that Crowley always wants to touch, to taste. Fuck me, Crowley murmurs helplessly, and Az raises an eyebrow. All right, but perhaps on dry land, dear. He gets into the tub, hissing a bit at the temperature, submerging himself in increments only. He watches this, too, studies the goosebumps that prickle over Az's skin, the way his nipples tighten. As soon as Az is waist deep, he crawls forward between Crowley's spread thighs and slides slick against his skin. Is that for me? Az asks, fingers running over the length of Crowley's cock, hard since Az started playing with his hair. It's fine. Don't read too much into it. What do you think? Crowley kisses the side of Az's face, his jaw, his neck, already damp with steam. I think it is. Az starts to move his hand very slowly, thumb caressing the tip with every stroke. You've been lying here in this tub, getting all worked up over me. Christ. You've been thinking about me doing this. Avery, you've been wanting me. Curly has, he has, and his hips thrust into Az's grip. He wants this all the time, every minute. It doesn't have to involve sex. No one even has to come. If Curly's skin can be pressed against Avery's, if they can be close enough for Az's heartbeat to rattle in Curly's chest. He twists, tries to reach for Az, but Az lifts his hips back out of reach. My dear. He bites a kiss against Curly's gasping mouth. My darling, just let me. Let me do this. Let me take care of you. Buddy, you're going to kill me. I'll take care of you. As sucks on Crowley's throat. Always I will. Will you come for me? You're so beautiful like this. Come in my hand. I want you to. Jesus. Jesus Christ fucking hell. I'm... It's too much, too good, and Crowley comes with Avery's collarbone between his teeth, bubbles in bathwater sloshing up the sides of the tub, and the world going white, white, white. It goes like this. Crowley is in the kitchen, cooking beef bourguignon with his phone in one hand, fretting over every step. All right, he may have overestimated his culinary talents, but it's kind of like a stew, isn't it? And he's made stew before. This can't be that much different. And okay, he's trying to be a bit flash as the holiday winds down, trying to show us that he can make him posh Julia Child fare whenever he fancies it. 
There's a fair bit of red wine in it, and the longer it simmers, the better it will taste. So far, it tastes fucking fantastic, if he does say so himself. As has gone outside to replenish their firewood, and there is no record player in the cottage, a grieved hipster sigh. So Crowley's got some internet playlist going on his laptop, thanking whatever gods deal with this sort of thing for the two weak bars of Wi-Fi. There's music playing and the light is fading across the sky, and Crowley is stirring the beef bourguignon when he hears the door shut. I'm back, Az calls out merrily. That smells divine. You are entirely too good to me. Not at all, Crowley says, without turning around. He likes the sounds of Az fussing behind him, likes to see if he can imagine exactly what the other man is doing. He hears shoes being taken off and a coat hung up, Here's wood clattering down in a pile by the fireplace. A new song comes on the playlist, some soft bluegrass thing, and Crowley sways briefly to it, filling the sink with hot water. Clean as you cook, right? Jada would probably like that. Then as his hand is on his shoulder, turning him around. Hey! Then as one of Az's hands is sliding down onto his waist, and the other is taking his hand, and they're dancing. It takes Crowley a moment to process it. it. takes him a moment to separate the edges of his body from the music that's reaching from the Bluetooth speakers to touch his aching skin. Romantic nonsense, he manages, ignoring whatever the hell his vocal cords are doing, ignoring the heat that's stinging his eyes. The worst sort of cliché, as responds. They sway together in time with the rhythm of the song. Curly loops his arm around Az's shoulder, presses them as close together as he can. A moment later, he rests his cheek against Az's, gives up any thought of being awkward or embarrassed. Still. Az's lips are close to Curly's ear, and each word sends shivers down his spine. He can feel a pulse beating against the side of his face and doesn't know if it's his or Az's or if it even matters. I thought it might be something to try. Crowley nods, can't speak for a minute, dances with Az in the kitchen, hands around his shoulders, and then sliding down to rest on his hips, and then clutching armfuls of his shirt. Clutching, at least, is something Crowley's good at. Does it all run together? Do the days blend into one? They don't. When Anthony Crowley is an old man, and he does live to be an old man, surprising no one more than himself. He lives past an age he didn't think he'd even reach. He'll sometimes look back on this trip as if each day is a photograph in an album. He will peel each one from the page, hold it to the light, and return to that moment, sweet as a slice of apple on his tongue. It's the tenth day. There are only four days left. There are also sun-dappled sheets and waves lapping at the shore. There are Az's hands on Crowley's hips and Az's sweat-damp forehead between Crowley's shoulder blades. And it is morning. Oh, you're so good. You take me so well, dearest. Crowley lets out a moan he immediately tries to muffle with his forearm. Do you like that? Az asks when I... When I tell you, God, fuck, Angel, I like, I, when I tell you you're good, as punctuates this with a thrust of his hips, 
and Curly gasps out a snarled yarn of curses. Oh, please, ass. Relax a bit for me. Just, oh, yes, just like that. Oh, my darling. Fuck, fucking hell. Curly stutters and his hips jerk. Don't rush. Just like this. As refuses to quicken his pace, keeps Curly right on the edge of madness with each slow, deep thrust. It's too much. Curly has to gulp lungfuls of air, has to focus on the feeling of sheets clenched in his fists, or it will all be over, and it can't be over yet. He needs... He needs to make this last. Harder, please. Fuck. Not yet, as murmurs a beautiful monster who somehow knows preternaturally what will leave Crowley in ruins. He even slows down a fraction, and it makes Crowley wail, all shreds of his dignity forgotten. Angel, angel, I can't, I can't. Hush, darling, you can, I know you can. It's been too long like this, on the precipice of pleasure. Sometimes Curly thinks he's been here for the last ten days, gasping and begging, and so hard it hurts. Can I look at you, please? Please, can I look at you? I want to... All right. As breathes against his skin like he's doing Curly an immense kindness, and he is. He pulls out slowly, and it leaves Curly gasping, so empty he feels hollow. It's worth it, though, to roll onto his back. Worth it to look into Avery's eyes as he grasps Curly's thighs and thrusts home again. Fuck! Curly cries out, and he's ridiculous, and he'd be embarrassed if he wasn't moments away from coming all over his chest. Like that, Avery murmurs, and it takes Curly back to their first kiss, the hotel room door in his hands, nothing but burns on Avery's skin. Oh, God, like that. Sometimes Curly thinks he's been here for the last ten days on his back in this bed. Surely ten days should be time enough to get used to this feeling. The panicky bliss of having access to Az's skin, his hair, the plum bite of his mouth. I can feel you, darling. You're so close. Avery pins Curly's hands above his head. Please. I, I don't oh, fuck me. Want it to end. The slowness is too much. There's more to feel, more time to feel it. Curly thought it might be easier, but it, it isn't. It's so much worse. Leave a mark on me. Bite my neck, my shoulder. God, fuck, quickly before it. As leans forward, sucks a bite mark on Curly's shoulder that makes his spine arch, that makes all the pleasure draw together and punch out of him. It's an orgasm with teeth and tears in it and As pulls his mouth away from Crowley's shoulder, kisses him through the rest of it as that shudders and comes inside of him. Crowley doesn't say I love you, but he thinks it, and he feels it with every beat of the pulse that stings his shoulder. When he can focus again, he tilts his head down to study the purple mark as his teeth have left there, a violet against his skin. He presses a hand to it and kisses As's forehead and never wants to leave this moment. But that's not how it works. The moment dies, and the next one falls into the grave on top of it. They make out a bit after they've both caught their breath, until their mouths get dry and they have to separate to drink some water. I'll put the kettle on, Curly says, and As kisses the palm of his hand. You're so good. 
with wobbly legs, knees that have never locked in their life. Corley throws on some joggers and a t-shirt and makes his way downstairs for the first cigarette of the day. Okay, it's an addiction, but it's also an easy out for when his emotions run too ragged and he needs a bit of space to collect himself. He sits on one of the deck chairs, idly tracing the mark on his shoulder like it's a fucking badge of honor. After a couple of puffs, he looks at the cigarette in his hand. He stubs it out, sticks it in the can, goes back inside to brush his teeth so he can kiss ass properly. But Az is waiting for him at the foot of the stairs. His face is absolutely sheet white, and he's dressed in the rumpled clothes he was wearing yesterday. And his cell phone is in his hand. Oh, God. What's happened? I had it on silent, Az says, breathing heavily, so that we, we could... But my sister, is she okay? She texted. I had missed several calls, so I... As what? Crowley reaches out to touch his shoulder, and as flinches. The man Crowley loves flinches. Flinches away from him. Then he stares at Crowley in shock and splitting grief as the two of them realize what's just happened, what's just changed. Crowley's hand hangs in the air for a moment before he drops it. My father's in the hospital, as says, voice thick. He's, he's had a heart attack. Sorry, I'm so sorry, I have to go. Yes, of course you do. I, as is gathering up his books on the sofa, too many to carry all at once. He's in the hospital back home. It's about five hours to drive. But maybe I should catch a flight from... I'd have to get to Gatwick. As, by the time you get your flight and get back to London, As keeps picking up books and dropping them, and Crowley stops him with a hand on his arm. This time As does not flinch away, just trembles under Crowley's palm. Leave this, Crowley says. We've got the place for four more days. I'll have B send someone round to pack up. Oh, would you? And Crowley knows a good deal about pain and all the shades of it. So he says the worst thing he can think of. Let me go with you. Crowley waits for the no, the better not. Keep talking, keep talking. Look, whatever we are right now, we're friends, right? We're still friends. Let me take care of this, take care of you. I've got the car. We can leave right now. Let me come with you. Avery stares at him hopelessly, then glances around as if looking for an answer in the cottage somewhere. Crowley doesn't know if Az finds it, but after a moment, Az puts his hand on top of Crowley's, and he nods. Good enough to have some love, small enough to slip inside a book, small enough to cover with your hand, because everyone around you wants to look. Amanda Palmer, astronaut. The first person Crowley loved had hair as black as crow feathers and skin like polished mahogany. He was funny and mean, and he wore his tie too low around his throat, was always getting demerits for it. He smoked pot with Crowley out the window of their posh boarding school and was sharp-edged to shattered crockery. Long fingers, soft skin, hard jawline. He kissed Crowley for the first time on a warm day in June, and there were apple blossoms in the trees and on the ground, crushed into the mud beneath Crowley's Doc Martens. He was 15. 
The first person Crowley loved knew a lot about vinyl, listened to the Ramones, and told Crowley that their broken edges fit together, and it was beautiful, and Crowley was too. The first person Crowley loved was a liar. During the drive north, as is mostly on his phone, not talking much, usually listening, asking the occasional, but when, before being cut off by his sister, Sarah, right? Pretty sure it's Sarah. Curly can't hear what she's saying, just the soft murmur of her voice coming out of Az's cell phone. It's like white noise, like static. Az calls Tracy as well, and his voice gets lighter when he talks to her. Curly listens to the shift of it, like Avery's coming up from the bottom of a dark ocean and gasping a breath of air. It makes him want to reach across the gear shift and take Az's hand. So he does. He does. Their palms and fingers still fit together like puzzle pieces, as if they were cut with a jigsaw, as if they were meant to fit. They only stop once on the way, pick up sandwiches and coffee and water, and Az doesn't complain when Crowley pushes the speed limit a bit further than he should, or when he takes Az's hand again the moment they're back in the car. It's about five hours to make the trip, which means Crowley can replay every time Az kissed him, or the weight of Az's body against his own in the bathtub, or that morning in bed together. Crowley still feels wrung out from that orgasm. Can't believe it was just a few hours ago. A few hours ago, his back was damp against Az's chest, and they were moving together deep and slow, and Crowley felt so good, so beautifully unhinged, he thought he'd die from it. But that was a few hours ago. Now, Hartlepool. As gets more and more tense the closer they get to it. When they reach the edge of the city, his hand slides out of Crowley's. That's all right. It isn't a surprise. Crowley really should have been ready for it and had hours to prepare. But it still sneaks up on him, the blade in the dark that you never see coming. This is where you're from, Crowley thinks, taking in the buildings, the streets, the color of the sky. This is where you lived. This is where you grew up. They reach the hospital and park, but as soon as the car is turned off, neither of them move. Az's face is paler than usual. After a moment, he murmurs, How tinted are these windows? So Crowley kisses him. The second person Crowley loved had short spiky hair the color of sweet key limes and skin like copper pennies. She was funny and mean and wore her tights ripped and her arms covered with strips of leather. She did shots of tequila at the bar with Crowley on the night they met, kissed him with salt on her tongue, and it was sharp-edged as a razor pressed up against his throat. Small hands, long neck, high cheekbones. She kissed Crowley for the first time in an alleyway that smelled of piss and bleach. It was the middle of winter and the ground was wet with rain, and Crowley's mouth was wet with spit and lip gloss. He was nineteen. The second person Crowley loved got him his first tattoo, listened to Mil Miriam Milbrecka, and told Crowley that their broken edges fit together, and it was beautiful, and Crowley was beautiful too. And for a while, he believed her. Oh, thank God. In the waiting room, a sturdy woman with a head of blonde curls makes a run for them. She throws her arms around Avery, Sarah, then... Dad's out of surgery. They they think he did all right, but he hasn't come out of sedation yet. Is, is that normal? They aren't concerned about it. 
I spoke to the surgeon. He's going to come back and talk to us about what's next. Crowley lingers at the edge of the conversation, feeling like he always feels out of place. That's not entirely true, though, is it? He didn't feel out of place for the past ten days. For ten days, he felt like he belonged somewhere, like he'd come home. As his sister is staring at him when Crowley gets back from that little disassociative episode. Apologies, uh, as stutters. Sarah, this is... Anthony Crowley, the the actor. Sarah looks at her brother with wide eyes. You've brought you've brought Anthony Crowley here. Crowley tries out a smile. He can feel the nasty bastard junkie bad boy bender scandal silver spoon criminal dripping out of the corners of it. Where's Tracy? Sarah asks. They're only two small words, but they still make Crowley's teeth ache. She's on her way, coming from London. Anthony and I were on a, as cuts his eyes toward Crowley, a publicity tour, a publicity tour. Down south. He drove me up as soon as you called. Oh. There's a little bit of as in the way Sarah says it, a brush stroke of gentle and unexpected gratitude. It makes Crowley's heart suddenly warm, makes him like her more than he had planned. That's so good of you, Anthony. Can I call you Anthony? Do you prefer Mr. Crowley? Anthony's is as much as Crowley gets out before he's pulled into a hug. It's entirely too tight and goes on for entirely too long. Sarah, as interrupts. Crowley tries to control his breathing so he doesn't flinch away from it, go clammy and rigid and fish-skin pale. It's nothing personal. It's just, you know... Oh, I'm sorry. Sarah finally lets go. I should have asked. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I hugged the nurse earlier. I've lost it completely. And I'm such a fan of yours. Sarah. Right. Kids. Her volume increases 300%. Kids, come say hello to your uncle. Three rather sticky-looking children, each of them staring at an iPhone, unfold from a row of chairs and shuffle towards Sarah. Crowley recognizes them from pictures. He hopes they don't all immediately go for a hug as well. He's got nothing against hugging, just he's got to be in the right headspace for it and know the other person pretty well, and unless he's staggering in love with them, he needs a fair bit of notice. Platonic touch is a whole thing. The three kids dutifully say hello to Avery, barely glancing up from their screens. As is so happy to see them that it melts Crowley's heart. Whatever, he's cool. Don't look at him. But before too much small talk can happen, a dark-haired man with a stethoscope around his collar interrupts the reunion. Hello again, Sarah. Would you like to have a word about the surgery? Your father's regained consciousness, and you can see him if... Daniel! The way As says his name knocks Crowley back half a step. The surgeon smiles, lines crinkling at the corners of his eyes. Hello. For a moment, no one says anything. Curly takes another step back. Sarah said you were on your way. The surgeon keeps smiling. Has he got no bloody respect? As his father is ill. I didn't know you weren't here. That's, what a surprise. That's wonderful. Curly checks the surgeon. It's a hand for a wedding ring. 
Not like he has any reason to, just out of curiosity. There's nothing on either hand, but would a surgeon have to take it off to do the whole surgery thing? Is that standard procedure? Crowley will Google it later. You think? It's hardly as exciting as what you've been doing with yourself. But please, both of you, come into my office. I'm sure you've got questions, and then you can see your father if you like. And you're welcome to bring your... The surgeon glances at Crowley and his smile drops. Oh, you're... you're Anthony Crowley. Yeah, hi. Why does this voice sound so prickly all of a sudden? Crowley doesn't even know this bloke, has no reason to get all spiny and arch-backed about it. But As clearly knows him, that's the thing. As looks at him with history in his blue eyes, and it curdles like milk in Crowley's mouth. After some brief negotiations, Sarah and As head off with Daniel, the fucking heart surgeon. How wonderful. And Crowley is left behind, voluntarily, in the waiting room. Sticky children on either side of him. He's already forgotten their names, and he can feel the littlest one, a girl, blonde as her mother, staring at him in his peripheral vision. You were in that wizard film, the oldest says, not looking up from his screen. His hair is shaggy and dark, with blue streaks dyed in it. Oh, shite, yeah, the wizard film. One of the last films Crowley ever made before it went pear-shaped. He practically spent it falling over on the set, missing lines and passing out in his trailer, leaning against things so he didn't slide to the floor and calling it in a character choice. Yeah, I did that one. Are you a real wizard? The youngest asks, tugging on his sleeve. There's no such thing as wizards, the middle sneers before Crowley can think of an answer that isn't too childhood ruining. There's two. What about Harry Potter? He's just from a book. He's made up. He's not. He's real. No, he's not. And Hogwarts isn't real either. And you're not going to wizard school. Leave her alone, Emily, the oldest says. But the youngest one has already started crying. Crowley wants to bolt out the doors and find somewhere anywhere that he's allowed to have a cigarette. Instead, he uses all the bloody mindfulness techniques Pepper ever tried to hammer through his skull. Hey, uh, it's all right. Probably, I mean. He gives a comforting pat to the back of the kid's iPhone. I'm sorry, your sister is right. There's no such thing as wizards. The Middleist says, ha, and turns back to some game involving quite a lot of gunfire. The moment she looks away, Crowley gives the youngest a very mysterious wink. When no reaction is forthcoming, he taps the side of his nose. That means something, right? He raises a single eyebrow, just to be sure the point is getting across. The point being magic and all that. A slow smile spreads across the littlest one's face. She taps the side of her nose and nods slowly. Excellent. Crowley's crazy is catching, spreading to the next generation. God help them all. The kids are mostly quiet and zombie-eyed after that, and the afternoon is a long gray slog aside from the fact that the littlest one keeps trying to hold his hand. Crowley hates hospitals. He thinks that like it's interesting. Is there someone who doesn't hate them? Someone who likes to be around fear and grief and loneliness, all wiped down with antiseptic. When Tracy shows up, it's a godsend, and the kids clearly love her, or they put their phones down anyway, which seems like a pretty clear sign of devotion. 
That awful man left you alone with these three wee hellions, Tracy asks, bending down to kiss Curly's cheek. What's a hellion? The youngest child asks, and Tracy ruffles her hair. She also, bless her heart, has brought Crowley a coffee and tags off with him so that he can have a frantic cigarette in the car park outside. When Az returns from his conversation with the surgeon, Crowley understands how sailors feel at the distant shimmer of dry land, how Noah must have felt at that first sight of the returning dove. They talk in whispers at the edge of the waiting room. Crowley can't stop looking at Az's wrists when his shirt sleeves slide against them at the worry lines etched across his forehead, at his upper lip and the pink of it. You may as well head off. I don't know how long I'll be here. It makes sense, but Crowley is reluctant to leave Az alone. He nods anyway. He doesn't really need to stay, and he shouldn't, not now that Tracy's here. Will you go back to the cottage, or? Nah. Crowley doesn't want to be there by himself even if they still got it booked for four more days. He doesn't want to see the ghost of Az everywhere, the bedroom like a ruined city, all crumbling walls and impressions of former life. Something an archaeologist might explore. This is where they might have eaten. This is where they might have slept. Oh, now see here, it's the impression of knees, where perhaps someone's heart was fucked completely out of his body. All right, well... They're in the middle of a hospital. There's no possible way Crowley can take Az's hand. No possible way he can step forward and kiss him goodbye. They may as well be on different sides of the world. Safe travels. Give me a call. Let me know how your dad's doing. Of course. Okay, I guess I'll see you later. Az knots his hands together like a man made out of macrame. Crowley feels like throwing up feels like an ache, like a vice around his chest. But, Christ, come on, the man's dad is in the hospital. It's not about you, Maine. Leave it alone. Goodbye, my dear. Good. Swallow, speak, leave. Come on, it's not rocket science. Crowley's done it before. Crowley's said goodbye to him a hundred times. Should be used to it by now. Goodbye. He nods and nods and keep no keeps nodding as he walks back to the car. Says goodbye over and over in his head, changing up the inflection, so it doesn't sound quite so much like he's been shot in the throat. Then he drives back to London. The third person Crowley loved had hair the indigo of ink and skin like sand on a beach. He was funny and mean, and he wore silk neckties and shirts with starched cuffs, and he did a lot of cocaine. A lot, a lot of cocaine. They met at a film party, and he was sharp-edged as a credit card. Narrow smile, narrow shoulders, narrow waist. He kissed Curly for the first time in a bathroom, where Curly would later black out, and they fucked in that bathroom, too, and everything felt too hot and too hard simultaneously. But in a good way. In a really fucking good way. Curly was 22, the third person Crowley loved had money, too much of it, and listened to pulp and told Crowley that their broken edges fit together and it was beautiful and Crowley was too. Crowley should have been smarter this time. He really should have been. Az stays in Hartlepool for almost two weeks. Crowley knows this because Az texts him with updates and calls him when he has a chance, 
which isn't often, what with his whole family kicking around. Az gets back to London around 8 on a Tuesday night. Curly knows this because the man shows up at his door. Curly's been wasting time watching pastry videos on YouTube while, all right, while moping. Just a bit of moping in a really casual way, just enough to still seem cool. It's a delicate science, a bit like the pastry videos he's watching. Curly's never been one for desserts, not much of a sweet tooth, but he's thinking of giving the whole thing a try just to see if he can, to see if he can get the butter and sugar just right, see if he can get Az to smack his lips, close his eyes, murmur, oh my dear, that's delicious, before Curly licks the icing sugar from his mouth. When there's a knock on the door, Curly stops moping immediately. Waiting outside is the impossibly exhausted man of his dreams. Can I come in? Yes. Curly wishes he didn't look quite so rough around the edges, wishes he had shaved this morning and put on a less ratty t-shirt. But it's too late for that now. God, of course, come in. Az glances around the flat like he's never seen it before, like it's new. I dropped my bags off first, but then came straight here. I, I hope I'm not imposing. I should have rung you. He doesn't sit down, doesn't even take off his coat. Dad's back at home. He's been home a couple of days now. He's doing so much better. That's, that's good. Glad to hear it. Do you want... Curly doesn't have much in the way of food, but he's got a few bottles of tolerable wine. I could make you something or order in whatever you'd like. I'd like you to close your blinds. Curly's mouth goes dry. His heart might stop, but in a really cool, casual way. Right. It has been two weeks of hospitals, as murmurs, while Curly tries not to close the blinds so quickly he tears them off the wall. I want to feel anything, anything other than... That's as far as he gets before Crowley, done with the bloody blinds at last, is swooping us into his arms, slotting their mouths together, murmuring, fuck, 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 into a feverish kiss. I want your shirt off, as says against Crowley's neck. Yeah, okay. Curly tries to lean back to pull the t-shirt over his head, but Az keeps him in place, mouth sliding against his jaw. And I want you in a bed. Just full of demands, aren't you? Yes, Az gasps as Curly insinuates his thigh between Az's legs, grinding against the rigid outline of his cock. I made you like this. It's because of me, because you want me. Yes, I am. They make it to the bed, barely. Curly has Az on his back at the edge of the mattress and fucks him with both feet still planted on the floor, bent over Az with sweat dripping off his forehead and one of Az's legs resting high on his shoulder. God, Satan, whoever the fuck is listening, Az is lovely like this, eyes wine and shining blue as cobalt. Curly licks kisses on his collarbone and up his throat. Don't leave a mark on him, not ever. Until he reaches Az's perfect pink lips. And then they kiss for so long, Crowley basically forgets they're having sex. Forgets about anything other than his tongue in Avery's mouth. Um, darling, if you don't move. Shit, yeah, right. It goes on like this for a while. The stop and start of it. Crowley's ravenous hands and starving mouth and his utter inability to decide what he wants more of. It's as slow as honey dripping from a spoon. And when Crowley finally comes... Az's face held tight between his hands. 
It feels like he won't stop. Like it can't stop. Like he'll stay hard and keep fucking us through it. Get him off again and again and fuck yes. Like that, you gorgeous. Come for me, come for me, please. But it does stop. Human physiology and all that. Once the convent's been dealt with, once Crowley had licked ass open and clean until the other men moaned and said, That's enough, dear. They somehow managed to climb up the bed, sprawl in it together. Crowley's head rests damp and heavy on Az's chest, and Az runs his hands through Crowley's hair. The sort of knife that's so sharp it can slip between your ribs without you ever noticing. Az knows all his weaknesses at this point. He's entirely too dangerous. Crowley doesn't want to ask it, but the question burns his mouth. What do we do now? How long can I keep you? How much time do I have? As keeps petting his hair, hands steady and gentle. I, I don't know. I didn't think this was something I'd have to plan for. I never... He trails off. Curly practices being present, staying in the moment, focuses on the blunt fingernail scraping against his scalp, the quiet heartbeat under his ear. That old exercise Pepper taught him. How many things can you see, can you hear, can you smell, besides skin, skin, skin? How many things can you feel? How many pieces can your heart split into and still be visible to the naked eye? What's smaller, a shard or a splinter? Where are you off to next? Crowley asks instead. Well, I'm here until Christmas, doing that benefit play, the one at the National, a bit of the talk show circuit, and then a couple functions for the foundation, you know. As breathes slowly, it ruffles Crowley's hair. Where are you? Here for a bit, then some conventions in Europe. Crowley has an extremely stupid thought, regrets it before it's even out of his mouth. Should I share my calendar with you? Then you could, if you... Would you? Sure, I mean, cool, casual, not a big deal by any measure. If you want. The petting continues, and it's hypnotic. Crowley could be lulled to sleep. Feels like he's on the ocean, drifting in a canoe over gentle waves. Green water writhing with jellyfish, a hand tucked warm against his own. This won't be enough for you, Az says suddenly. His hand stills, the boat fucking rocks. It will be. Crowley doesn't know how he manages to make those words happen, but they happen immediately. They're in his chest and then his throat, and then spilling off the tip of his tongue like he's had them ready for decades. This is enough. You're enough. I'll take your scraps. I'll take your crumbs. I'll take whatever you can give me. Fuck, he should probably talk to Pepper. How could it? When Crowley lifts his head, Az's face is gray. Because it's you. Crowley doesn't say that bit, reels it in. He needs someone to direct his life, maybe. Pull back the longing, Anthony. It's spilling everywhere. Look, we don't have to figure everything out. Any sort of thing like this, any relationship will be hard, right? with our schedules and everything. So why don't we just take it as it comes, figure it out as we go. This is going to hurt you. 
Shut the fuck up, bees. No one asked for you to weigh in on this. We can take things slow. You've got your rules. You don't want it to be public. Okay, we'll be careful. We, we can still carry on as we have been. We'll just be careful. And you do that. As if Eve, as Eva needs to ask. Curly kisses him once, and then a second time. He's got an addictive personality. I didn't have a choice when I, you know, came out or whatever. Although nobody had a gun to my head. I was just too fucking stupid not to bugger it up completely. Spectacularly, I might add. Anthony, I won't let you just... No, stop. I know it's true, and I'm trying to tell you... I would never take that choice from you. Not ever. This is in your hands, Angel. That's something true as well. Crowley wouldn't take control away from Az. He'd die first. But that's easier said than done, right? Like most of the shit Crowley says. Like most of the shit Crowley does. As long as Tracy's still involved, I don't think anyone will suspect anything. Yeah. That's a whole nother thing Crowley is going to have to wrap his head around. Fuck his life. But he meant what he said before. This, these stolen moments, they'll be enough. We'll be careful. As leans over, kisses him so gently, it's more like a puff of air. It makes Crowley's face flush with color. His wrung-out cock twitches just slightly, making a valiant and futile effort. Is it really gone too? Oh, drat. I suppose, please don't say it, I suppose I'd better head off before, well, it wouldn't do to have someone see me leaving your building, would it? Thinking things. Something is wrong with Crowley's mouth, like he's having an allergic reaction. Everything feels tight, stings slightly. All right. Brunch tomorrow? Or would you like to see a film? Or, sure, Angel. It's getting harder to speak, and Crowley doesn't know why. Ring, ring me up, then. Let me know. As pulls himself out of bed, and all the warmth in the world goes with him. The fourth person Crowley loved had hair like a storm cloud and skin like ironed linen. He was funny and mean, and an artist. So Crowley was fucked up pretty much from the beginning. He made sculptures out of clay and wire, had a trust fund the length of the tower bridge, and was sharp-edged as an eye-tooth ragging against an ulnar artery. Lined eyes, strong hands, quick temper. He kissed Crowley for the first time during a lightning storm, some sort of bohemian cliché, and his mouth tasted like electricity in a magnetic north. Their first date lasted 72 hours. Crowley was 28, Luke was 32. Christ, sometimes they fought like street dogs, and sometimes they got off on all the surfaces of Crowley's house, and sometimes they didn't sleep for days, strung out and in love and staccato with the joy of it. The fourth person Crowley loved introduced him to people, introduced him to music, introduced him to feelings, experiences, risks he'd never taken before. The fourth person Crowley loved trailed hearts behind him like rose petals and talked shit just because he could and had a history of altercations with the law, and fancied himself as much of a mad, bad Lord Byron type as you could be in skinny jeans and studded boots. He listened to French and German bands that Crowley had never heard before, and he knew underground artists and walked straight into all the best parties, 
and he told Crowley that their broken edges fit together and it was beautiful. And Crowley was too. For a while, a while, he was. And Crowley loved him. Would have cut his whole heart out and offered it up in a blood-filled teacup. And Crowley knew nothing would ever feel like this again. Nothing would hurt this bad and this beautifully. Nothing would hold a candle to it. For years and years and years, nothing did. The publicity ramps up as autumn shifts into winter. Crowley goes to Berlin, goes to Edinburgh, goes to Madrid. He does an interview in GQ, gets a cover photo where he's dressed in leather pants and black sunglasses with the headline Prodigal Son. Ugh, mom and dad are going to be well pleased about that one. Crowley starts getting spotted on the street now and then, gets people asking for his autograph on the tube. In October, he flies to New York to meet up with Az and Anathema and does a photo shoot for Vanity Fucking Fair. He hasn't seen Az for three weeks, and they get to lark about in a misty field with Annie Leibowitz, and then go back to his hotel room and have dangerously frantic shower sex, their feet sliding in the tub, Az's hands sliding against the slick tile wall as Crowley fucks him, gasping three weeks of distance into his shoulder blades. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, my fucking... The heat and the steam and the ache in Crowley's chest... He almost faints when he comes. I want to wake up with you, he thinks hours later as he watches Avery button up his shirt, fix his hair, call for a taxi. I don't want you sneaking out in the middle of the night. I want to hold your hand across the table in a restaurant. Let the bloody paps take all the pictures they like. I want to wake up with you and have nowhere to be but our bed. I want to make you breakfast. Put the kettle on. Look out the kitchen window in silence while you're sleeping. When Az kisses him goodbye, Crowley's hands still smell like his cum and his skin. I want to wake up with you. Crowley's off to conventions in Dayton and then Louisville and Memphis after that. He signs autographs, poses for photographs with fans, answers questions on panels. He talks about the upcoming season, talks about his co-stars, talks a lot about Avery Fallon. Yeah, I'm aware of the stories about the two of us. It's real flattering stuff. Well, I assume it's flattering. I haven't read any myself, but you've got to hope if someone's writing sexy stories about you, they'll at least have you know what you're doing. Does it make you uncomfortable? The girl at the microphone asks. Not if everyone involved is having a good time. I mean, I'm not going to seek them out or anything, but if it brings people together to make art, that's a hell of a thing. It's a good thing. I'm not bothered. And it's fiction, right? Clearly, Avery's got his lovely partner, and I've got... A Netflix queue of romantic comedies and a couple pints of ice cream. And we're colleagues. Friends. At the end of the day, well, he should be so lucky. That gets a laugh. Crowley goes back to the hotel that evening and holds a pillow over his face so he can scream as loud as he wants to without alarming his neighbors. When he calls Az that night, the man asks how he's doing. Crowley says, fine. Exhausted, but fine. He does not say, my heart is breaking. Why is my heart breaking? I have you now. I get to touch you sometimes. I get to tell you I love you when I can bear to say the words. Why doesn't this feel like a happy ending? I miss you, As says quietly. Ten days until London. Ten days, Crowley repeats, and there's a shovel in his throat.
The Christmas season barrels down on them, fairy lights strung up on windows and wound along streetlights. Everything shines with rain, and Crowley's always been a cold-blooded reptilian sort of creature. Wears ten layers every time he has to leave his flat. It's hard to look cool in a check shirt, but he's given it the old college try. No matter where he goes, there's some sort of Christmas music playing. He feels like he might be cursed, except when it's the Pogues. Quality fucking song, fairy tale of New York. Just pump that shit straight into his veins. What are you doing for the holidays? He asks Az over the phone. He's back in London, lying in bed, mug of tea cooling on the nightstand beside him. Az is fucked off to Wales for some charity thing, but at least Crowley doesn't have to deal with time zones. He asks about the holidays out of pure curiosity, not really expecting much of an answer. He certainly doesn't think Az is going to spend the holidays with him, and it will all melt into a treacly Christmas Hallmark film. He just wants to know the whens and wheres of the other man's existence, his life without Crowley. We're all going back home, spending it with Dad. Sarah's idea, it's going to be, if I'm being honest, absolute mayhem, a complete nightmare. <laughs> Don't hold back. Tell me what you really think. Don't tempt me. You'll never speak to me again. Crowley chuckles. I don't know about that. You're rather charming when you're furious. As sighs. There's nothing charming about it. Sarah's husband and my father aren't exactly best of friends. They'll both be at the hospital or in jail before the week's out. Christ, that sounds like a lot. Certainly will be. At least Trace is coming. She's an excellent mediator. As goes quiet briefly. Somewhere in the distance, Crowley can hear a bit of fairy tale of New York. Or maybe that song is just permanently in his head at this point. I did wonder, will you be around for New Year's? Crowley tastes blood in his mouth. It might be his imagination, or he might have just bitten the tip of his tongue off. New Year's, he repeats like a moron. Yes, I'll be back in London by then. We could have a drink? Dinner? I don't have any plans yet, and Tracy's going to New York with the girls. What do you think? Crowley hasn't done much for New Year's for the past decade, really. There's something about that day, the excess, the rush of it, the panic that a year's gone by and you're still the same twat you ever were. It's caused a bit of trouble for Crowley in the past, mentally, chemically as well. But the thought of having Avery fell by his side, even if he can't touch him until the blinds are drawn and the doors are locked. Sure, yeah. Curly is casual and cool, and not at all a collapsing star in a vaguely human shape. Sounds good. Lovely. And it is, it is. I think you are consciously making choices that don't disrupt your toxic self-image. Jesus, fuck, Pepper, don't hold back. Tell me what you really think. Pepper doesn't wait for Curly to say a bloody word. Just starts listing his many failings on her fingertips. You fall in love with a man who is, at least initially, unavailable. Then you enter a relationship where all the rules are being set by another person, and you tell yourself that's more than you deserve. Yeah, and? And it reinforces this narrative of unworthiness. Pepper taps her pen three times against her notebook. And if it ever ends, you can just tell yourself you weren't good enough to keep him. How does this sound to you? It sounds... 
Christ, how many more appointments does Crowley have to go to? Surely if Pepper was worth the exorbitant Phoebe's is doling out, she'd have fixed him by now. Doesn't she have a magic wand she can wave over his dented head? It sounds about right. That you think that this is what you deserve? Well, I mean, I've done some things, made pretty rotten choices back in the... Shit, you know me, you know what I've done. And you have to flagellate yourself for that for how long? How many years of this before you'll feel like you're forgivable? It's not like that. Curly has to clear his throat. Unforgivable, right? Unforgivable. That's what I am. Anyway, so Pepper doesn't like it. But when does she like anything Crowley does, any of the choices he makes? The unfortunate thing is Crowley's getting slower and slower at dodging some of her sharper comments. Sometimes after an appointment, he has to replay the entire conversation in his head while he goes running. Sometimes he has to lie down on the couch and try to repress the last hour of his life. But more often than not, he thinks about it. Never, ever a good idea. With Pepper's words echoing around his empty skull, Crowley initially plans on spending Christmas alone. But then he gets a bit thoughtful. Holidays don't mean all that much to him, and it's not like his parents would want him to come for a visit, but... But it's almost Christmas, and he's in love. The twisted path of his twisted thoughts don't really bear discussing, but long story short, he goes absolutely mental and invites bees. And even though they are less than enthusiastic, frankly a bit hostile about the invite, they accept. Crowley watches a few YouTube videos, sorry Giada, and actually does prepare a proper roast with gravy and parsnips and Brussels sprouts and Yorkshire puddings. It isn't the first time Bees has been to his flat, but it's the first time he's ever invited them over for anything other than business. They stare at him as he brings the roast out of the oven, scowling like he's threatened the life of their nan. Since when do you think you're Gordon Bloody Ramsay? Curly just about hits the ceiling. Don't say his name in this house ever again. We love one chef in this house, and that sadistic little Lord Fauntleroy-looking motherfucker is not the one chef we love. Um, Bees is almost speechless for once. Clearly, they did not know the depths of Crowley's feelings about Gordon Ramsay. Yes, chef. At least the roast is good, and the conversation is interesting. There's some buzz, you know. Supper's finished, the plates have been cleared, and Bees is staring sullenly into a glass of sparkling apple juice. Some buzz, Bees? Bees would murder him with telekinesis if they could. Do you want to hear about it or not? Yes, some buzz about the last season. About you, if you must know. That's a bit of a smack. The good kind, though, to a fun place. About me, but... Not that your co-star didn't get rave reviews and all that, but only I've heard talk. With award season coming up, I thought I'd give you some time to prepare. Prepare? Curly still can't make these words relate in any way to himself. Prepare for a nomination. Show's been nominated before. It's not for you, you idiot. Again, Curly can't piece the words and meaning together. Like, there must be something here, some trick, or some joke at his expense. 
Bees is absolutely the type. For me. Never mind. I wish I hadn't brought it up. Should have had flashcards ready. Puppets, maybe, to make things easier for you. You think I might be nominated for something. Here we go. Wheels are turning. Things are happening. For Warlock. Me. Bees gives him a scathing look. No, an aardvark. Who else would I be talking about? Crowley's never been nominated before for anything. The kind of films he did in the past were more popular than critically acclaimed, and his parents never let him forget it. There was a bit of Oscar hype around strings, but it came out at a tricky time of year, so everyone sort of forgot about it. And from that point onwards, Crowley was mostly just taking gigs that paid the most money so that he could put that money to bad ends. Shit, he might cry. Do you really think... I'm not going to answer that again. I regret everything. Now pour me more juice or whatever and let's talk shit about your competition. Miraculously, Crowley survives Christmas dinner with bees. New Year's is a different story. We'll get there. Just hold on to something. As comes back to London, goes over to Crowley's. Crowley has the blinds pulled tight and snug and safe, and as is crowding Crowley up against the door the moment after it shuts. They kiss and they kiss and they kiss. Crowley has his hands under Az's shirt, mouth latched onto Az's throat. Their hips rock together until things get too close for comfort and they have to quickly find a soft, flat surface. Afterward, after they've cleaned up and redressed and let their heartbeat slow a fraction, Az gives him a Christmas present. Or another one. It's an extremely fucking rare Velvet Underground LP box set. That complete get, it has another view. Where the hell did he find this? Curly has various and sudden regrets about the quality of his own Christmas gift for Az. He'll have to do better next year. Oh no, nope, fuck's sake, rip that thought out by the roots, you lovesick bastard. You got me. Az tears off the wrapping paper. The thing about roses? On DVD. Crowley smiles like an absolute monster. See there? I signed it. You absolute monster. Oh good, Crowley got his point across. I could tell you were a huge fan. Yes, thank you ever so much. A collector's item, I'm sure. Genuine Anthony Crowley memorabilia. I'll add it to the shrine, shall I? You better. Crowley could do this forever, could trade idiotic comments back and forth with Az all night. It's the next best thing to touching him, kissing him, making him laugh, watching him enjoy something decadent and sweet. Speaking of, you want to grab dinner somewhere? Az does, so they do. They take the long way there, a tapas place Az keeps wanting to try, where Crowley watches him eat. Patatas bravas with the increasing pangs of longing. They share a bottle of wine, and Crowley's tolerance is shit these days. He's been cutting back a lot. So the tiny restaurant goes beautifully soft and light around its edges. Crowley feels like he's made of warm water held in cupped hands and brimming. Stop that. As muffles the words behind his napkin, dabbing at his lips. Stop what? That look on your face, it's... Yes? Crowley raises an eyebrow. Suggestive. Is it? 
Any particular suggestions that come to mind? Alice rolls his eyes at him, but it's so bloody fond that Crowley feels it in his spine. He loves this man. He fucking loves him. He wants to say it out loud, not just in whispers against Az's skin in the dead of night. I'll tell you later if I think of it. See what I can do about jogging your memory. The waitress asks them both for their autographs in a sweet, shy way, so that's all right. They've gone out for meals before. It's nothing unusual, nothing untoward. When the wine is finished and Az's plates have been scraped clean, they decide to walk back to Crowley's flat. They take the long way again. The world is shiny with rain, but the sky is clear and dark and starlit as salt scattered on a tablecloth. The streets aren't too busy yet, though it's only gone ten, and the same neighborhood will be a mess after all the parties let out. Crowley tries not to look too obviously at the men walking beside him, tries not to bleed affection out of the corner of his eyes with every glance. He clearly does, though, because as nudges him, Grinning, and Crowley nudges him back, and there are still lights strung up from Christmas, and Crowley's heart shines brighter than all of them. They cut through an alleyway to get one of the main streets. It's dark and quiet, and they're completely alone. As nudges him again. You, he says. The only other sound is the smack of their shoes on the wet pavement. What? You look at me like... Crowley stops walking, looks at As in the darkness. Like what? Like you. As licks his lips and Crowley has to stare at them. Can't help himself. Like you want to. Crowley pushes him up against the bricks and As gasps out of breath. Tugs Crowley forward by the hair until they're kissing. Stupid, stupid, so fucking stupid. Because a door opens. Of course, of course a door opens. A slice of light cuts through the darkness. Sorry to break up an intimate moment, but a restaurant worker of some sort comes out carrying a bin bag, and in a panic, Crowley, stupid, stupid again, jerks his head toward her. Shit, you're Anthony Crowley. Should have hunched his shoulders, taken off the bloody opposite direction, should never have cut through the alley, should never have put his hands on Az's soft tweed coat. Watch your fucking mouth, mate. Crowley shoves Az against the back wall, playing up the slur in his voice and hoping it will drown out the panic. Crowley! Insufferable prick, and you, you mind your business, eh? The woman has her phone out, and Crowley immediately steps in front of Az, taking the flash full in the face. The only way out is through, so Crowley weaves toward her, doing his best to look drunk as fuck and absolutely unhinged. At least one of those things is true right now. You delete that fucking picture or you'll hear from my lawyer. You touch me and I'll call the police. Tell them you just assaulted your friend back there. The woman stands her ground but peers over Crowley's shoulder. You all right? A pair of you can, can fuck off. Crowley storms away and keeps storming and walks and walks and walks. Probably passes his apartment. He doesn't know. He doesn't know how much time passes before he stops walking, has to hold his hand out and lean against whatever building is closest. Parties are letting out. People are running into the streets, counting down from ten, kissing each other. Music is playing and there's light and glitter. And Crowley feels like the world has never been darker and his heart will never stop beating. Christ, maybe that's the worst thing of all. 
He must make it home. He must. Somehow he ends up at his doorway, in his bed. And he doesn't sleep, but he doesn't answer his phone either. And the next morning he has four missed calls from bees and two from his mom and eight from Az, Angel in his contacts. The leading story on TMZ is Anthony Crowley's wild New Year's Eve. Celebrity bad boy goes on a bender, assaults Warlock co-star. Thank fucking fuck. That's the story. The story isn't the taste of tempranillo on Oz's lips, or the wet brick against his back, or the blinding light of Crowley's senseless devotion. The story is Crowley being a fucking mess, as per fucking usual. He's ready to find religion and light every candle with gratitude to whatever God gives a shit about this sort of thing. Whoever kept Az's name out of the headlines. He and Az meet in Victoria Park. Az calls him and calls him and Crowley finally answers. There's a bandstand in the middle of it and it's early on New Year's Day and there's basically no one around. Az is waiting for him there when Crowley arrives, half sick with sleeplessness and longing. Why didn't you answer me? Az asks immediately. His eyes are lined with purple like there are bruises beneath them. My phone calls last night. Curly shrugs. He thought he was ready for this conversation, but the sight of Az's face, his throat has gotten too tight to speak. I, I saw the headlines, Az continues. Gabriel got in touch with me immediately. We're going to release a statement. Curly exhales through his nostrils, tries to imagine the worst thing Az could say next. They'll say that you and I had a disagreement, that we had both been drinking, and that no one was assaulted. Good Lord. I'm not in the photograph. There's nothing to see. Oh, Curly nods. That kind of statement. Yes, that kind. Curly, you can't just do this sort of thing. Just throw yourself in harm's way for me without a thought to your career. Just just think of how it looks. I don't give a fuck how it looks. Curly's jaw is so tight it's going to snap like a violin string. I know that's not true. It is true. I'm done with it. But the press. For the record, Curly takes a deep breath, sees scarlet fireworks behind his eyelids. Great pustulant mangled bollocks to the press. They can say what they like about me. I don't bloody care. You do care. You do because you know what it was like. Whatever you say, you were like me once. That was a long time ago. The wooden boards of the bandstand feel hollow beneath Crowley's feet. Any second now, he might take a wrong step and just go crashing through them. Last night, Az tries again. I shouldn't have done that. I should have known better. I'm so sorry. Don't you dare apologize, Curly grits between his teeth. You did nothing, but it's my fault. I'm the reason we were almost, and I'm saying I don't fucking care. There are tears in Curly's eyes, genuinely now, and he can't repress them away. If this all goes down in flames, if it all falls apart, we can go off together go off together and listen to yourself. As shakes his head, you don't just abandon everything you've worked for. Don't give up your career for a, for, for a what? A fling? A fuck? Curly can't answer that question and he hopes to hell that Az can't answer it either. This is ridiculous. 
I'm ridiculous. I don't know what I was thinking. I should have known better. Should have known you wouldn't understand. We're different people. We're the same, Crowley hisses and desperately wants to believe in. We're not, as closes his eyes. It feels like there's an impossible distance between them, and even still Crowley can see the violet-colored veins in the other man's eyelids. And Crowley loves them, and Crowley loves him. Maybe now, at the ruined edge of everything, Crowley always will. Not anymore, as licks his lips. Crowley still wants to kiss him, even as he's bleeding to death in Victoria Park. It's over. I'm... I'm so sorry. Right. Crowley twitches as he says it. He can't help it. He can't help it. He's got to he's got to keep moving or he'll stop breathing. Well, all right. Have a nice whatever. As his chin wobbles, but he won't look at him. And Crowley knew it was coming, knew it would happen. Even Pepper warned him and he still wasn't ready. He twitches and trips, and yet somehow manages to walk away without falling over. Then he walks, and he walks, and he walks. Clean off the edge of the earth. Or he would, if that was an option. As it is, the last person Crowley loved had hair like expensive writing paper, and skin as soft as petals. He was fussy, and he was kind. He wore cravats and waistcoats and looked like a Victorian dandy who had rolled around in a bunch of second-hand books. They met at a film premiere. The last person Crowley loved wasn't sharp at all. He was soft. He was soft, round-edged, and gentle-fingered. He was something Crowley didn't think he'd ever want until he didn't want anything else. They kissed for the first time for a television scene, and Crowley pinned him up against a hotel door and let his wasted heart burn itself black beneath his ribcage. He was 46, too old to feel like this. But some days he felt a lot older. The last person Crowley loved was a spark in a bed of straw, a headlight at the end of a long road, a lighthouse on the coast, a lighthouse that called the Velvet Underground a bebop and loved dark chocolate and rare meat, and told Crowley nothing. He never really put it into words, did he? Though once, once, he called Crowley love. Oh, and this soft heartache was somehow the sharpest of them all. Soft landing and interlude. Here we are again, but where exactly is that? September Hartlepool. Avery stays in the hospital for most of the day most of the night as well. His dad has been in and out of consciousness pretty consistently, isn't in any state to recognize visitors, but Avery finds himself unable to leave his bedside, unable to look away from the stilted rise and fall of his dad's chest, or the heart monitor spiking gently as it's supposed to. His dad is alive. He looks so much smaller in the hospital bed than Avery remembers. Wasn't this man a giant? Hadn't he picked Avery up and put him on his shoulders once? Hadn't he been a mountain stomping around the living room, terrifying the life out of everyone that got into his rocky bath? How could he have managed it when he's so narrow-boned and fragile, all fed through with tubes and wires? Avery lets his head fall backwards, resting it against the wall behind the extremely uncomfortable chair he's folded himself into. 
He closes his eyes and tries to remember the smell of trees. Trees and fresh air and soapy bath water. And something else underneath it, the smell of Crowley's skin. And Avery couldn't stop staring at him, couldn't stop touching him, wanted him, wanted him. He tries to remember these things, but the background is still a chorus of beeping machines. There's nowhere he can be but here. Sarah has gone back to Dad's house with the kids, and Tracy went with her. She's going to stay there so that Sarah can come back to the hospital. And God, Avery doesn't deserve Tracy. Never has. He thinks about calling Crowley. He always thinks about calling Crowley. His voice alone would be enough to give Avery a few more hours of energy. He'd be all kind and sarcastic, and maybe Avery would make him laugh. That's like a bolt of electricity to Avery's heart every time. His thumb traces over the screen of his phone. It would be a simple thing to dial the number. Ask how his trip home was. Ask how he was doing. What he was doing. Unpacking or fussing with his plants or listening to music or about to go out, maybe. Go out and surround himself with people much more interesting and available than Avery. Better people, certainly. But Avery doesn't call. Instead, he goes down to the cafeteria, slumps over a table with a cup of tea and a stale scone. He's not hungry, but he knows he should eat something. There's a little voice in his head that pushes him forward even when he doesn't want to be pushed. Some mosquito whine of survival that's been with him for decades. Was probably responsible for keeping him alive during his twenties. Sometimes he likes to imagine it's his mom. This is where Daniel finds him. At the sight of the man, Avery panics, nearly falls out of his chair. His dad has something... Oh, God, no, I'm sorry. He's fine. Everything's fine. I'm just... Daniel gestures with his thermos. On a break. Oh. Avery sags a bit with relief and exhaustion both. I'm sorry, and here I am panicking. Don't worry, it's the reaction I usually get. The reaction I expect these days. Daniel sits down across from him. If people don't stare at me in terror, I feel completely put off. Avery manages some sort of laugh. He rests his chin on his palm, gaze sliding up to study Daniel's face. Daniel looks good, a bit soft at the jaw in the middle, lovely laugh lines around his eyes and mouth. Avery cannot believe they were children once, best friends even, that there was a time when the sight of Daniel's face would have... Well, it doesn't matter. Lifetimes ago. So you've been doing well for yourself, Daniel says. I suppose, better than I ever expected. I'm glad. I knew you had it in you, even back then. Oh, well, that's very kind. Avery can feel himself blushing, his body wringing out one last drop of idiocy. But look at you, a surgeon. Did you stay here then? Try not to sound so happy for me, Daniel laughs. No, I was all over the place for a while. Went to Edinburgh for university, was in the States for a few years. I've been back here for almost eight now. It's good. It's, it's good. Cheaper, right? And I've got kids, so that sort of thing matters. We can't all be rich and famous. Kids? Avery's heart twists a bit. Not that he ever really wanted kids, though he loves Sarah's and has quite a way with them. A couple of magic tricks, and they eat right out of the palm of your hand. But still, road's not taken, another fun middle-aged spirals. 
Yes, a boy and a girl. Twins, both of them 15 in December. Daniel's eyes light up when he talks about them. Here, I've got to show you photos. We went to Majorca for the summer halls. Daniel pulls out his phone and taps around on it for a bit. When he holds it toward Avery, there's a photo of a beautiful family in the ocean. Daniel is sunburnt and smiling, waves up to his shoulders. He's got his arm around two freckled, ginger-haired children, a boy who's beaming at the camera and a girl who's rolling her eyes, looking away. Leaning in from the side of the photo is a man with dark brown skin and curly shoulder-length hair. There is sunblock on his nose. That's my husband, Ram, and that's Stella and Toby. We adopted them when they were three? Jesus, I can't believe they were ever that young. They're absolutely lovely. You think so? They've got you fooled. Daniel smiles, put the phone away. Bloody terrors most of the time, but teenagers, right? What about you? Are you married? Not as such, no. Practically. That's nice. Seen pictures of the two of you in magazines and that. Seems like there's never a dull moment. But you're happy? I'm in love with you. Crowley is standing in a doorway and Avery is standing in the rain and he's drowning. I'm sorry. Are you happy? That is the, the bloody question. When was the last time someone asked Avery that? When was the last time he asked himself? For some reason, the words feel like something cold and sharp against his breastbone. Just enough pressure to be worrisome. Of course, he says in a rush. I'm absolutely over the moon. Never thought I'd be lucky enough to make a career out of doing what I loved. It's an interviewer answer. A sound bite. Both of them know it. Daniel gives him a nod and Avery looks away. Are you happy? Of course he is. He's got everything he could want. How tinted are these windows? Can I, can I kiss you? He couldn't possibly ask for more. He can't. I hope this isn't awkward, but Daniel scratches the back of his neck. Can I ask you something? Of course. Avery doesn't mean of course. He means oh fuck. If this is about the last time they saw each other, but it won't be, that was years ago, and Avery should have processed it by now, and yet he hasn't, and now he sat here in front of the man in question, and could you sign this? Daniel pulls out a piece of paper and a pen. For Ram, he's a huge fan of Warlock. When he found out I was in school with you, he just about died. Oh. Yes, certainly. My pleasure. Wish I had something better than a piece of paper. We own a box set of season one, but this isn't the sort of thing I carry around at work. <laughs> well, suppose not. Well, tell him I'm glad he likes the show. It's lovely to hear. Sound bites. Sound bites. That's fine. He'll just keep them coming, spit them out like pistachio shells. He's fine. He's absolutely tickety-boo. He's happy. Avery writes a brief message to Daniel's husband, and the pair of them shake hands before Daniel has to go get back to his shift. Avery checks on his dad and meets up with Sarah and walks around the hospital until visiting hours end, and he's too weary to put one foot in front of another. 
almost trips and falls on his way to Sarah's car. Back at his dad's house, he sits up drinking tea with Tracy and avoiding subjects he should not be avoiding. Eventually, he gives in and sends a text message. Dad's doing fine, home for the night. He considers and feels wretched and sends another one. Thank you for coming today. All right, deep breath, one more. I miss you. There, it didn't hurt as much as he thought it would. His fingertips sting, but that sort of pain is background noise to Avery these days. A song on the radio that he can just ignore while he drives. The important thing is to keep moving. Avery is happy. November, London. I swear, if I have to see another sexy version of my character, I'll throw myself off the balcony. Avery is home on the sofa and well into a second glass of wine. He was in rehearsals for the Christmas Carol all day and has been on the phone with Crowley for the better part of the evening. It's nearly midnight in London, and Avery's dead tired, but he'd stay awake all night if it meant he could hear Crowley grumbling on the phone. Yes, I'm sure it's quite the hardship for you, surrounded by all those nubile young creatures. Good Christ. Nubile? I'm calling the police. Is it making you want to talk to wardrobe? I'll support you, darling, if you want to show a bit more skin. The horsemen would love it. My skin is not the skin they want to show. I'm not sure about that. Avery takes a mouthful of red and leans back. It's lovely skin, after all. There's a pause on the other end. Is it? It makes Avery flush. He said the last without thinking, because, yes, it is lovely skin. Tattoos and scars and all. Avery could spend hours looking at it, petting it, dragging his nails against it. He's always known he was a sensualist, but thought it was more about food and fabric and that sort of thing. Not about touch, bodies. He thought it was just the way he was wired, that some of the senses didn't appeal to him as much as others. He didn't realize it was just a matter of taste. Because now that he's found someone to his uh, taste, it turns out that he's just as bad about Crowley as he is with everything else. Where are you right now, Avery asks, instead of answering Crowley's last question. What time is it there? Only half ten, but I'm bloody knackered. Felt like this day would never end. I was supposed to grab drinks with some folks, but I slithered out of it, collapsed into bed the moment the door was kicked shut, and I'm not moving. Oh, you've certainly earned it. How about you? Up to no good? How very dare you? Up to good, then? Lots of good deeds? Of course. The smile on Avery's mouth is a helpless one. No rest for the good, I suppose. Curly gives a throaty laugh in response to that rather clumsy comment, but Avery doesn't mind. He likes Curly's laugh rather a lot. It's indulgent and smoky and always kind. Making Curly laugh is the highlight of, yes, most of Avery's days. He squirrels those moments away like food for the winter, something to nourish him during the long, long cold. Well, don't do anything I wouldn't do. That's rather a short list, dear. True enough. There's a brief pointed silence. Avery hears Crowley swallow. You, um, miss me? Yes, yes, God, yes. You might, Avery says with painful nonchalance. 
What he wants to say is, don't find anyone else, not yet. You and your black leather and your cut glass profile, you're gorgeous. And God knows other people want you. God knows I do too, and I'd never try to stop you. I wouldn't. But if you would only stay a little longer, wait just a little longer before you meet someone else, before you fall through someone better. Of course, he doesn't say those things, but he thinks them. Every day he thinks them, every time they talk, every brief text that somehow means way too much, and absolutely nothing at all. Avery feels the distance between them like it's been cut into his skin, maps and straight lines and flight numbers and time zones. It's the nature of the job, of course, and Avery is a professional. He's experienced with distance. The hunger is something new. Yeah? The way Crowley says it sounds almost surprised. It makes something unfurl in Avery's stomach, like a fist slowly opening, beckoning thin white fingers into electric air. You know I do. I like to hear you say it. Curly has the kind of voice you can taste. Avery wishes he could taste him now. I've been thinking about you all day. Have you? I can imagine you sitting there all buttoned up to the throat, bow tie, waistcoat, probably in cufflinks even. Only my casual cufflinks. <laughs> I knew it. Crowley lets out a sigh that Avery feels against his tongue. I'm back in two weeks. Will you be there? I'm in Wales, unfortunately, just for a short trip. A few school things. Gabriel's flying in for it. Ah. Avery hates this, suddenly and with teeth. They aren't even shooting Warlock right now. They should be able to take some time for themselves. He wants to have his hands in the collar of Crowley's shirt, tugging the fabric down and pressing his lips to each inch of skin that's revealed. Two ships passing in the night, he says quietly. Then he takes a swallow of wine and lets it roll down his throat. If you were here, there is silence, a stop and a start. If I were there, Crowley says, Davery finds it impossible to sort out any other words. There are too many of them, and they've all piled up, clogged in his throat. I, he manages one syllable at least. Something on your mind, Angel? Crowley, you, if I were there, wait, where are you? In my living room. Is anyone else? No, Tracy's gone out. If I were there, Crowley clears his throat, I'd be in your lap. Avery has to put his wine glass down before he drops it. I'd be in your lap, and I'd be undoing that bloody bow tie with my teeth. Avery isn't actually wearing a bow tie, but the visual is nice. Works extremely well for him. If he closes his eyes, he can almost smell Crowley's cologne, feel the weight of him against his hips. I'd be at your buttons next. Want you out of that shirt? Think I'd get you completely naked. Wouldn't lose a stitch of clothing myself. Just have you all soft and bare underneath me. Anthony, Avery gasps, not quite as scandalized as he sounds. Some part of him suspects that Crowley likes to shock him, likes to feel shocking. And if that's what the man likes, then what would I do next? Anything I like, I imagine. Would you kiss me? 
Avery wants that maybe more than anything. Fantasy is all well and good, but there's nothing that compares to Crowley's tongue in his mouth, the wet and heat of their lips together. Fuck yes. Is that what you want? Yes, I... Avery's never done this before, this sort of thing on the phone. He tries not to let his nerves show through. I always want that. What else do you want? There's an edge of desperation in Crowley's tone, and it makes Avery shine like molten gold. I want to tundo your trousers. Just say it. Say what you're thinking. And I want you to get up on your knees, and I want you to fuck my mouth. There's another beat of silence. Avery's certain his face is glowing so bright and red that the neighbors will think there's a fire in the house. After a moment, he hears Crowley clear his throat again. You'd like that. Yes, Avery would. He's been thinking about it. What it would be like just to let this gorgeous man take him, do what he wants. Would would you? Fuck, fucking Christ, Angel, yes. I want everything. God. Are you... Will you touch yourself? Can I? I miss you so fucking much. I want to hear your voice when you come. Please, yes. Avery's nearly there already, hands shaking on the buttons of his fly, seeing Crowley behind his eyes as he takes himself in hand, hard and wet and aching. Think about me, Crowley's voice is ragged with desire. I'm thinking about you. You're the only, you're the only one I ever, fuck me, I. And there are miles between them, lines on a map that can't be crossed, even with the furious weight of Avery's wasted heart. But in this moment, they're together. Avery's lips sting with the rasp of stubble from Crowley's jaw, and his mouth tastes like salt, and he's coming into his fist while Crowley shudders and moans above him hips thrusting, hands clenched in Avery's hair. Yes, Avery gasps, phone pressed against his ear. God, yes, yes, and it's enough. It's enough. Avery's happy. He's so happy he could die with it. It's enough. January, London. New Year's Eve comes back in bits and pieces. Crowley leaves him there, pressed against the wet brick wall. Crowley leaves him there. Crowley steps between Avery and a camera, and then leaves him. So far, there hasn't been too much in the press, but the headlines Avery's seen, Warlock stars at war, haven't been flattering. And he can't go to Crowley's, and Crowley can't come to his. The press might be waiting to pounce on the pair of them. Avery considers a hotel or a restaurant, but both of those places seem sodden with meaning. A neutral place, then. Somewhere quiet. It's the only option. When Avery reaches the bandstand in Victoria Park, he doesn't even know what he's going to say. He hasn't made a plan, doesn't know what's going to happen. He feels like he might start bleeding from his mouth if he so much as opens it. His back is jarred from the sudden shove and his mouth still tastes like Crowley's mouth and that woman with her bin bags and her phone is still standing there looking at him in the darkness. You all right? She asks again. And Avery is not, is not all right. Avery can barely remember how he got home. He must have taken a cab. He can remember a bit of that. He thinks he called Tracy. 
He knows he called Crowley multiple times with no answer, which was not unexpected. Gabriel phoned him first thing in the morning and had already heard from Michael, who had already heard from the producers. There's a conference call set up for later that afternoon if Avery is still alive then. Stop the car, please, Avery says quietly in the back of the taxi, mouth filling with bile and panic. Why? Please stop the car. The driver barely makes it to the curb before Avery's leaning out, throwing up in the street. It's cold out, but it's not raining. The sun is actually shining, or at least struggling to, and the sky is clear with patches of blue between the clouds. It's a beautiful day. Doesn't seem fair. How can Avery's heart be breaking on such a beautiful day? When he finally sees Crowley coming toward him across the grass like a black bolt of lightning, Avery has to steady himself against the railing, thinks he might fall. Even with the railing underneath his hand, he still might. Categorize yourself, Avery fell. Take stock and tell us what you find. An unremarkable face, worry soft and pale, lined eyes and a double chin, a weak face. Hair like watery hollandaise, a body under the, with the weight of years on it. A spine that slopes slightly, thighs that spread. Fastidiously groomed fingernails, iron shirts, polished shoes. A fussy, silly, soft man. A fussy, silly, soft heart. And fear. Fear like an ulcer. Fear like a wound that won't heal. Fear like a cancer, and not the kind that can be cut out the kind that lingers. Crowley, you can't just do that sort of thing. Just throw yourself in harm's way from me without a thought to your career. It's too much, Avery thinks. Too much, and he doesn't deserve it. This sort of sacrificial love is nothing he's ever known before. He can't hold it. Not when he's holding so much back already. He can't be the person that kicks Crowley in the ashes again. He can't hurt him like this, and Avery's going to hurt him. He already has. Just, just think of how it looks. I don't give a fuck how it looks. But he's lying, and they both know it. If this all goes down in flames, if it all falls apart, we can go off together. Go off together. Listen to yourself. Avery's heart is racing. He feels dizzy with it. The worst part of it all is that he is listening. He can see it. The two of them packing their bags, running away, doing what they like. There could be long, slow mornings in bed. There could be cups of tea and glasses of wine and kisses before their teeth had been brushed. Avery's got enough money. They both do. It would be wonderful. But it's just a dream. This is the real world that they live in, however much they pretend otherwise. You don't just abandon everything you've worked for. You don't give up your career for a... a... He doesn't know how to finish that. He can't say for me. He won't say it. Crowley is brilliant and beautiful and deserves better. He doesn't need Avery and his issues hanging like a chain around his neck. He deserves someone like... like Daniel. Deserves to be loved in the daylight in the ocean, with waves up over his shoulders. At some point, Avery says, it's over. The words feel like falling, like the flinch of wakefulness just as you are drifting off to sleep. 
Avery knows as he says them that nothing will ever hurt as much. It's over. That he'll have a ten on the pain scale to compare with for however long he lives. At some point, Crowley walks away and leaves Avery alone. Alone again. Time is a tricky business when you're dying slowly. It skips like a flat stone on a quiet lake. One moment Avery is staring at Crowley as retreating back, his beloved ink-dark shoulders and shambling walk, and the next moment Avery is home. He's wet with rain and leaving a dishwater puddle in his doorway. When did it start raining? How had he gotten soaked to the bone with it? He can't possibly call Crowley, and is too ashamed to talk to Tracy, so he calls Bees. He has their number, thank God. Gabriel asked for it once, just after season two. Said he needed to coordinate something around accommodations. Crowley passed it on to Avery, and it's still in his contacts. What do you want, is the greeting Avery receives, and honestly, the greeting he expects. Yes, hello, it's, uh... This is Avery Fell. I don't know if you... Are you about to ask if I remember you? I swear. Silly question, of course. I was hoping if you're looking for a favor, you'll have a tough sell of it. I don't feel much inclined to help you out right now. I don't feel like talking to you either. I know, I know, but I wanted to tell you that I will fix this. Bees makes a disgusted sound on the other line. You can't fix this. His image, at least. I'm releasing a statement. He knows about it, but I'll email it to you first in case you have feedback. I won't let this hurt him. You won't let it. Bees laughs harshly, as has never heard them laugh before, and he wishes he had been spared the privilege. Bees' laugh is a rusted nail to the arch of a foot. Send me your statement, then. They hang up. Sometime after that, Avery has a conference call with Michael and the producers and several lawyers and Gabriel, of course. They all draft a press release that is about as sincere as a plastic bag. It's sent off to bees, and then Avery lies on his hardwood floor and stares at nothing for probably two hours. He realizes that this is the first time he's going to be in the press for something other than a film or charity work. His first proper scandal. He almost laughs, pressing his fist against his mouth until his teeth cut into his knuckles. Avery Frell wants to assure the viewers of Warlock that he and Anthony Crowley are on excellent terms, and there are no allegations of violence or assault on either of their parts. It is unfortunate that a bystander would mistake a moment of friendly disagreement for something malicious, and invade their privacy in such a misleading way. Anthony Crowley continues to maintain his healthy lifestyle choices, and has the confidence and trust of the entire team at Warlock. Yes, clearly. After he does another drug test, maybe. Avery isn't really sure how he gets through the next few days. He lives in some odd liminal space, the headache-colored quiet of a plane before it takes off, the wobble of a wine glass just before it tilts, falls, and hits the tiled floor. He checks up on his dad and checks up on his sister, but with Tracy out of the country, his days are fairly quiet. Even Gabriel leaves him alone for once, though it's award season and the nominations are coming out. He keeps Avery up to date with emails and texts, but he's decided that the best course of action is for Avery to just disappear for a while until everyone forgets any of the New Year's Eve theatrics. And since Avery is a shipwreck at this point, well, he rather agrees. 
Warlock gets a nod for Best Series for the Golden Globes. No acting nominations, which is too bad. Avery had no expectations for himself, but there had been some whispering about Crowley's performance last season. A few days later, the press release for the National Television Awards comes out. Gabriel emails him with a message, maybe next year, and a crying emoji. Warlock's up for best drama, though, so that's exciting. Avery scans for the other categories. Yes, well done, Saran Jones. She's on fire these days. Before his eye gets caught on a name. A name that is familiar and lovely. A name that Avery would know the shape of in his sleep if someone traced it against his skin. Best Drama Performance, Anthony J. Crowley. A smile that Avery hasn't felt on his mouth since December 31st breaks from him like a green wave. He wants to call Crowley immediately, is almost dialing his number when he stops, remembers. Avery has no right to his victories, no right to any part of his life, not anymore. But surely, surely he's allowed just this much, just one message, just so Crowley knows that he's happy for him, that Avery is so happy. Congratulations, you absolutely deserve this. He considers and feels wretched and sends another one. I hope you are well. I miss you, I miss you, I miss you. There, that didn't hurt as much as he thought it would. There's no response, but Avery didn't expect one and doesn't deserve one. It's enough that Crowley knows Avery's proud of him, proud of him and proud of the show. That this is excellent news. He's happy. February, London. Warlock doesn't win a Golden Globe. Avery can't attend the ceremony in Beverly Hills, but Crowley does. Avery looks at the photographs the next day, tells himself he isn't pathetic. He's just working through some things. He stares with vicious eyes at the outline of Crowley alone on the red carpet in a three-piece suit, black on black on black, ember hair knotted at the nape of his neck. The sight makes Avery's mouth water. But that's, that's the end of that. The National Television Awards are at the end of the month, and Avery attends with Tracy. Gabriel worked with a designer to fit Avery with a pale blue suit and a gold tartan bow tie, almost the color of his hair. He looks like an ice cream man and feels like a child. Nothing to write home about. Certainly no one worth pressing against a brick wall in a rainy alleyway. Crowley's taken bees to the event, so there's someone on his arm for once. He and Avery don't speak before the ceremony. They haven't spoken in weeks, except for Avery's text of good luck tonight. When Avery sees Crowley on the red carpet, it feels like the sudden remembrance of a lovely dream. Crowley's all in black as usual, but instead of polished dress shoes, he's instead of army boots that make Avery want to drop to his knees immediately. But that's the end of that. This time he promises. Bees is dressed in a suit so flash it rivals Crowley's, and any time Avery catches their eye, they look murderous. He smiles anyway. Crowley smiles stiffly back behind his dark sunglasses, with a sea of blood-red carpeting between them. They don't sit together, though they're in the row with all the Warlock crew. David Williams is the host for the second year in a row, 
and Avery tries to laugh and smile and be prepared for the moments when the camera finds his face, and he's supposed to look like his kindly, inoffensive self. Tries to make sure that the cameras never catch him glancing to his left, trying to admire a man in black sunglasses out of the corner of his eye. Warlock doesn't win a television award either. But Crowley? Crowley does. Dominic West presents the award for best drama performance. They play the clip from season two where Crowley thinks Avery is dying. Blood all over his hands and all over the forest floor. Hang on, all right? Don't. I can't. Watching the scene takes Avery back a bit. He can remember the salt of tears on his face, can remember the warmth of Crowley's palms on his chest, can remember the ache of looking at him, the ache of touching him before he really understood what it meant. And the award goes to Anthony Crowley for Warlock. Anthony, Anthony Crowley for... There's a wave of applause. Avery's up on his feet before the name even sinks in. Down the row, Crowley isn't moving. He doesn't move until Bees pushes him. That's you, idiot. And then he has to walk past all of his castmates to get to the aisle. Anathema is crying already, and Crowley kisses her, hugs her, hugs Tracy as well. And when he reaches Avery, he's shaking. He's shaking, and Avery can't see his eyes behind his sunglasses, but he can feel the heat of Crowley's stare. There are cameras on them. They can't act like strangers, and they can't do what Avery wants. Kiss me, kiss me before I bleed to death in the forest. So Avery touches Crowley's shoulder, squeezes it, a friendly platonic touch between mates or something. And Crowley touches his shoulder as well, and it's too much, too sharp. Avery pulls him into a hug. He can feel Crowley's heartbeat against his chest, and it takes everything in his power not to turn his face slightly inward, inhale the scent of Crowley's neck and hair, press a kiss there, tell him, Congratulations, Avery says, pulling back. It's brief, too brief, and Crowley is already looking away, already moving down the row. He slinks toward the stage, that gorgeous and ridiculous strut of his earning a swell of applause, and Avery feels so warm with adoration he might get heat stroke. The theme music for Warlock is playing, and Crowley hugs bloody Dominic West, shakes a bit more, and then he stands at the microphone and stares. I. Crowley swallows. On the screen, Avery recognizes the slow, delicious bob of the man's throat. Come on, darling, you can do this. I can't fucking believe... Oh, shit, I'm not supposed to swear, am I? Fuck. The audience laughs, and Crowley lowers his glasses to casually wipe his eyes. Tracy has taken Avery's hand and is squeezing it tight enough to cut the circulation off. Her gel nails are digging into his skin, leaving half-moon imprints there. I, I can't even tell you what this means. He's taking deep breaths, all the mindful tells that Avery's seen him practice before. I have to thank Michael. Michael, you took a chance on me after I didn't think anyone else would, maybe ever again. This entire mad and brilliant experience has been because of you. And I've got to thank the cast and crew, Newton, Anathema, Adam, who I think is some, asleep somewhere in the fifth row there. And uh, my mom and dad, who are not watching this, thank Christ, they'd be horrified by my language. 
and my agent and my manager, bees, you terrible, wonderful human, if you thought I was an obnoxious prick before. The audience laughs again. Even from this distance, Avery can see the trembling Crowley's jaw. And of course, of course, I can't accept this without thanking my brilliant co-star, Avery Fell. Crowley looks up, scans the crowd until his gaze lands on Avery. Not that Avery can really tell with the glasses, but he feels that gaze. Feels it like a live wire wrapped around his throat. You trusted me with this role. You taught me more about acting, more about kindness. I can't thank you enough, Avery. Crowley's voice sticks. Avery has the sudden, horrible certainty that Crowley is going to say angel. The knowledge tastes like dread, but also like hope. A reckless part of Avery wants Crowley to say it. Just say it. Call me angel in front of all of these people. Pull the bandage off. Take a bit of my hair and skin with it. Avery, Crowley finishes. I know there have been some hard times. That's, that is what it is. But for me, it's been a privilege and a dream. So he nods and nods and nods again. Thank you. Crowley gets clapped on the back by Dominic, ushered off the stage to another wave of applause. Avery's pulse won't stop racing and he feels tears in his eyes. Everyone from Warlock is crying. What is wrong with them? They should be happy. This should be something to celebrate. Avery glances over at Tracy, tries to give her a self-deprecating smile about his own ridiculousness. But she doesn't smile back. Her face is bone white. Tracy, my dear, are you all right? She hugs him and kisses his cheek, but won't answer the question. He really should have seen this coming. Crowley doesn't make it back before the end of the show. He's probably been whisked off to the interview circuit, poor fellow. The O2 arena is monstrous, and the after-party is held there as well, so Avery and Tracy make their way to the ballroom after bidding a quick goodnight to Adam and his parents. Gabriel managed an invite unbeknownst to Avery, and he pops up at his shoulder when Avery least expects it. Look at you. Love the suit. Fits well. Pretty well. Gabriel pats Avery on the stomach, because of course he does. Congratulations to your buddy. That must have been quite the shock. Not really. His performance was, that's as far as Avery gets, because Bees has come to stand beside them, and it's like a bomb's gone off. Gabriel is suddenly a twitchy, fluttery, stammering mess. Well, I didn't know you'd be... Hello again. Do you two know each other? Tracy asks. Dunno, Bees says, at the same time that Gabriel says, We've met at the season two party. Oh, yeah. And the Emmy's party, that time in L.A.? Gabriel smiles broader still, perfect teeth looking uncomfortable in his mouth. You uh, didn't call? No, I didn't. Bees is looking anywhere other than Gabriel. I um, had a good time, Gabriel says quietly. Avery wishes he hadn't heard that. I'm so happy for you. Thankfully, Cho Crowley chooses that moment to make an entrance, and Bees leaves for his side without even making their excuses. Avery admires that, wishes he was that type of person who could just walk away from Gabriel and say fuck it to propriety. Do you know if they're seeing anyone? Gabriel asks after a moment, 
and then Tracy decides she needs a drink. When they get home later that night, Avery is still humming with nerves, with hours of looking at Crowley from across a room and not being able to speak to him. He feels older than he's ever been, and he supposes that's true. I'll put the kettle on. He throws his jacket on the coat rack, rolls his shoulders, and starts to head toward the kitchen, but Tracy stops him. There's something about the way she touches his arm that makes Avery's stomach drop. It's the gentleness of the touch that does it. It's not the playful smack or squeeze he'd usually expect. When he turns to look at her, her eyes are filled with tears. It feels like the last 20 years have been leading to this moment. Avery fell this whole time. What? He's exhausted and heartbroken, and he doesn't understand what he's done to make Tracy look at him like he's choking her. This whole time you let me go on thinking I was helping you. Tears run down her face, black with mascara. My dear, but I wasn't. I was hurting you. This whole time as. She shakes her head, wiping frantically at tears that won't stop falling. He loves you. I... Avery wishes he could turn into stone. The syllable stutters out of his throat. I know. You love him. I... Even the thought of those words is too painful. I can't. I'm leaving you. The words ring in the air like a gunshot. Avery takes a step back, reaching out for something to lean on. Tracy, you are my best friend. Tracy wipes her black streaked face, then reaches out for Avery's hands. Thank God for that. At least someone will keep him upright. I absolutely bloody adore you. I have since that first night in that shitty pub, even with your terrible dye job. God, you looked a mess. Uh, but I can't do this to you anymore. You haven't done anything. I've been a mask as, and I agreed to it from the start, and I never minded. I loved it. I loved our life together. But I was stupid. So stupid to think that this wouldn't catch up with you, with us. And you can do what you want, and I'll love you either way, but I can't be your mask anymore. Not now that I know. Tracy squeezes his hands, searches his face with eyes that are impossibly gentle. Love, what are you afraid of? And that is another one of those decimating questions. How much time does Tracy have? What length of chapter is she prepared to read? Avery is afraid of not fitting in, of doing the wrong thing of being seen and judged and belittled, of rocks thrown at his eyes and heads shaken in disapproval. But more than that, he's afraid of finding out that all this time he was doing the wrong thing anyway, that his whole life was spent building walls against a threat that wasn't even there. What do you do with that? How do you justify a life spent in hiding? How do you come out of the bomb shelter and not fall to your knees at the sight of blue sky and green fields and clean water? And more than that, more than any of that, more than anything, he's afraid that Anthony Crowley will never talk to him again. Avery bursts into tears. No, maybe bursts is the wrong word. It brings to mind a champagne cork popping and bubbles sparkling out of it. What happens to Avery is something buried, something underground. 
The sob comes from deep in his chest, so deep it's like it tunneled there. He tries to cover his mouth to keep it inside, but he can't. He tries to cover his eyes, tries to hide his face, tries not to let anyone see the wreck of him. But the mess is so great that it's impossible. Great handfuls of earth are spilling out of him, and the noise, the noise. Oh, you darling. Tracy puts her arms around him, squeezes him so tightly that his bones creak. He gets dirt all over her lovely dress, clutches at the fabric, and tries without success to stop making this horrible grave-digging sound. I'm sorry. I'm... You don't have to say you're sorry, not to me, as. I'm too old. He chokes against her shoulder. I'm too old to be doing this, to be figuring this out. It's too... Avery fucking fell. Tracy pulls back so she can look into his hideous, swollen face. You say that again, and I'll kick your teeth in. Avery lets out a shocked laugh, and Tracy pushes the hair off his forehead, holds his face between her hands. You're never too old for this. Never. If you're too old for this, what must you think of me? Don't answer that. I'll kick the rest of your teeth in. Avery laughs again, attempts some grotesque version of a smile. Tracy kisses him on the cheek. You could be happy. Avery tries to say, I am happy. He tries over and over again. But the words don't come. Tracy starts packing her things the next morning. March, Hartlepool. Let's go back again, just one more time. Tell you that fancy private nurse doesn't give me a moment's peace. You should get rid of her. Save yourself the money. It won't be forever, just the next couple of months. Sarah's got the kids, and I'll be off filming. What if you need something? Get it myself, can't I? I'm not an invalid. His dad is sitting on the sofa, blanket tucked up around his knees while Avery putters around in the kitchen. Got your own life to worry about besides, now that Trace has left you. She hasn't left me, Avery mutters, getting the tea bags out. His dad swears by PG tips, and any attempted substitution would result in the next Cold War. It was amicable, mutual. We both decided. Oh, I amicable. That's what they say now, isn't it? You know where you're going to live yet, or are you out on your ear? Is it possible his father is even more unbearable since the hospital? Did Daniel leave some sort of spiky, judgmental, metallic thing in Dad's chest during surgery? One more day. One more day before he heads back to London. He can last one more day. We are figuring it out. They are. They're figuring it out. Avery's only told his family, hasn't released any sort of statement yet, but he will, soon. In the meantime, the two of them are gathering up their things, getting ready to possibly sell the house. It's, it's all right. Avery, Avery will leave London, go somewhere quieter. Tracy's got all these plans to live abroad, has pen pals or something of that ilk all over the world. Right now her focus seems to be on Tokyo, and Avery is happy for her. He's happy. You want something to eat? Something to read? Nah, just bring me the remote for the telly. Did you know your sister set up a Netflix for me? Do you have that, the Netflix? One more day. One more day in Hartlepool, and then he's home, and then he's off to Belfast for episode one. Avery got the scripts a few weeks ago, but they're holding things close to their chests this season. Michael and their new head writer, Uriel is her name, comes with dozens of awards under her thick leather belt. 
have only given out bits and pieces of each episode, so something's going to happen, surely. Some sort of twist. Avery only hopes that he and Crowley will both live through it. Yes, Avery says distractedly. The kettle's boiled, so he leaves the tea to brew and goes to search for the remote control, hiding somewhere amidst his father's quite alarming number of crocheted doilies. There's this one show I've been watching with Nurse Clara, his dad continues, largely to the room. The Samaritan thing. These five men go around fixing up people's lives, their clothes and their houses and that. All of them queer as anything. Have you seen this? Wonderful. His dad is learning about homosexuality from the world's most reputable source, reality television. I'm not sure. This is, of course, a lie. Avery has watched every episode of Queer Eye. The first three seasons were seen mostly in hotel rooms with Crowley, all the while pretending not to notice his co-star wiping away tears. There's this one, John... Jonathan? He does hair or summit. Reminds me of your man. Real spitfire. Doesn't understand half of what comes out of his mouth, but you can tell he's a good lad. Is that so? The remote is not on the doily draped over the radio, and not on the doily on the small side table, or the empty plant stand, or in the drawer below the television, where there are, in fact, more doilies. Why, if I may ask, do you have so many of these? Avery grinds his teeth together, holds up one that's alternating patterns of pink and white. Your mom made those, didn't she? Did she? Avery has to look at them again. He didn't know that. He knew his mom was crafty and always busy working at something, but he didn't connect her to the constantly lacy placemats found strewn around his childhood home. Now that he has, the things take on a bit more significance. Avery clenches the doily in his hand as if he can still feel his mum there, feel the movements of her fingers, industrious and delicate as Ariadne's weaving. Plus, they brighten the place up some, his dad says gruffly, reminding Avery that he isn't, in fact, alone in the room. Did you know she named you? After some jazz musician from America. Avery. Avery. Wasn't sure about it, but now look at you. At last, at bloody last, Avery's eyes catch on the remote control. The tea must have steeped enough, so he puts the remote in his dad's hand and flees to the kitchen before his heart gives out. Uh, bad analogy there. A bit insensitive. The fellas down at the working men's club, they took the piss a bit at first, but she didn't care what anyone thought. She never did. Avery knows what his dad takes in his tea, gives him way too much milk and half a bag of sugar before searching the cupboard for biscuits. I was thinking, you know, that Jonathan, he must have folks that are well proud of him. His father lets that hang there. Avery gives up on the biscuits. He tries to speak and can't, so he moves instead. He brings his dad's tea out to the living room, leans down to put it on the tray in front of him. Think your man would be proud of you, Mom. Avery looks up quickly. His dad isn't looking at him, has turned his attention toward the Netflix at last. But the man's mouth is pressed in a thin, anxious line, and his shoulders are extremely stiff. Avery reaches out, places a hand on his dad's bony shoulder, just for a moment. Now, if you're moving, you really should think about coming back here. It doesn't make financial sense buying a new place in London, not when you can get a flat three times the size of what you're living now. How many square feet is it? There's a place just down the road from me. 
The afternoon continues in this vein, as most afternoons with his father do. They order takeaway, and his dad watches television, and Avery mentally prepares for season four. Mentally prepares for being that close to Crowley again and not being allowed to touch him. He can't sleep the night before he leaves, but he barely does when he's home, or the place he used to call home. He's really got to stop thinking of this house like that. He hasn't lived here for 30 years. What sort of home is he waiting to find? The next morning, after he hugs his dad goodbye and sets out on the road, he finds himself distracted by the color of the sky. The sun is just rising and the world is turning pink, and Avery feels 40 years younger. He also feels the urge to pull his car onto a side street to park and make a phone call. So he does. Do you know what time it... Gabriel? Yes, I'm certainly sorry to wake you. I thought that you should know. Tracy and I are separating. There's a beat of silence. Avery doesn't know why he thought he should do this now, only that he couldn't wait a moment longer. She left you. Um, second thought, this was a terrible idea. This was a completely terrible idea. No, it was mutual. Okay, 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 so we... Gabriel's voice is getting more tense with each word. So we just have to find someone new. Someone... What? We can't have the press getting wind of this. You know the sort of things they'd say. Do I? Avery thought that there'd be a bit of polite interest, but nothing sordid. Hasn't his life been spotless? Hasn't he done everything he's been told? Hasn't he always tried to fit in? After all that time you spent with Crowley, after New Year's Eve, clearly they'll have things to say. It's fine, it's fine. I have a new client that might be a good fit. She's younger, only 20 years, but that never hurts, right? Model, actress. How soon can you be in L.A.? I know you're filming next week. Could you fly down between episodes? We should get some photos of the pair of you out for lunch. But of all the reactions he thought Gabriel would have, this is not one of them. Tracy and I have just made it official. We're still living together. Wouldn't that be a bit fast? Faster the better, if you ask me. Then there's less time for speculation. I don't think... Look, sunshine, you've got your career writing on this. If it looks like you've left Tracy for a younger model, that's forgivable. Understandable, even. But if it looks like something else... Something else? Do you need it spelled out for you? I thought you were smarter than this. I'll send you Jenica's headshot so you can think about it. And just let me write something for the press. Don't talk to anyone until we leak the photos. Gabriel, I'm gay. It just happens. He just says it. And the world doesn't end. Nothing explodes. Nothing collapses into rubble. The seas don't rise. There's no Armageddon. There's just ringing silence on the phone. There's just Avery's soft heartbeat filling up the car like a metronome, keeping time to the music. Avery takes a breath, a mindful one. He should probably ask Crowley for the name of his therapist. And you're fired. The sun is still rising when Avery gets out of the car and closes the door behind him. Though some of the roads have changed, his feet still know the way down to the docks of his youth. He was never a sailor, but the shoreline is familiar as childhood sweetheart, as a long-lost love. 
He remembers his great plan to hitch a ride on a ship and leave Hartlepool forever. He remembers the sting of rocks and the sliver of a scar he can just see on his cheekbone when the light is right. The Garrity boys and books stomped into the dirt, and think of it like you're acting. When Avery reaches the water, he half expects his dad's hand to come thumping down on his shoulder, but it doesn't. He's alone, and he's nearly 50 years old. He could get on a ship, and he could throw himself into the sea. There's no one holding him back anymore. The sun breaks past the horizon, reflecting into the water below it, turning the world wholly golden. Avery isn't happy. He's in love. He almost laughs out loud at the sound of the words in his head, the ring of them like church bells. He's in love, and he knows. He knows. He knows. And the award goes to Anthony Crowley for Warlock. Crowley didn't write anything down, didn't even consider writing anything down. There were contenders in this category. Brenda Blethyn was in this category. Curly wouldn't even have stood up if it wasn't for Bees pulling on his arm, sneering vitriol at him. Thank God for Bees. He gives his acceptance speech on pure adrenaline, his hands and neck still smelling like Avery fell, reeling from the warmth of Az's body, the unexpected sudden contact. Curly makes up a bunch of nonsense on the spot and almost fucking calls him Angel. Right there on the stage, the word snags like a cough in his throat. Hell on earth, wouldn't that be the worst thing ever? Wouldn't that be the end of the world? He can just imagine Avery's shuddered look of horror, the most brutal sort of betrayal. Avery, he says instead, just barely managing to keep his voice from breaking. I know there have been some hard times. I'm in love with you. I'm still in love with you, you gorgeous thing. It's been three weeks and I'm still dreaming about your hands, about the salt of your fingertips against my tongue. That's, that is what it is. But for me, it's been a privilege, a dream. So he nods and nods and nods again, the only thing he seems capable of doing at this point. Right, move along, Crowley, it's done. Thank you. He gets clapped on the back by Dominic West. Almost knocked off his feet, Dom's a beast of a man, and is escorted off the stage. Brilliant work, mate, Dominic's saying to him, but there's blood rushing in Crowley's ears. He can barely hear anything else. You deserved it. Well done. He's ushered into a green room to wait for a bit, and then he's brought into another room where his photo is taken over and over again with the trophy, and then he's brought into a writhing den of reporters, placed behind a microphone and blinded by flashbulbs. Number 121, the press wrangler says into her own microphone, and an invisible reporter speaks up from somewhere in the crush. Anthony, congratulations, first off. How does it feel to win your first major award? Curly searches for whomever is speaking in the crowd. A little less emphasis on the first, if you would. The crowd gathered reporters laugh, and Curly relaxes a fraction. He can do this. He's good at being laughed at feels smashing, still a bit unreal, because this is the one that people vote on, the fans, and I never thought I'd get a chance to, you know, claw my way back into their esteem. To have the audience say, yeah, we know you've got history, and yeah, you're an openly queer cock-up, but Warlock's a good show, and you're good by osmosis. That means everything, really. It makes me feel just 
lucky, so lucky. Number 82. Hi, congratulations again, a voice calls from the crowd. Curly scans the sea of faces until he finds a blonde-haired and fabulously lashed young woman. Coming into tonight, what did you think about your chances for winning? What did I think about my chances? Not much. It earns him another laugh, which makes the corner of his mouth twitch into almost satisfaction. Seriously, not much. I didn't write a speech. I didn't think at all about what I was going to say. Couldn't picture myself on the stage. Not that I didn't love my character's growth last season, and not that I wasn't proud as hell of the show. I just couldn't imagine it, this, happening. So, big surprise. I'm still shaking. Number 29. Hi, Anthony. You were in the paper last week for an altercation between yourself and your co-star Avery Fowl. Crowley's heart plummets. Not much, just enough to chip a couple ribs on the way down. Some headlines even allege that you assaulted him. I'm wondering if you'd like to tell your side of the story. Huh. Crowley wets his lips. I wouldn't really like to. Avery released a statement. I don't think there's much more to be said about it. There's a silence that hangs after his words. When it's clear he isn't going to add anything else, the wrangler calls for the next reporter. Number 72. Hello, Anthony. It's a young person with a half-shaved head and ears full of rings. Curly smiles at them, already in favor of their vibe. You're probably well aware of the fan following that Warlock has, particularly the relationship between your character and Avery's. Curly bites the edge of his tongue. Yeah, I'd say I'm aware. What would you say to those fans who are hoping the New Year's Eve incident was some kind of lover's spat? Curly hopes that the bob of his throat isn't audible against the microphone. Are people really saying that? Jesus. Oh, well, I'd say to them that they're wrong, of course. It wasn't anything as dramatic as that. You know actors, touchy so-and-sos, get a couple drinks in us and there's bound to be drama. Sorry to disappoint. Number 108. How's your relationship with your co-star now? Judging from your speech, it sounds like you're on good terms again. This is better. This is a question Crowley has practiced in answering, lowering a plexiglass wall between his feelings and his words. Absolutely. Me and Az are good. We're great. It's been a real pleasure working with him, and half of this award is his by rights. Perfectly bland, perfectly polite. If a couple blood vessels have burst behind his eyelids, no one will notice at that distance. Okay, last question, number 35. Hi, Anthony. Congratulations again. Thanks. Crowley recognizes this reporter, he thinks. A woman with short, pale hair and bright red lipstick. She's with The Guardian, maybe? You've been pretty open about your orientation and your history. Openly queer cock-up, like I said. The crowd laughs, but red lipstick does not. I'm wondering if you have any messages for young fans of your show who have struggled or are struggling with the same things, their sexuality, addiction, trouble with the law. You've been reading my resume. There's laughter again, but the reporter just watches him, a look on her face that isn't amused in the slightest. Fuck deflecting with humor is all he's got, the only trick up his sleeve. What's he supposed to do now? I'd, huh, I'd tell them, okay, first of all, I'd tell them, don't listen to any of the last things I said. You aren't a cock-up. I reserve that title for myself alone. And secondly, here it is. 
Curly is overtired and overcaffeinated and must be starting to unravel a bit because there's a moment, there's a moment where he swears he sees a young idiot in black standing in the crowd. Red hair gelled into spikes, black t-shirt full of holes and safety pins. A young man who has no idea how much he's about to lose. But also, also a young man who doesn't know things aren't always lost forever. Curly blinks and he's gone. You know, I can't answer that in any sort of decent way right now. That's a hell of a question. I'm running on fumes, and I think you deserve a better answer than I'd give you. Can I get back to you? You got a card? I'll get one for you, the press wrangler says, and Red Lipstick laughs at last. I'll take your answer off the air, she says. Curly waves at everyone and fucks off with his trophy, heads down to the ballroom to make hideous small talk and stare at Avery Fell with his heart between his teeth for the rest of the bloody night. And he's still fucking here. Three weeks earlier. Here's the thing. The human body is pretty hardwired for survival. Curly should know he's done enough damage to his own, things that probably should have killed him or at least left some permanent marks nosebleeds, stomach-pumping sort of things. But he's still here. You can go three weeks without food, three bloody weeks. Wasn't there that flight attendant who fell out of a plane and lived? Probably was nothing but pulp at the end of it, but fuck it, she survived. People have lived through arrows to the head, so it makes sense that Crowley would survive an arrow to his heart, even if he's bleeding everywhere, even if the arrow shaft is still sticking out of him. Curly leaves Victoria Park on New Year's Day and is still alive. That's a hell of a thing. He walks away with a heart that's still beating, and he doesn't realize where he's walking until he's on the tube and he's on the wrong line. The wrong fucking line, the line he used to take. He gets off at the next stop the moment he can. Then he gets the fuck above ground, and he calls bees. Oh, great, there is emotional support, asshole, now. That's healthy. Where are you, is their first question, and Curly realizes he hasn't spoken a word since he said good. The word blackens like it's been seared in oil. Bye to Avery. I think I should go to a meeting, he says, throat so tight he wishes he was crying. He hears the immediate clicking of keys in the background, bees probably on their laptop looking up the nearest UKNA soiree. There's one in Chelsea, starts in 30 minutes. Think you can get there? Yes. Are you safe? Bees asks. Curly wants to hang up. He wants to hang up and get back on the tube. He's got money. It'd be nothing at all to him. And it'd be just the one time. Just tonight. Just so he could feel anything other than this. He'd be on the straight and narrow again tomorrow. Promise. Just the once wouldn't kill him. And surely it'd be better for his body than carrying this heartache around. Surely he deserves to not feel things for a few hours. It wouldn't be so bad. It would be so easy. If he closes his eyes, Avery Fell is holding a gold coin to the light, looking at him like he's gold as well. Curly breathes mindfully. I'm safe, but could I stay on the phone with you? There's a slight pause before Bees speaks again. God, fuck, you're needy. Yes, fine. So he goes to the meeting in Chelsea and sits in a circle with other sad bastards. And when he gets home, Bees is waiting outside the door for him. Don't read too much into this, they say immediately, hoisting a paper bag on their hip. You're my meal ticket. It's in my best interest to keep you from fucking up your life. 
No one else would hire you, Crowley says seriously, and then fumbles his keys as he's trying to unlock the door. He left me. There. He said it out loud, and he's still alive. The pain hasn't choked him to death, hasn't shut down his internal organs. Fuck his stupid, tenacious heart. He's going to have to live with this, isn't he? I brought you cheese, Bees says, and Curly starts crying. But he gets the door open just the same, and he eats cheese and watches shite telly, and Bees doesn't once say they told him so, for which he's so profoundly fucking grateful. He makes it through the night. For the next few days, he lets his stupid body do what it needs to do to keep himself upright, lets it feed him and put him to bed, and taking him on long, punishing two-hour jogs through London. Ugh, running. So it's come to this. For a few days, he's a machine, the sole purpose of which is keeping Anthony Crowley alive and out of fucking jail. They should really pay him better for it. It's a tedious, bloody business. He unplugs from most of the outside world, talks to Pepper over the phone and hates it, reads Love in the Time of Cholera and hates it, does yoga and hates it, and only watches one of Az's films on Netflix. Just one. It's the Regency romance one, Gretna Green, and Az isn't even the main character, just a stuffy potential suitor for the leading lady. He doesn't get the girl in the end, but the cut of his coat is extremely nice, and there's a scene where he goes riding and his thighs... Shit, this was a bad, bad idea. Curly's in the middle of a half-weeping and hideously depressing wank, film still playing in the background, when Bees calls to tell him he's nominated for a television award. Couldn't have timed it better. Christ, that's the one the viewers vote for. Fans. There's no chance he's going to win it. Absolutely no way. Not with his history. But the fact that his name is even on that list... Is is anyone else? Are you asking if he's nominated for anything? Bees sounds disgusted. He's not. Now I'll leave you to whatever the fuck you've been doing, crying or wanking off or whatever. You're a treasure, Crowley says, and means it. Because at least some things don't change. At least Bees will never treat him as anything other than contemptible. There's a text from Az later that night and his name on Crowley's phone makes him feel like jumping off a cliff. You soft, bloody angel, Crowley thinks, shaking his head, hatefully affectionate. Can't deal with a little bit of crushing homophobia and trauma. Just turn it inwards. It always worked for me. Just disassociate through your 20s. You'll be fine. He doesn't reply to Az's text, and he doesn't go online at all. Won't risk seeing any headlines about New Year's Eve. And he doesn't see Avery, aside from maybe one repeat watch of Gretna Green. Whatever. Shut up. Until the red carpet outside of the O2. Their gazes meet over a sea of people. Crowley's glad for his glasses. Hopes Az can't see how wide his eyes have gone behind them. The other man looks good. He always looks good. He's wearing a suit that's the exact blue of his eyes, and Crowley thanks God there's distance between them or he'd probably be brought to his knees by the brightness. There's something about Az when he's all buttoned up, which is most of the time. It makes Curly twitchy, hungry to ruffle Az's hair, mess his bow tie, untuck his shirt, and get hands on his skin. You're staring, Bees says quietly in his ear, and Curly remembers. He's not allowed to be in love with that man anymore. 
wasn't ever really, not in daylight, not in public, not where anyone could see. Keep this love in the palm of your hand and close it in your fist when it gets too bright. Use your other hand, too, if you need to. Keep it hidden. Curly wonders if he hit himself hard in the chest, would it be enough to beat some sense into his heart? If he hit himself hard enough in the head, could he knock loose the memory of Az's lips on his tattoos, scars, fingers, ribs, mouth? So he wins a television award, only cries a bit. He hugs Avery on the way to the stage and can't stop himself from shaking. So he answers questions from reporters and avoids Avery's beautiful face at the after party and goes home alone. Lying in bed that night, back arched and fucking his fist, the scent of Az still in his mouth. Curly realizes it's been over a week, and he's still alive. The last time he had an injury like this, he was in jail the next day. It makes a rather hysterical laugh well out of his throat. Anthony fucking Crowley, you are still alive. He starts counting by weeks after that. It's been two weeks and the ache hasn't killed you. Let's try for one more. Then he counts by months. It's been a month and you haven't dropped off the edge of the world. See if you can make it to season four. Fuck's sake, it's a lot of effort, this staying alive business. But inch by inch, hour by hour, Crowley does. He might not deserve to. He certainly doesn't feel like it some days. But he does. And he meets up with Anathema when she's in town, lets himself get dragged to weird crystals and granola cafes where they drink tea that tastes like compost, and Anathema talks about wells. And he goes to a couple of shows by himself and doesn't bring anyone home with him, doesn't have the energy to pull anyone right now, and he's such a mess that it's all the better. He even goes to the odd meeting and has tea afterward with this lovely mom named Vespers, who used to be big into the punk rock scene. They make plans to go to a great concert sometime. A week before he has to fly to Belfast and start filming the first episode, the BAFTA nominations come out. And Crowley, Crowley's name, it's, he's, he's on the, he can't read the nominees without panicking. Bees, he says desperately, needing someone to tell him he's just hallucinating. I'll be looking for a pay raise if you win this one. Fuck, 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 fuck. A BAFTA? This is mad. I've had a call from The Guardian and a call from The Telegraph and a few dozen emails from sites that already want interviews with you. Breathe into a paper bag and call me back. I'll take a look at your schedule. But this is like, the BAFTAs, that's, that's a real thing. That's like, my dad has a BAFTA. Judy Dench has a BAFTA. Yes. I'm aware, and in a month's time, you will as well. Fuck off. Curly thinks he might throw up. His phone buzzes with an incoming text, and he pulls it back from his ear to look at it. It's from Avery. It's from Avery, and Curly still hasn't responded to anything the man has sent since New Year's, because he can't, right? If he does, it will be a matter of time before he's asking him for dinner, asking him how he's doing, telling him, telling him he misses him like he would miss both kidneys. I'm so happy for you. Congratulations on the nomination. Curly stares at the message. While he's staring, As sends another one. I'm sure you're busy, but if you have a chance to call me, I'd really like to speak with you. Crowley, 
Beza is shouting on the phone at him. Curly thumps himself once in the chest, get that heart beating properly again, and lifts the phone back to his ear. He's nominated for a BAFTA, and somehow, against all odds, he's still alive. If there's trouble, as glances between a script and Curly's face, the rest of the cast is silent, watching them with tightly wound attention. Curly feels a dozen pairs of eyes on his face. Get a message to me, he reads. Wherever you are, I'll come to you. He meets as his eyes across the table and wishes he had his sunglasses on. I'll find you. You believe me? I do. Curly snorts, but it's fond. You do. Simple as that, eh? Thought you were losing faith, priest. Not in you. On the other side of the room, he hears Anathema let out an exaggeratedly dreamy sigh. He rolls his eyes at her, and she rolls her eyes back. We'll have a bit of a look between you, then, before Az leaves, Michael's saying. You know the look. Good work. Anyone have questions? When are we going to get the rest of the season's scripts? Newt asks. Michael glances at Uriel. The new head writer is sitting in the back of the room, listening to the reading with her head tilted back and her eyes closed. Before each episode, she says, as needed. As needed? Newt repeats, as needed. Okay, Anathema, you're up. Michael moves on to the next scene, and Crowley stops looking at As, mostly. He doesn't have to make intense, longing eye contact with him when they're when they aren't Blay acting. Curly can limit himself to the occasional sidelong glance when they're not on set. Can be satisfied with the brief study of Az's head as it's bent over his script. A pale pink scalp against white blonde hair. Hair that's impossibly soft. Hair that Curly clenched in his fingers while they kissed. Az looks up at him and Curly drops his eyes to his script. They haven't said a word to each other yet, beside a polite good morning before the table reads... Curly wants to claw his own face off. It's over, remember that. The man said it's over, so back the fuck off. When they finally break for the day, Curly finds Avery waiting for him outside the conference room after everyone else has left. It's a bit of a shock. Curly's body is a machine made for keeping him alive, and now it's all for nothing because here is Avery Fell standing right in front of him. Here he is, just a few feet away from Crowley, in Crowley's open mouth and Crowley's starving hands. He could just reach out and have the man in his arms. It would be easy, no effort at all. How are you? Az asks, swallowing around the last word as his voice goes all froggy. I'm good, yeah. Um, yep. Surely talking has never been this difficult before. Crowley gets paid to do it. He should be used to it by now. Good. How are you? I'm well. As runs a hand through his hair, and Crowley wishes he was the man's hand, or at least the tips of his fingers. Congratulations again. I haven't had a chance to say it personally. No worries. I got your texts. Crowley fidgets with the fringe on his scarf, shifts from one foot to the other. I was hoping I might talk to you. There's something... Sure, go ahead. Curly hates himself even as he says it. Self-preservation, he repeats in a voice that sounds like Pepper's. You get this man alone, you pour some wine, you watch him eat something delicious, lick his lips, and it's curtains. 
curtains for you. Something flickers across Az's face. Curly's never seen that expression before, so he has no idea what it means. All right? Uh, Tracy and I are separating. That's not at all what Curly was expecting. Have separated, as amends. I wanted to tell you, but, but Curly wouldn't talk to him. There wasn't a chance. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Keep talking. Say something. I've been so busy. Yes, well, we're releasing an official statement this week, but I wanted you to know first. Why, Curly wants to ask. Why the fuck should I know first? Is Trace okay? Yes, she is. She's doing very well. I'll give her a call when I get home. Let her know I'm thinking about her. Yes, but Anthony, maybe the two of you can work it out. Who knows? His voice sounds ugly, cold, like a stranger speaking through his throat. One day. Never say never. The look on Az's face shifts to a wretched blankness. He nods. Yes, of course. Curly smiles at him, feels like dry ice against his lips, like any second they're going to start smoking. Well, you take care of yourself, and I'll see you tomorrow. He takes his obliterated heart in his hand and lays it gently down on the ground by Avery's feet. There, take it. All right, Az says softly. Curly tries to ignore the soft, injured expression in the other man's face as he turns away. Tries to ignore the why, why, why that still leaks like blood from his pores. Why did she leave, or why did you leave her? Was it mutual? Why was it mutual? What made this happen now of all times when it's too late, too late? I'm proud of you, Pepper tells him on the phone that night. Oh, yeah? Crowley's only half listening to her, puttering around the kitchen of his rental suite, trying to force himself to eat something. It's been three months, and look at you, drawing on healthy coping skills, asking for help when you need it. Wow, and it only took me, what, nearly 50 years to figure out how to be a semi-functional adult person? You may not believe this, but it takes many people longer than 50 years to reach that point if they ever do. Oh, I feel so much better now. I realize you use sarcasm when you're uncomfortable, but Anthony, you're allowed to be proud of yourself. Crowley is silent. What do you think would happen, Pepper asks, if you acknowledged that you'd done something well? I... Fuck this entire conversation. Thank you so much. Crowley was distracted by the contents of his fridge. He should never have let things get this far. I don't know. You must. There must be some reason you're so terrified of it. He and Trace have split... There, that's a juicy piece of something. That ought to get Pepper off on a different track. Ah, Pepper pauses, a pause that goes on much too long and is probably intentionally meant to make Crowley go insane. How do you feel about that? I feel, I don't know, something bad all in my chest and neck. And Crowley holds out his hands, searches them for trembling. Hands, he finishes. Can you give it a name? Best guess. Maybe panic? That's what I thought you'd say. Oh, great. She's psychic now and all. Why is that? 
because there are no barriers anymore, are there, besides the ones you yourself put up? Curly gives up looking for food and tries to pull out all his hair instead. But that's, that should be a good thing. Why in the name of fuck would I, what's more frightening than having a choice? Huh. So, Pepper's probably fired for real this time. This time Curly means it. If there's trouble, as his voice is soft and hesitant, get a message to me. It's one thing to read a scene like this in a brightly lit conference room. It's another to read it in the forest, lantern lit and close together, breath coming in frozen gusts. It's another to act it out when you're standing near enough to touch. Wherever you are, I'll come to you. Gorgeous Avery fell in his shabby woolen cloak, gives a slight nod. It's a halting sort of thing, like a bird leaving its nest. It makes Curly want to reach out and take Az's chin in his hand, hold his face steady, stop his teeth from chattering, make him see. So he does. Bloody buggering fuck, this is not in the script. This is not in the script. But it's too late. The cameras are still rolling and Crowley is still touching Az's face. I'll find you. You believe me? I do. You do. As simple as that, eh? Michael will call cut any second now. She has to. Thought you were losing faith, priest. Not. As stutters the line and swallows. Not in you. Curly nods then. Drops his hand, still burning with the heat of Az's skin. It'll be okay. It will be. They'll just take the scene again. It'll be fine. The cameras keep rolling, so Crowley hoists his pack of supplies on his shoulder, looks at Avery like he's seeing him for the last time, because he might be. Who knows what's happening in the scripts? This might be their last scene together this season. It might be their last scene together, period. Both of their characters might die of the plague. They've got no way of knowing. As must be thinking the same thing, because his eyes are shining. Real tears in episode one. Pack bastard. Cut, Michael calls at last. Sorry, Mike. Curly immediately looks away from his co-star, searches for Michael beneath the bright lights. Don't know what I was thinking with that. I shouldn't have. I loved it. It was brilliant. We'll go again for coverage, but I want you to do the same thing, okay? A touch to the face? Thanks, guys. As is wiping at his eyes, and the makeup bloke rushes over to powder his face dry. Curly waits until Avery has his eyes closed before staring at him. He used to be better at hiding this. He knows it. But after everything that's happened, his body feels like one exposed wire, and his self-control is basically done for. He's never going to touch Avery again unless cameras are rolling in the vicinity. So at least he can look. Steal glances. Let the other man in sips of whiskey. Bites of glass. When Az opens his eyes again, Curly's already looking away. He calls it self-preservation when it feels a good deal less healthy than that. The third season starts to air midway through the filming of season four, and the cast gets booked for watch parties when it doesn't conflict with shooting. The horsemen insisted on it. Gotta keep that good publicity going. Curly and Anathema go together to a premiere in Belfast, and they answer questions about filming during the ad breaks, and Curly feels more like a celebrity than he ever has. The first seasons were fairly popular, but it wasn't like this. The bar is packed, and people are in costume. 
cheering during the fight scenes, gasping during a particularly dramatic turn. The first appearance of Cumberbatch gets a wave of applause that's thunderous. For all his antisocial tendencies, Crowley has a pretty decent time. Afterwards, an older fellow comes up to him, tells him that Crowley inspired him to finally come out at 67 years old. Crowley hugs him and signs his t-shirt and swears that the tightness in his throat is from shouting too much on camera. Couldn't possibly be from anything else. He's busy during the airing of the next episode, off filming in Iceland, but he's free for the one after that. And as it happens, so is Avery. That's fine, it is. They can be adults about this. They still work together. Curly doesn't even think about it until he sat at the bar and the show has started playing. It's episode three. It's the fucking kiss. The audience loves it, and Crowley grins and winks at them and tries not to notice the way Az's face goes very still and very pink. When there's an ad break, the first audience question is from a bloke who's clearly had a bit too much to drink, weaving as he asks it. So, Avery, is that seeing the reason you're single now? The audience goes silent, as well they fucking should. Curly wants to bite out something extremely vulgar, ask this prick what the hell business it is of his. But then he realizes that Az isn't saying anything. He's opened his mouth, but no words are coming out, and he's flushed and lovely and not the point. Focus up, Anthony. And any second now, the silence will have gone too long to be laughed off, and fuck, fuck. What can I say? Curly leans into his mic, raising his eyebrows. One kiss from me and you're ruined for life. Ladies, lock up your husbands. He grins at Az like he isn't a fucking nightmare of love for him, like he doesn't want to bleed out onto the floor and draw hearts in the mess he leaves. Finally, finally, Az smiles back. He's right. The audience laughs. Ha ha, what a brilliant fucking joke. I was a changed man after that scene. Curly has perfected the art of biting down on his cheek as hard as he can while grinning. His mouth could be filling with blood right now, and no one would have a clue. Sorry, Angel, should have warned you about my powers. As nods in agreement, yes, you should have, but it's too late now. Everything else is just a pale imitation. The awkward moment passes, and the episode resumes, and Avery doesn't speak to him for the rest of the evening. They take separate cars back to the hotel, and the next day Crowley flies into London with Anathema and Michael and assorted others to get ready for the BAFTAs. The next two days are a blur. Clichéd as it might sound, it's true. He was fitted for a suit before he went off to film, and it fits him, thank Christ, and it's got the loveliest dark blue satin lining. He does black on black on black, as usual, but with a silvery scarf around his neck and wingtip shoes so polished so brightly they shine with the flash of each camera. Dakes bees is his date again, poor thing and poses on the red carpet, poses him, and feels thirty years younger. You were a star once, do you remember? Did you think there was any hope of getting back into that black sky, of being welcomed into your old, familiar constellation? Did you think that anyone would ever call your name and want your picture again? Are you crying? Bees asked, horrified. No, shut up. Avery's filming in Ireland with a guest director, and that's maybe for the best. He's here with Crowley anyway, a perpetual ghost kissing the back of Crowley's neck. 
As Crowley navigates the reporters and photographers, he wonders what would have happened if he had chosen to live as his kind of life. If he hadn't fallen the way he did, so far and so fast all those years ago. He could be in the exact same place as his co-star, terrified of putting a toe out of line for fear the industry would turn on him. And he likes to think he would have just burned the world to ashes with the power of his love, would have said, fuck everyone, I choose you. But who knows? Things could have been different. There is another life I could have had, but I am having this one. So with the ghost pressed up against his back, arms wound around his shoulders like a shawl, Crowley walks the red carpet. He tries not to stare too much of at Olivia Coleman, a spectacular failure. He's a rabbit fan. And he tries not to fall in love with Idris Elba, another failure. Here is not a more perfect-looking human. And when they play the nominees' clips later in the show, it's like he's watching someone else. He doesn't recognize that man. He does, though. He does. Recognizes the longing that hits right at the lip of him, almost spilling over, but not enough that he can't play it off as great acting. Which is bullshit, frankly. The best acting of his life he's doing right now, and no one even cares. No one even notices. And the BAFTA goes to... Anthony J. Crowley for Warlock. It's even more of a blur after that. Anathema and Newton and Michael have their arms all over him, and Bees even gives him an uncharacteristic kiss on the cheek. Later he'll think of the walk from his seat to the stage and be amazed that he wasn't floating halfway to the ceiling or slithering across the floor. He has no idea where his edges are, no concept of his limbs. Might just be held together by sweat and spite and very tight trousers. Later, he'll watch back the speech he makes like he's watching footage of a newly found planet. Then it's the green room, then it's photographs, and Benedict Cumberbatch shaking his hand, and a glass of champagne and the media circus all over again. What do you think your dad will have to say about your win? Did he offer any advice before the ceremony? Ha, that'd be a fine thing. His dad had said a gruff, expect you're feeling pleased with yourself after the nominations came out, but that was the extent of it. His mom had had more of an opinion about the television award. Voted on by fans, is it? Not anyone in the industry? A sort of mass appeal thing, then. Ah. Curly smiles so tightly it might snap. I think they'll be glad that I'm finally putting all their tuition money to good use. But seriously, I was so lucky to grow up in a creative family. Such a big part of this award is down to them, and I can't tell you what it means to be carrying on their legacy. There, use a bunch of words to say absolutely nothing. It's an art form. The after party is at the Savoy. Everyone keeps patting Crowley's back and handing him champagne. Maybe he has one too many, or maybe he should have eaten something more than coffee today, or maybe it's the ghost at the back of his neck, or maybe it's the mix of sleeplessness and adrenaline and champagne and the perfect smiles of the people around him. Some of them who probably remember when no one would hire him, who probably called him all sorts of lovely slurs when not in polite company. Who knows if there's an exact cause? All Crowley knows is that things get a bit foggy, and when his driver drops him at home, he stumbles into his apartment and makes a stupid, stupid fucking phone call. His one saving grace is that there's no answer. Or maybe that's actually worse. If As had picked up, he might have taken pity on Crowley, ended the call, told him to ring back the next morning when he was sober. 
but there's no reasoning with voicemail. Number 39. Congratulations, Anthony. I know you've brought your manager as your date tonight. I'm wondering what your love life's like. There's a bit of laughter. Oh, I see. Only there were some photos about a year ago of yourself and the musician Matt Noble. I'm wondering if the two of you have kept in touch at all, or if any of our readers still have a shot. Curly barks out a laugh against his will. While that's extremely flattering, I regret to inform your readers that I've given up on romance and I'm committing myself fully to my craft. Also juicing. I just got a magic bullet. Life-changing stuff. I don't have time for much else, and no, Matt and I are not still in touch. I expect he's gone off and run off with Harry Styles or something. Hi, Ed. It's me. You're, you're probably asleep. Should be asleep. I shouldn't be calling you. I went to BAFTA. I don't know if you heard. It doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but... Crowley's halfway falling off the sofa. Phone pressed his ear. One shoe still on. I'm sorry I didn't say goodbye to you after the show at the bar. I'm sorry for everything. All of it. Whatever I did. I love you. I'm so stupid, I know. And I'm, I'm sorry I still love you. And I'm trying to stop, and I will. I just needed to tell you that. I'll be fine. You'll be fine. I just miss you. He won't remember all of this message. Just bits and pieces of it the next morning when Az calls him and calls him and Crowley doesn't answer. The phone drops from his hand then, or maybe he hangs up, or maybe he falls off the couch and lies on the floor until he falls asleep. Whatever happens, Crowley wakes up the next morning with a twisted neck and a bad taste in his mouth and a slowly creeping horror that he made a phone call he shouldn't have. Whatever happens, he and Avery don't see each other for almost two months. Number 20. Congratulations, Anthony. It's red lipstick again. Curly makes an apologetic face. Oh, you remember me. Wondering if you've had any thoughts about my last question? And jog my memory, would you? Any words of advice for fans of yours who relate to some of your struggles? Curly breathes out slowly. He still has her card, still intends to answer her. But some answers matter, right? Can't all be using a bunch of words to say absolutely nothing. Can I have one more free pass? The last one, I swear, I'm going to write something up. Make it properly thoughtful. The reporter's laugh and red lipstick raises an eyebrow. Well, as long as it's properly thoughtful. For two months, Curly filmed scenes without Avery. For two months, he's given scraps of the script, the pieces that only involve him directly, nothing of the rest of the world. Christy has no idea where Az is, and no idea whether they'll act opposite each other ever again. He didn't actually think it would be the last time they acted together in that forest. Not actually. Whatever happens in Warlock, there will be premieres and award shows and publicity to do. It's not like he won't see Az again. But if Uriel kills one of them off... That would be it for most of their time together. Which is fine. Curly has to believe that. Curly has to tell himself that, despite certain drunk voicemails, he's getting better, healing by inches. Az doesn't call him, and Curly doesn't call either. Tries not to even think about the night of the BAFTAs. What a fucking mistake. And he'd been doing so well, too. He'd been processing and practicing self-care and... 
using healthy coping strategies or whatever the hell Pepper would say. And suddenly there's a bit of champagne and exhaustion in him and he has to vomit his useless longing all over Avery's spotless shoes. Do you want to go to New York? Bees asks on the phone from London. Curly always wants to go to New York. He particularly wants to go when he's freezing his arse off in Iceland. Why? For the season finale watch-along? I've booked the flights already. Michael wants you there. Curly's not going to argue with them, and definitely not about this. Just me? Uh, no. And that answers Curly's next question as well. Everyone I love, they're in this room. Curly's sitting on stage, off to the side of a giant projector screen. As is in the seat next to him, close enough to touch. Close enough to smell, and fuck, that's a problem. Must be a new cologne. He never used to have this hint of vetiver around him. Curly wants to look at him, but he can't, so he just inhales deeply. When the episode ends, there's a bit of Q&A, some time to talk to fans who bought photos to sign. Are you going to end up together? A girl asks Curly as he writes a heartfelt message on her Wizard School the Movie poster. For a second, he almost passes out. Oh, right, he's in a television show. Don't know. I wish I could tell you, but they barely let us read the scripts for the next episode. What do you think? I hope you do, but the girl shrugs. Probably not, right? Maybe we're both in for a surprise. She smiles shyly at him, and he smiles back. As he turns his head away, he sees Avery watching him, coming back to their table with another glass of wine. Curly's on lemonade just now, no alcohol for him when he's one around Avery, or two has potential access to a phone. You're very good with them. Who, her? Fans. Avery's voice is quiet, his gaze fluttering. It's like he's afraid that if he makes eye contact or speaks too loudly, Curly might bolt. And you know he bloody might. So are you. Well, it's very kind of you, but you make it seem easy. I rather like watching you. As takes a sharp breath in. That is, that sounded rather awkward. No, it's fine. What I meant was, you seem to enjoy yourself, for the most part, and they love you. Curly takes that compliment, tosses it from hand to hand, unable to let it settle anywhere, unsure whether he wants it. Well, thanks. They're a good lot. Would you like to share a taxi after this is done? The studio booked them rooms in the same hotel, same floor even. Curly's been trying to repress that knowledge. Sure, Angel, he says without thinking, and pretends not to notice Avery flinch. So they do. They make uncomfortable small talk on the ride back to the hotel while the back seat of the taxi swims in vetiver and orange blossom. Curly knows his jacket is going to smell like as for the rest of his life. He's not washing it ever again. Are you in the city long? As asks as they walk through the lobby, take the elevator up to the 15th floor. Two days, then I'm back in Belfast. You? I have almost a week before they need me. Lucky bastard. Let's have breakfast tomorrow. Let's have lunch. Go to a museum. Go to a bookstore. You could tell me all the clever things you know as we walk around Central Park. I could make you laugh and buy you cheesecake. We could have a picnic. I could take your hand, trace your lifeline with my tongue like it was a river. Stop it. 
Yes, I suppose I am. Well, have fun while you can. They reach Ivory's room first, not a tilting goodnight at each other before Crowley continues down the hall. But he makes the mistake of looking back. There's no excuse. He can tell himself all he likes that it was to make sure Az got into his room okay. He can tell himself these friendly little lies, but the truth is a hungry, feral thing. I just wanted to look at you. In the dark and open doorway, Avery's looking back at him. Crowley moves without thinking, falls like a stage light, glass everywhere. He walks forward and is kissing as before the door has even been pulled shut. Yes, yes, as gasps, pulling him inside and slamming the door so he can push Crowley up against it. Their hands are frantic and as tastes delicious and familiar and Crowley doesn't ever want to stop kissing him. Get this off. Az's voice is broken against Crowley's mouth, and he's pulling Crowley's shirt out of his trousers, fisting hands in the fabric. Crowley tugs at his blonde hair, kissing him, kissing him. Fuck, Avery stutters against the line of Crowley's jaw. Oh God, I want you. Yes, yeah, so damn much, I can't. Please, please, let me. Az's hands are at Crowley's belt, yanking it open, fumbling with his zipper, shoving trousers and pants down his thighs before dropping to his knees. Oh, fucking Christ, Angel, you. Please, oh God. As his mouth is vicious on Crowley's stomach, on his hip bones, on the trail of hair below his navel. Crowley is hard and dripping already. Just the thought of Avery's mouth is enough to end this before it starts. If he so much as breathes on Crowley's cock. I've been thinking about this. As says, between darts of his tongue against Crowley's overheated skin. About you. I can't stop. I've wanted you so badly. It's all I can think about. Fuck. Crowley slides his hand into As's hair, and it's soft, so soft. And when he imagined it, and he did imagine it, it was always soft. Stop. Crowley's voice is almost inaudible. He pulls his hands out of Avery's hair and his palms scream at him. Stop, he says, louder. As stops immediately. He looks up, mouth open and lips wet. His eyelashes are golden and Crowley is a wreck for him. Has a curved spine from carrying around the weight of this love. But what, what is it? As is breathing fast, a look of growing confusion on his face. His eyes are so wide and blue and foggy with lust that Crowley almost says fuck it and takes him by the hair again. But you're uh, not sober. As blinks, then he huffs out a little laugh. I'm fine. Yeah, well, I'm not fine. Fuck, what is he fucking doing? He want him. He's here. Just reach the fuck out. I can't. You can't. I can't do this. Slowly, the meaning of the words seem to register. Avery drops his hands from Crowley's hips, shifts back on his knees, gets to his feet, looks everywhere in the room but Crowley's face. But your message, as says quietly, that was, you know what that was. Crowley frantically dresses, zips, buckles his belt. Keep moving, keep moving. 
a mistake. A mistake. Not that bit about how I feel. That's, I'm working on it, yeah, but I can't. This is going to hurt more than lit cigarettes. Crowley can already tell. Be with you. As is absolutely frozen still. Could be a lovely statue in a dark museum. And Crowley can't stop twitching, shaking, moving so much he's blurry. I can't. Not like this. Not how it was. I, Anthony, I'd never ask you to change your life. Never. But I, I love you and I can't hide. It hurts too much. Every word is a shovel full of earth raining down on him. And all he wants in the world is to touch Az again, kiss him, make this okay. I can't pretend I'm not in love with you when you're fucking me. I can't watch you leave before it's light out. I'm so sorry. The breath in Avery's chest shatters out of him like a sob. You don't have to be sorry. Curly takes a step forward, reaches out before he realizes what he's doing. He pulls his hand back quickly. You... You're fucking wonderful. This would be so much easier if you weren't. What if I try? I'm not going to push you as. I'd never do that. And I'd never take this choice from you. But breathe mindfully, you absolute fuckwit. I wouldn't survive it that way it was. I wouldn't. As doesn't say anything. He clutches his shoulders like he's holding himself together. I'm going to go. Take care of yourself, all right? I'll see you. Az still doesn't say anything, so Crowley leaves, and when he gets to his room, he sinks to the floor beside his bed and covers his face with his hands and doesn't move for a long, long time, and it's another month before they see each other again. The very last episode, the season four finale. Hey, look at that. They all made it. It's a battle scene, an entire village taking up arms against the Inquisition, pitchforks and shovels against swords and shields and arrows. It takes days to film, and Crowley's only needed for the last half of it, just long enough to see Avery through the carnage, save his life, and then immediately get shot through with arrows. Even though they're filming, his first glimpse of as in weeks feels like a victory. He can't help the stupid expression on his face, which is exactly what Michael wants. They take the reunion scene over and over again. Curly gets to stare into Avery's eyes and soak up the shimmer of emotions, disbelief to surprise to gratitude to terror. Gets to fall forward into Avery's arms, swoon like a romantic heroine, his face lined with black with sweat and smoke and blood. He's not dead, no worries there. He'll be back for next season, apparently, though he's not got a clue how he survives this. Probably magic, right? Something like that. And that's a wrap on season four, Michael shouts, and there's a wave of applause, crew and cast and dozens of extras cheering. Crowley's still held tight in Az's arms, their chests pressed against each other. Even with the fake arrows sticking out of his back and his muscles aching from the week of shooting, Crowley is suddenly happy. He can't help it. He smiles, smiles at Avery with the whole tangled yarn of their history trailing behind him, still wrapped around his throat, but a bit looser now not cutting off the air quite so much. As smiles back. As he does, tears spill down his face. 
They leave tracks in his grimy makeup, and Curly can almost taste them in his mouth, the sea salt of his skin. Soft, bloody angel, he murmurs. Has nods, almost laughing and almost crying in equal measure. Foul fiend. His hands clench compulsively on Curly's waist. The sky above them is wide and gray and clean, and the moment doesn't want to end. Maybe there's a world in which it doesn't, where some great benevolent god presses paws and lets Crowley linger in this warmth for a century or so. But in the world they live in, Wardrobe comes over to help Crowley with the arrows, and Michael's shouting something at a PA, and As lets him go. Face shining, As lets him go. They step away from each other, two people on opposite sides of a river. Lighting and grips collecting gear and extras trying to figure out where they're supposed to go to get their checks and sound coming to take the microphones. People pass endlessly between them, swift as water. But even on their distant shores, Curly and Az don't stop looking at each other. It feels like an ending. Maybe it is one. Not a happy ending, but not a bad one either. It's like dropping a match once it's burned right down to your fingertips. You can only hold it for so long. Crowley feels the bright, blistering pain of it and wants to suck his fingers into his mouth. But how can you regret something that gave off so much light? You can't. Avery smiles at him. Crowley doesn't regret anything. And he goes out with Anathema and a few other crew members for drinks later that night. Laughs around the tightness in his chest. Pretends there aren't any ghosts pressing their lips to his bared throat. And when he gets back to his hotel room that night, he sends an email. Excerpt from Anthony Crowley, Out of the Shadows, Under the Spotlight, by Amy Nicholson, The Guardian. I'd never met Anthony Crowley until he won a National Television Award. Of course, I'd seen his films. Growing up, he was all over my television screen, and I dare say my mom had a bit of a crush. Of course, now he's Anthony Crowley, BAFTA winner, and no one will forget that anytime soon. He's charming as all hell in person, though the self-deprecation can feel a bit painful you get the impression that he's atoning for something. Perhaps he thinks that downplaying his accomplishments is one of the roads toward forgiveness. But watching him answer questions, I had to ask, forgiveness for what? I happen to know many people with a deep abiding appreciation for the work of Mr. Crowley. This appreciation stems from more than just his brilliant acting, and he is brilliant, there's no denying that. But fans of his appreciate something else as well. They appreciate the chance to see themselves, with all their darkness, with all their weaknesses and strengths, reflected openly in a public figure. Crowley references his time in rehab, makes comments about his therapist, his sexuality, his trouble with the law. And while he often uses these experiences as skewers on which to roast himself, the sheer fact that they're being talked about by the lead in an immensely popular television series is remarkable. I asked Crowley the night of the television awards what he would say to a young person who was experiencing some of the same challenges he did. With characteristic unpredictability, he asked if he could get back to me. I asked him the same question after his win at the BAFTAs. I was given the same answer. Well, true to his word, Crowley has gotten back to me, and this is what he wants to say. He'd like you, any of you who might need these words, to hear. First off, I'm not a poet or anything. They give me lines, I don't write them. So this isn't going to be profound or even all that smart. But you asked and I said I'd answer. It's going to be hard. 
I'll tell you that from the start. However hard you think it's going to be, I promise you it'll be worse. And you're going to think you have to do it alone, but you don't. And you can't. People will want to help you. People will want to be there when you're ready for them. You might not find them right away, but you'll find them. Wherever you are on that path, wherever you're headed, just remember that you won't be walking it forever. And those first steps, first loves, first heartaches, first mistakes, whatever, they don't have to define all the years of your life. A day will come when you can let it go. You might not think so now, but that day will come. It doesn't mean you won't still carry a part of it with you, but you're going to wake up one day and realize it's lighter. That day will come, whatever you're carrying. I'm mixing metaphors, aren't I? Like I said, not a poet. Anyway, whoever you are, I want you to know that I'm proud of you. If you're queer and alive in this fucking world, sorry, am I allowed to swear? You can edit this, whatever I'm going to say, fuck. If you're queer and alive in this fucking world, I'm proud of you. So there you have it. There's a rap party at the end of season four. It's at the same posh London club, and Crowley goes because he has to and ignores the canapes and holds up the bar. Old habits die hard, and why mess with a good thing and all that? He's brought a date this time, but Bees prefers to avoid his company when they can help it, and is hanging around the appetizers, getting their money's worth. Crowley's drinking soda water with lime, and he's bored to tears by it, but there's still a part of him that can't be tipsy around Avery Fell, still a part of him that's cringing and wretched and starving, a part that might creep out of the darkness and catch fire and say stupid bullshit nonsense in Az's direction, might ask for another chance, might drop to his knees and beg. So, Crowley is clinging to his self-respect like he's hanging from the edge of a cliff by his fingernails, and he's hiding in the darkness and being antisocial and waiting for the inevitable. Having fun? Anathema asks, silently appearing beside him. Loads. Crowley gives her a flat look, and she smiles at him like he's entertaining. Sweet, even. Unbloody believable. Would you don't? Crowley cuts her off before she can finish, holds up his palm in self-defense. She promptly smacks it out of the way. I wasn't even going to ask, you prick. My fragile ego can't handle another rejection, though I know how much you love these sick beats. Said beats with a Z, don't know if you caught that. Um, Curly's briefly distracted and distraught by the opening strains of Wonderwall. Good for you. Well done. He scans the crowd for any sight of a beige silk coat and matching cravat. As bought Tracy to the party, which only got a few raised eyebrows, it's clear they're still great friends. And Tracy cornered Curly earlier in the evening for several overly enthusiastic hugs. He didn't mind so much since it was Trace. Her bright red hair stands out like a beacon even in the dim lighting, and she's currently standing at the edge of the dance floor talking to... Fuck him, is that Shadwell? The scruffy Scottish key grip? He cleans up nicely to Clorley's complete shock. What I was going to ask before you got all self-centered and defensive was about your friend. She nods her head toward bees, a besuited smudge by the veggie tray. Bees? What about them? Anathema tosses her hair, tries to look extremely cool and disaffected. But Crowley has been trying to look cool and disaffected for longer than Anathema's been alive. He can spot the cracks immediately. If one were going to say, buy them a drink. Why Anathema device? 
Curly raises an eyebrow at her, and she raises one right back. What? You sly devil. This was unexpected. Curly thought that maybe there was something happening with her and Newt, but apparently he was mistaken. I have no idea what you're implying. I thought they looked lonely standing over there. I bet you did. You're awful, and I don't know why I talked to you. She makes a big production out of turning away, starting to flounce off. Pineapple and soda water is their usual. No alcohol. That earns him at least a backward glance. Was that so hard? Don't break any hearts now, device. Worry about your own heart, Anthony. I haven't got one. Don't you read the papers? Anathema shakes her head. This time she really does walk away, but he's almost certain he hears her mutter, Good thing you're pretty, as she goes. He watches her for a bit, lets himself fade back into the darkness. It doesn't feel as necessary as it used to, but it's still his security blanket. He sips his drink, waits for Wonderwall to end, wondering what fresh hell the DJ has lined up for them next. It's some soft bluegrass thing, as it turns out. A slow song, one that's vaguely familiar. Would you like to dance? Curly turns almost in slow motion to see a beige silk coat and cravat standing just to his left. A man who gave his jacket away and soaked up half a glass of wine from Curly's shirt the night they met. Curly suddenly, like a cannon firing, recognizes the song that's playing. Romantic nonsense. His body is warm, swaying against Avery's in the kitchen. The worst sort of cliché. The thing is... Avery takes a breath. The thing is, he's shaking, hands clenched together, but he doesn't drop his eyes, doesn't stop looking at Crowley. I'm rather in, in love with you. Crowley tries to respond, tries to laugh it off or deny it, tries to say, but you're not, that's not true. But the words won't come. I'm in love with you. Avery's eyes shine with tears. Fuck, he's so soft. And the voice in Crowley's head wants to be derisive, but is the absolute opposite. My darling. If you knew me back then, Crowley starts, and Avery's eyes are pale with anger. I know you now. I have loved you for so long. So stupidly, impossibly long. I love your kindness, and I love your courage, and I'm so... So sorry that I couldn't be as brave as you from the start. I'm so sorry that I made you feel... Don't apologize, Curly finds words at fucking last. You haven't. I have. I made you feel like you weren't enough. But you see, it was me. I wasn't. As is holding out his hand in a lamplit cottage. Come to bed with me if you like. And oh, Curly's heart will not stop beating. Avery... Curly tries to keep his voice down, but no one is looking at them. No one can hear what they're saying. But I am now, as says, lifting his chin. I am. Oh, I see we have a skeptic on our hands. And warm fingers against Curly's neck. A gold coin in Avery's palm shine like the new moon. If I'm too late. For the first time, Avery's soft, affectionate expression shifts. His face goes gray, and Crowley feels the urge to comfort, to calm and pet and adore, welling up in what's left of his heart. 
my dear, I understand, and I, I won't be angry, and I won't expect anything from you. If I've ruined this, if you can't ever trust me again, they'll see us, Crowley whispers, trying to pretend the shadows around him aren't getting blurry or water running down the canvas of his self-control. Everyone will. I know. A thermos of tea, then. Sometimes it's nice to have someone make it for you and the first halting flight of Crowley's heart from an airy. You told me you wouldn't take this choice from me, and you never did. You did everything you could to protect me. Not enough, Crowley wants to say. I never did enough. I fell the fuck in love with you, and I wanted you, and I pulled the whole thing apart at the stitches. But as it happens, I'm choosing you. If I still can, if you'll have me. Crowley can barely make out Avery's face behind the shine of tears in his own eyes. He tries to say something, but it comes out a garbled mess, and the sound makes Avery's mouth tremble. I love you, Anthony. I love you. Everyone I love, they're in this room. I have loved you for, for ages and was too stupid and frightened to tell you. What happened to your coat? But I will tell you every day, every hour, if you like, if you let me. Would you dance with me? I gave it away. Yes, Crowley says. Something wet is running down his face. Avery reaches out for his hand and their palms fit together, like harmony, like a warm and perfect fist. Even if both their hands are shaking, the music is steady. As tugs Crowley gently toward him and then leads him out of the darkness and onto the dance floor. And there are lights, lights shining down on them. That soft bluegrass song is still playing when they reach the center of the floor. And if Crowley could see through the tears, he'd see Anathema staring at them with both hands lifted to her heart. And he'd see bees looking extremely red-faced and desperately blinking their eyes. And he'd see Tracy reaching out for Shadwell's shoulder and Newton grinning like an idiot and Michael frozen with a drink halfway to her lips. But he can't see any of this. He only sees Avery. Avery, who is trembling almost as much as Crowley is. There's a wild moment where Crowley thinks the other men will call it off. We'll realize the mistake he's made and run. We'll leave Crowley alone. But instead, As puts a hand on Crowley's waist. Then he slides it up Crowley's back, rests it between his shoulder blades, and pulls him close. Their foreheads touch, and Crowley soaks up the contact like it's medicine. There are eyes on him. He can feel each pair of them. But the man he loves is warm and strong and in his arms. They sway. It's not much of a dance. Crowley's not much of a dancer when he's sober. But he's in love, and that buried black earth love of his crushes up against the wide gray sea of Avery Fell, and together they're a shoreline. When the song ends, people might be clapping. Crowley isn't certain, doesn't trust any of his senses except his sense of touch, which tells him Avery's arms are still wrapped around his waist. Would you like to go somewhere else? As asks, lips brushing against Crowley's ear as he speaks. God, yes. So they do. And then when they get to Crowley's car, As doesn't even ask about the tint of the windows before kissing him. It's a softer kiss, one that tastes of salt and stings all the more for it. And when their lips separate, As runs a hand through Crowley's hair, only stutters a bit when he says, 
You can stay at my place if you like. Fuck right off, Crowley does not say. He kisses Avery instead. How long have we been here? Crowley's on his back in a bed, and Az's head is between his legs. He can't stop looking at him, can't stop touching his hair, rubbing his back against the pale blue sheets, biting his lips so he doesn't thrust his hips too sharply. You can, you know. Avery pulls off, lips shining. I want you to. He takes Crowley back into the heat of his lovely mouth, as deep as he can go. It's just on the side of too much, and when Az trails slick fingers up his thigh, Crowley helplessly spreads his legs, beyond shame, all hunger and gratification. If you, if you don't, the fucker words when Az is fingering him just shallowly at the moment, which only makes Crowley want more and more and impossibly more. I, Az, I'll come. Avery drags his lips up Crowley's cock, licks his tongue against the head, and it's too much. It's almost fucking over. Good, he breathes. But you, I want... Don't fret, my love. You'll come again while I'm fucking you. And against all biological evidence and past experience, Crowley does. It's the slow build that does it, as sucking him off and then fingering him through it till he's almost too sensitive. And when he can't take another moment of stimulation, when his cock is wrung out and his breathing is too fast and his legs won't spread any wider, as hauls his thighs up over his shoulders and licks into him, wet and insistent, and God fucking heaven on earth, no one has ever done this before. He makes a hideous series of noises, basically starts keening with each movement of Avery's tongue. Crowley swears he can feel the bastard smile, so he uses his legs to pull Az in closer and then is ready to forgive him anything. Later, when it feels like he's been on edge for hours, might die with how good he feels, as pulls back, pulls away. The absence of his mouth makes another wretched noise escape Crowley's throat, and he covers his face with his hands to try to muffle the sound. Christ, he's not always so needy. He is, he is. And he should have more self-control than this. He doesn't. As is rolling on a condom, settling back against the headboard. With gentle hands, he guides Crowley up onto his knees and arranges his boneless limbs until he's sitting in Avery's lap, facing away from him. Fuck, oh, fuck, oh. Crowley gasps, weakly trying to lift himself up with trembling thighs. As presses kisses to his shoulder blades. Hush, darling, I've got you. I've got you. As gets a hand on Crowley's waist, moving him where he wants him before pulling him down, sinking into him with one long, slow stroke. Oh, fuck. The air has been punched out of his lungs. There's no way he'll come again, but he's hard. He's hard and he wants to. And as his hands are on his hips, as his mouth is against the back of his neck, as his breathing obscenities into his spine while Crowley writhes and shudders on his cock. There you go, love like that. He lifts Crowley's body in time to his thrusts, and it's deep, so deep. It feels like it's been years since Crowley's been touched like this, and it's Avery, and he wants him, he loves him. Oh, you perfect, gorgeous bloody. As bites off a moan, and Crowley reaches behind with both hands and steadies himself on Avery's forearms, fucking him, fucking him. Can you come from this? I think you will. I think you can. 
Lips press frantic kisses all over Crowley's back. I love you. I've missed you, and I love you, and I want you. Yes. Crowley's hips are jerking wildly, and as is matching him thrust for thrust, and the bed frame is rattling underneath them. When Crowley lifts a hand to touch himself, as stops him. Like this, Avery says. You can come like this. I, I don't. Oh, Jesus. You can. He tangles one hand in Crowley's hair, and Crowley drops his head forward, wailing because he will, he will, he can. As is hot and huge inside him, all around him, and Crowley's suddenly there, coming on his stomach, hips rocking frantically into the air, and wishing it was a mouth. So good, so good for me, As murmurs. So good, darling. And then he's lifting himself up, moving Crowley forward onto his hands and knees. Avery fucks him like that until Crowley's voice is hoarse from moaning, and as is coming inside him, hair damp and forehead pressed against Crowley's back. I love you, I love you. He says it again later after the sweat has cooled, and he's cleaned Crowley up gently with his tongue first and a warm cloth second. I love you too. They fall asleep, kissing. Crowley wakes up beside him. There is sunlight streaming in the window, and the sky is clear, and it is morning. He watches the slow flicker of awareness in Avery's blue eyes, the curve of his mouth into a shade of smile that Crowley's never seen before. Hello, As murmurs, and Crowley kisses him. They go to breakfast together. As asks him, and he says yes. Crowley gets to leave his house with him, sit with him in a restaurant, stare moonstruck at him, from across the table. Avery's lips are still a bit swollen, his neck is pink from the rasp of Crowley's stubble. He looks desperately happy. There's a couple at a nearby table shooting them some looks, and Crowley flinches when he sees the telltale flash of a camera phone out of the corner of his eye. He looks quickly to Az for his reaction, but the other man only smiles, reaches across the white linen tablecloth to take Crowley's hand in his. There's logistics to think of, Crowley is muttering, filling up any and all space with nervous chatter. We'll have to talk to Michael. Yes, I have done. Not about you exactly, I wouldn't have. Just said I was in love with someone and I wasn't going to hide it. Well, Crowley wasn't prepared for that response. I suppose there's Gabriel? Oh no, I let him go months ago. Always on about my weight, that one. Who? I'm sorry, but who are you? Forgotten my name already. How sordid. I'll see if I can remind you of it when we get home. Here you are, gentlemen. The server drops off their coffee and tea just in time because Crowley was about to choke. Move in with me, Crowley says in a rush, thinking of the word home in Avery's mouth, thinking of what he wants it to mean, what he wants it to feel like. Or I could move in with you, or we could... Whatever you like. Or not, of course. I'm going too fast. I shouldn't have. Yes. As leans forward to blow on his tea before smiling up at Crowley. I thought that would be obvious. My new flat is bigger, but yours has such a lovely view. <laughs> we'll have to think on it. As squeezes his hand once before letting it go. We should have a toast. Yeah? And what exactly are we toasting? My health? Avery laughs, and Crowley's in love with him, and it's broad daylight, 
and open air, and he doesn't have to pretend otherwise. He can stare as much as he likes, can stare until his eyesight goes and his shoulders hunch and his old bones crumble to besotted dust. I don't know. It's such a beautiful day, isn't it? It feels like a new world, Avery says. Well then, Crowley clicks his coffee mug against Avery's teacup. To the world. As smiles, warm and sweet as the tea in his mouth. To the world. I kneel into the dream where I am good and loved. I am good. I am loved. My hands have made some good mistakes. They can always make better ones. Natalie, we, least of all, our bodies and other fine machines. Deadline. Home, business, breaking news. Warlock stars confirm romantic relationship. Updated 7.14 p.m. Ineffable Productions and showrunner Michael Ange have released an official statement regarding rumors that the lead actors of popular series Warlock have become romantically involved. We are aware that they are in a relationship and we wish them all the best, Ange told reporters at a Thursday morning press conference in Los Angeles. It will not affect the direction of the show and neither Avery nor Anthony want it to overshadow the story we're trying to tell. The relationship between the two leads has long sparked speculation between fans who suspected that on-screen chemistry may have been spilling over into the real world. While Anthony Crowley has previously been linked to celebrities such as Enfant ceramics artist Luke Van Doren, and musician Matt Noble, Avery Fell recently ended a decades-long relationship to the surprise of the British filming community. Neither man has ever behaved in anything but a professional manner. I will not comment on when the relationship started because it is none of my business. I would like also to take this opportunity to express our gratitude for Warlock's Emmy nominations in Outstanding Drama Series, Lead Actor in a Drama Series, and Supporting Actress in a Drama Series. John Blackout, media director for GLAAD, told Deadline, This is unprecedented. Though we like to think times are changing, homophobia is still alive and rampant in the film industry and the television industry. It's taken tremendous courage for Mr. Fell to come out at this stage in his career, and the ripple effect can't be understated. Neither Crowley nor Fell responded to requests for an interview at this time, though the manager of well-known actors Vera and Reginald Crowley released this statement to the press. My clients also met on set while filming That's Another Story nearly 60 years ago. They are proud of their son and wish he and Mr. Fell every happiness. More as this progresses. One year later, let's finish this story. Crowley is throwing every piece of clothing he's ever owned into a suitcase. He's in that kind of packing mode, not a good sign. While texting Vespers about the upcoming Buzzcocks show and pretending to love the blurry photographs of Shadwell that Trace keeps messaging him from Prague. It's a lot of work, this having friends business. Curly's out of practice. Through the doorway in the living room, he can hear Az on the phone, moving around slowly, probably collecting a stack of books that he won't actually have time to read. His suitcase was packed three days ago, clothing folded neatly and arranged by style and color. The man is clearly unhinged. Curly should have had this information before they moved in together. 
You don't need the messy details, but it's enough to say that the story doesn't end after they slow dance to a love song in a crowded bar. The story doesn't end after breakfast. Instead, they go back to Az's house, and Curly is on the phone with Bees, and Az is on the phone with Michael, and then the horseman for a long, long time. Curly watches him, doesn't take his eyes off the other man. Curly is a series of cigarette burns, and he still can't separate love from terror. He's still waiting for the inevitable fall. Yes, yes, he's right here, as is saying. Yes. When he looks over at Crowley, who knows what he sees? Crowley has no barricades anymore, isn't even wearing his glasses. He can only imagine that he looks starving and naked and orbiting around as like a planet. Yes, as says into the phone, a soft smile on his mouth as he meets Crowley's gaze. No wonder Crowley circles him. The man is impossibly full of light. Yes. I'm sure. I'm sure. So glad to hear it, as his voice comes from the living room. Not long. Well, we'll see, I suppose. Curly can picture him now, his manicured nails, the curve of his shoulders, that pale green cardigan Curly has taken to stealing in the mornings, or after Avery's been wearing it. It's warm is the thing. Oh, I don't know. I'll have to ask. Just a minute. As peers into their bedroom, holding the phone against his chest. Sarah wants to know about Christmas this year. The man widens his eyes with a look of exaggerated horror. Do you know your schedule yet, whether you'll be free to come to dance? Curly widens his eyes right back, shakes his head. I think I'm busy over the holidays, traveling for um, work. Of course, there was some media nastiness, and has as has to delete his Twitter, and Crowley has to be held back from single-handedly tracking down the entirety of Twitter one by one to twist his thumb into their eyes. Pepper wasn't a fan of that idea, or any of Crowley's alternative plans for violent retribution. Killjoy. Crowley was used to the abuse by that point, learned how to take a punch on the jaw long ago. What he wasn't used to was bringing someone else down with him, and jail would be a bloody blessing compared to seeing Az, gray-faced and staring out windows. Or that one time Crowley's pretty sure the man was crying in the bathroom, trying to swallow down the sound so that Crowley didn't notice. He clenches his hands into fists just thinking about it. But it didn't last forever. And while there's still a bit of bullshit now and then, because there is no shortage of bullshit to be had on the internet, is there? It's mostly died down. So they can get on with the proper business of domestic bliss, i.e. avoiding visits from each other's families. Sorry, Sarah, he's working, Avery says, nodding gratefully at Crowley. Yes, we'll have to do something in the new year, or in December sometime. Does she? All right. He covers the phone again. Darling, Penny wants to talk to you about book four. Is that all right, or are you... Crowley is already kicking his suitcase as closed as it will go. There's no way he's going to need that fringed jacket. What is wrong with him? And reaching out for the phone. Penny's a good kid, though it's hard not to be just a bit suspicious of someone who shows you that much uncomplicated, genuine affection after knowing you for ten minutes, even if they're eight years old. Christ, how did she get to be eight? Wasn't she six when he met her? Curly's hand touches Az's as he takes the phone. It makes his heartbeat stutter just a little, makes a bit of color come rushing to his face out of sheer habit. 
He's going to get used to touching us soon, he swears. I've only officially been together for about a year. It's early days yet. He'll get used to it. He will. He'll never get used to it. Even with the wealth of years that line up in front of him, even when his hands are unrecognizable and shot through with thick blue veins, the touch of Avery's skin will always give off sparks. Of course, he doesn't know this yet, but he will. Hello, love, Curly says into the phone, swallowing as he looks away from the soft slope of Az's throat. What chapter are you on? Ah, okay, so his name has been drawn from the goblet then? Shit, that part was. Az smacks him on the arm and Curly winces out an apology. Uh, sorry, forget that last bit. Penny isn't paying attention, too busy pledging passionate love for Fleur Delacour. Curly is only half listening, staring at the blonde-haired menace moving gently around the room. He watches Az nudge the exploding suitcase with his toe, then give it a dubious look. He peers inside and sees the fringed bloody coat, which makes him raise an eyebrow in Curly's direction. Curly shrugs in response. And Millie says that Hufflepuff is stupid, but Cedric's a Hufflepuff. He is. Curly wonders how much time they have before they go. Wonders if he'll have enough time to press Az up against their wardrobe, pin him there while he slowly undoes each button on that cardigan, pushes his hand up under his t-shirt to grab palmfuls of warm skin. And he's a champion, isn't he? Uh, yeah. Curly forces himself to focus up. He stops looking at Az and listens to the bright run of chatter on the other line. Yeah, no, I think Crumb's all right. I'm not going to tell you that. It'll spoil the ending. Cheek. Do you want to talk to your uncle? Okay, I'll tell him. You too. He hangs up, hands the phone back. Penny wants you to know that she loves you, and you would be in Ravenclaw. Oh, bless her. She's wrong, of course. She is. Az hasn't read the books, which is another bloody thing he should have told Crowley before they shacked up. I thought those were the smart ones. I... Curly pinches the bridge of his nose before stepping forward and forward and forward again to pin Az up against their wardrobe. I don't have the time to get into this right now. We've got places to be. Oh, of course, Az says, a look of amused exasperation on his face. Can't risk being late for our holiday. Curly is unbuttoning Avery's cardigan by this point, one tortoiseshell button at a time, while Az slowly blushes pink. Curly knows exactly how far that blush reaches down Az's chest. He's familiar with the edges of it by now, familiar with the things he can do to make Az glow a little brighter. I'll just have to explain it on the drive, he says to Avery's throat, searching for the flutter of his pulse. If you think two hours will, will be enough, Az gasps at the end of it, like punctuation. I, Anthony... It'll have to be. Curly drops to his knees. There's a lot of ground to cover. He yanks Avery's shirt out of his waistband, pressing his mouth to the hair above his navel. As lets out a shuddering breath. Darling, darling. Trust me, Angel. He gets to work on As's belt. I can do a lot in two hours. Warlock, Season 5, Episode 1 you're alive. 
Az is kneeling over him, hands clenched into both of Crowley's shoulders. Curly has fake blood in his mouth, on his chest, soaked through his clothes. He's looking rough, even without the fake arrows in him. I saved you, Az says in a rush. I did it. You're alive. What? How? The boy. Curly leans up on his elbows. He's supposed to be dizzy from blood loss and weak with relief. But to be fair, he usually feels that way when he's around Avery. When he searches Az's eyes, he tries to keep the love out of the way, or at least banked. Curly thinks he's mostly got it handled. He's done it for four seasons at this point. The boy, Az says again, he's the plague. Curly stares at him, wants to lick his way inside his mouth, touch each of Avery's teeth with his tongue and die gasping. That's why they're so frightened. Az lifts his hands as if Crowley can read the truth of it in his palms. I did it. I did what he can do. I... It spreads, Az says, pushing Crowley's sweat-damp hair from his forehead, placing his other hand against Crowley's cheek. Their characters are both extremely touchy this season, and Crowley doesn't mind at all. When you're around him for long enough, it's spreading. What is... Magic. As leans forward, pressing their foreheads together, Curly makes a helpless little gasp at the contact. I thought you were gone. I thought I'd lost you. You never could, Curly says around the syrupy blood in his teeth. You never will. You can't promise that. Can't I? I thought you were magical now. Aren't you going to keep me safe? Avery huffs out a weak, heartbroken breath and Crowley is close enough to taste it, close enough to kiss. I will. If I can, I will. Well, then. Crowley tucks a curl of pale hair behind Az's ear, tries not to go cross-eyed, staring at his mouth. Nothing to worry about. Cut, Michael calls, and then makes a wounded sound. Ugh, everyone is going to die. We are going to murder half the viewing public. I hope you two will be pleased with yourselves. As offers Curly his hand, helps him off the ground. Last season, they would have immediately let go of each other, but they don't have to do that anymore. It feels unbelievable. It feels mad and feverish. Curly can let his fingers curl against As's palm, can watch him open as a flame, not caring who notices. As must feel the difference, too, because he shakes his head fondly, eyes never leaving Curly's. The way you, Pink Tongue flicks out and wets his lips, look at me. Yeah, Crowley looks at him, looks at him because he can. How's that? As if you don't know, Avery snorts. Enlighten me. As laughs, tugs Crowley a bit closer. Moving on, the first AD calls out. Up next, interior in scene 34. There's movement and noise, a heartbeat pumping blood through the productions. As tightens his grip on Crowley's hand before letting it go. Looks like we'll have to wait on the Enlightenment, As says with feigned nonchalance. Perhaps over dinner tonight. All right, Crowley says, and keeps looking at Avery. Doesn't ever want to stop. He soaks the other man up like he's sunlight, until Crowley is so bright with love that he shines. 
The drive down to Ditchling is better than last year, because Az is by his side, flinching a bit when Crowley takes a turn too fast and elbowing him when the speed is higher than strictly legal, but also just there, smelling like his cologne, fussing over a script about Tchaikovsky that Bees has been pressing Az to read. You're going to want this part, they said, and with the last season of Warlock coming up, he just might. It's not bad, rather romantic, as wets his finger before turning the page. That's bloody unfair. The man has to know the effect he has. Eyes on the road, darling, as says waspishly, not even glancing up from the script. Crowley scowls, but looks back at the road anyway. Do you think I could play Tchaikovsky, or is this the road to typecasting? Yep, this is how it starts. Soon they'll be asking you to play all the Russian composers. You're so amusing, as huffs in supremely attractive irritation. Eyes on the road, Crowley. Crowley loves him. It's still a bit of a shock to be able to think those words without the rush of guilt and nausea and self-pity. Crowley needs the occasional reminder from himself, from Az, and from Pepper that he's allowed to feel this. That it's good to feel this. That his longing won't destroy him and won't destroy Az either. It's not a shovel for burying Crowley alive. It's a spade for planting things. Patting down the earth gently over fine tangled roots. Waiting for something to blossom. I love you, Crowley thinks. He isn't used to this whole getting what he wants thing. In what universe does he end up with Avery Fell? In what universe does Avery choose him? There must be some mistake. Crowley clearly doesn't deserve this sort of ending. As drops his hand onto Crowley's knee. What is this song? I rather like it. The song is Pale Blue Eyes by the Velvet Underground. Crowley lets his hand rest briefly on top of Az's and stops thinking about what he deserves, thinks about what he has instead. Do you want to put your hand on his shoulder? Chris, the photographer from Variety, stares through her camera at them. Then she starts laughing. Avery, relax a bit. Looks like the two of you are partners in a law firm. Az laughs as well, but it's fake, painfully anxious. Curly is sitting in some sort of velvet throne-type chair. He might actually have to buy one of these for the flat. And Az is meant to be leaning against him, or sitting on the arm of it, or some other ridiculous pose the photographer keeps wanting them to try. It's their first, first photo shoot as a couple. Let's put an arm around him. Like, Crowley can't remember the last time he saw the other man so nervous. Az leans forward to do as he's asked, but his entire body is stiff. I'm like a lead pipe pressing against Crowley's back. The photographer makes a soft noise in her throat that sounds like polite dissatisfaction, and Avery flinches. Could we break for a cigarette? Crowley asks suddenly, even though he's been smoking a lot less lately. And he doesn't want to do this shot reeking like smoke. And he doesn't want a cigarette at all, actually. What he wants is for Az to take a break and to not have to ask for it. Yeah, absolutely. Chris nods at the lighting guy, the makeup people waiting just outside the shot. An assistant comes forward asking if she can get them anything. But Az graciously declines, giving Curly a tired smile before heading off to his dressing room. Is he okay? Chris asks quietly. And Crowley nods, watching Az's retreating back. You can smoke just outside that exit door down the hall? 
Actually, do you have a kitchen around here? Five minutes later, he's standing outside Az's dressing room with a mug of sweet tea in his hand. When Az opens the door and sees what Crowley's brought for him, he frowns. I didn't ask for... It's nice to have someone make it for you, right? Sometimes, Crowley says softly, too much love in his throat and in his hands. It's hard to breathe around it, especially when Avery is looking at him. Avery is looking at him now. The expression on his face is that deadly combination of surprise and gratitude that makes Crowley get all twitchy around the eyes, makes him want to do increasingly stupid, reckless things with his heart. I'm ruining this. Az takes the cup of tea and gently ushers Crowley into the dressing room. I can't. I shouldn't have agreed to it. Hey, it's not as bad as that. It is. I can feel myself overthinking everything, freezing up, and I can hear all those horrible, horrible things that people have said about us, and they'll see this cover and they'll say those things again, and I don't think as Curly takes the tea away from him before he can spill it, puts it down on the side table. He leans against the lit-up mirror, folding his arms. We can walk if you want. Bees will probably murder us both, but it's a matter of time before they try to do that anyway. You want to shut it down? Say the word. I'm with you. Ass sits down in the chair right in front of him, chin trembling. Crowley has absolutely no choice but to lean forward and bite that chin. It makes Az gasp out a laugh, so Crowley kisses the laugh from his mouth as well, kisses his throat, sucks on the lobe of his ear. Anthony! Shit, sorry. Crowley pulls back. Got carried away. Don't want to get you all must. Must? Az raises an eyebrow. I've never been must in my life. Crowley growls low in his throat. Don't bloody tempt me. No, that's your job, isn't it? Gentlemen, there's a rap on the door and Chris sticks in her head. Sorry, are you about... She stops, looks at the pair of them, as sat in the chair and Crowley leaning toward him, almost falling over with longing. That'll work, Chris says. Yep, just stay right here, okay? I'm going to grab lighting. They finish the shoot in Az's dressing room. Chris pulls a couple of lights from the studio, but the finished photograph is warm, color of honey. Az is looking at the camera, a shy sideways glance, and Crowley is looking down at him. It's intimate, is the word. A behind-closed-doors, liminal, lamp-lit sort of photograph. It's the highest-grossing cover in Variety's history. If I could make the world as pure and strange as what I see, I'd put you in a mirror I put in front of me. As gets quieter the closer they get to the cottage. Maybe he's thinking about the first time they were here nearly two years ago. Maybe he's thinking about his dad in the hospital and everything that happened after. There's a barbed wire knot in Crowley's throat when he thinks about it. But that's done. That's finished. They're here now and it's a good place to be. When they pull up in the driveway, the cottage is just as Crowley remembers it. It's almost dusk, the light fading into lilac and copper behind the tree line, ducks circling lazily on the lake. Crowley gets out and starts grabbing their bags, but Az doesn't move, just sits there. You okay? Crowley asks, because clearly Az is not okay. Yes, fine. Sorry, just lost in thought. Hmm. 
don't fucking panic. Just, it's been a long day. It's been a long couple of years. Don't panic. You go on inside then. Make us a cup of tea and I'll unpack the car. What do you think? Your, as looks at him and looks away, extremely kind. Don't shut it. As is still taking his time, so Crowley hoists her suitcases onto the deck and waits for As to follow him. Then he realizes there's no sign of a key. Oh, bugger this. I don't see the lockbox. Usually it's snapped to one of the railings on the deck, but there's nothing there now. He follows the railing all the way around with no luck. Didn't they say it'd be in the lockbox again? Would they have put it somewhere else? Curly even checks under the doormat, as if the owners of the cottage would just have left it there for anyone to find. As follows him onto the porch, tugging at the cuffs of his coat. Do you have their number? I'm not driving back to London. Crowley will, though. Of course he will. Driving's never a hardship, and he's not about to give up a weekend in the South Downs with the love of his fucking life because of a two-hour drive. Though he'll expect the rates to drop substantially. Anthony. What, do you see it? Uh, no. But I have, uh, this. As is reaching into his coat pocket, and pulling out a ring box. A ring box. Curly puts his hand onto the railing, leans on something so he doesn't fall over, calls it a character choice. What? What? Stop it. Stop saying what, you prick. Um, what? This might be too much. You can tell me if it is. You certainly don't have to. As Avery. This can't be happening. This is not happening. In his softest, stupidest fantasies, Crowley hadn't fathomed this possibility. He didn't think about any of that. Rings and paperwork and floral arch nonsense. A registrar signed certificate or whatever, doesn't matter, wouldn't change anything. He can be madly and wildly in love with Avery Fell regardless. Neither of them needs to act so straight about it. But if Az asks... That would change things. If Az was going to ask, if he wanted. Please. As presses the box into Crowley's hand. Crowley, who can't control his breathing, who is seeing all the stars and recorded constellations in the corner of his eyes, opens it. There isn't a ring inside. Instead, there's a key. I thought... I approached the owners. was a bit persuasive. Perhaps they just grew tired of all the money being thrown at them. Curly is still staring at the open ring box. You bought this cottage for, for us. When Crowley can't say anything, as continues in a rush. I'm not suggesting we move out of the city. Not yet or not ever. It's up to you. I know it's out of the way. And if it was a terrible idea, then you only need to tell me. You bought a cottage for us. Curly is an animal being taught to speak through scraps of meat and electric shocks. This cottage. I did. Good Christ, that's... Come here. He grabs Az, kisses him, kisses him, tries to make him his heartbeat slow down. He laughs against Az's neck, finally letting the panic and adrenaline hiss out of him like a deflating balloon. 
You absolute wonder. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, for a second I thought it was a ring. He isn't disappointed. Not one for marriage and rings and that. He never really thought he'd get married. Doesn't see the point. He doesn't know what it would change to have someone like Avery getting down on one knee, saying words like forever. Sorry, as pulls back a fraction. The ring is, um, in the other box. Warlock, Season 6, Episode 10. At the edges of the scene, Crowley can see some of the crew members furtively wiping away tears. He doesn't let it distract him, focuses on the face of the men in front of him. He's cold. He's cold, and the woods are filled with pale orange light, and the ground is brittle and bitten with frost. What are you going to do now, Az asks, wrapped in his cloak and thick scarf. Dunno. Could go north, I guess. South, west, bloody southwest. Could go anywhere. Doesn't matter anymore, does it? Az reaches out, touches Crowley's hands with his freezing fingers. They watch each other, light carving over the planes of their faces. Here they are at the end of it all, together in a soft-lit clearing, with no wolves on their heels. Somehow they've made it. I, Curly's voice hitches, I can't ask you to come with me, but I want to ask. I do, I want to. You have to know. Of course I'm coming with you, As shakes his head. You're clearly incapable of caring for yourself. Curly rolls his eyes, but is clearly just feigning irritation. It is clearly absolutely uselessly besotted. Also, I, I love you, as continues unsteadily, and I know that you love me. Curly chokes on a soft little sound of protest, but it ends there. He doesn't have the strength to do much more than choke, doesn't have the strength to deny it. And I'm coming with you wherever you go, if you'll let me. Curly chokes again, but it's more of a sob than anything else. He clutches at the fabric of Az's cloak, pulls him close, holds him like he might dissolve and take all of his lovely words with him. You love me, Curly stutters, a man seeing sunlight for the first time. I do, Curly interrupts by kissing him. They've kissed before in the series, while terrified, while drunk while thinking it would be their last chance to touch ever again. Season five was full of kissing. God bless Uriel and all her soft gay secret plans. That was Curly's favorite season. But they've never kissed like this. Like it's a beginning. Like dawn is breaking over a new world and they're both here to see it. You're coming with me. Curly whispers it up against Az's mouth like a wedding vow. And Az nods. And Warlock ends. Or rather, Michael calls cut, and the crew starts clapping, and Avery laughs and flushes pink, and Crowley barely hears a word of it. He holds on to the man he loves, and he doesn't let go. Crowley drops his hand from Avery's waist, puts one back on the railing, refuses to fall over, no matter how the ground is spinning. As reaches into his pocket and pulls out another box. You're, you're joking. Curly has to voice the obvious, has to make sure that he's in on it. Then they can both laugh, then it will stop hurting. This is a joke, right? You're, I'm not. 
Curly doesn't answer, can only tremble and stare. His fingers are still rattling around the key in his hand. Darling, let me try this. Avery's eyes are as blue as the Atlantic Ocean, and he's shaking just as much as Crowley is. You, um, you made me realize how much I was capable of loving someone. Before we met, I had no idea it was so much, that I could hold so much. No idea whatsoever. Crowley is clutching the railing of the deck so tightly he can hear wood creaking. You have been so patient and so impossibly gentle with me, as continues, and I cannot tell you what it has meant, what it still means, and you have to know. If Crowley moves suddenly, he'll fall down, or maybe he'll jolt awake in bed and realize that this is all just some ridiculous fantasy. He holds himself very still. He waits for the punchline. This doesn't have to change anything between us, not really. You can say no, or you can think about it, and you can think about it as long as you like. Or you can laugh at me and call this a romantic cliché, and we can forget about the whole thing and just carry on as we are, because I love the way we are. I love you. Curly realizes that he isn't breathing. He has to breathe, right? That's one of the important ones, like having a heartbeat and drinking water and that. Breathing's up there. He breathes. And then Az drops to one knee, and Crowley grows up breathing forever. But if you wanted, fuck, there are tears in Avery's eyes. If you want, I'd like to call you my husband. I'd like to say, let me ask my husband, or I brought my husband with me, or my husband won a BAFTA. Crowley laughs at that, need for oxygen be damned. My husband the gorgeous, brilliant man who married me, who said yes, the man I am struck dumb with love for and want to be with every day for the rest of my life. As opens the ring box, hands shaking so much he almost drops it. Blast. Sorry, he mutters under his breath. And yep, that's a ring all right. A narrow silver band, and Crowley's too afraid to touch it. Afraid that if he does, it will slip from his hands and fall through the boards of the deck, or it won't fit his finger, and as will immediately change his mind. Are, are you sure? Crowley stammers. Be sure, be sure. And then he can't stop. Are, are you sure? Are you, are you sure? Anthony James Crowley, as says, and Crowley has never loved the sound of his name the way he loves it in this man's mouth. Will you marry me? Crowley starts coughing then, coughing, almost choking, covering his mouth with the hand not currently holding him up. Az immediately gets to his feet, reaches out to make sure Crowley doesn't tilt sideways and fall. Are you all right? Yeah, yeah, Crowley says roughly. It's just, just a hell of a speech, Angel. He can't blink away the shine in his eyes, and he wipes his face with his sleeve. Do you want to think about it? You don't have to answer. No, Crowley says quickly. I mean, I mean, yes, yes, that, what you asked. He feels as his hands tighten around him, sees the tears brimming in his eyes. You, I will, Crowley says, looking at the last man he'll ever love. Yes, I will. Avery does not drop the ring as he slides it onto Crowley's finger, 
It fits like it belongs there. And when Az wraps his arm around him, Crowley fits there too. Their broken edges match, and somehow the light still shines through. Red Carpet Transcript, Golden Globes, February 12th, 2025. Hollywood Life. Avery. Avery, do you have a second for Hollywood Life? A fell. Oh, hello. Yes, of course. Hollywood Life. You must be excited about tonight's ceremony. Warlock is up for Outstanding Drama Series, and you're up for Best Actor. A fell. Yes, I'm rather speechless about it. Hollywood Life. What do you think of your chances? A fell. I hate to speculate. Really would be a tremendous honor, but at the end of the day, I feel like the show has already given me so much. I can't ask for more than that. I'm too lucky as it is. Hollywood Life. So the final season's wrapped and is going to start airing in April. How are you feeling about the end of the era? A fell. It's bittersweet, certainly, but I think Michael had a very particular idea where the story was going to go, and I'd rather tell that sort of story than something that just continues on and on until you get sick of us. Hollywood Life. Any spoilers or hints that you can give us about this season? A fell. Regrettably not. More than my life is worth. Hollywood Life. I'm sure everyone will be waiting to see the progression of your character's relationship with ah, the man in question. Hello, Anthony. A. Crowley. Hiya, Angel. A. Fell. Hello, dear. They kiss. There are applause from off camera. Hollywood life. Look at you. Almost didn't recognize you without your glasses. A. Fell. You look lovely. A. Crowley. Oh, shut up. Hollywood life. Has anyone ever said you sound like an old married couple? (laughs) Oh, wait. A. Crowley. Well, it's not the thing a man wants to hear from his husband, is it? Lovely. A. Fell. Apologies, darling. What would you prefer? A. Crowley. Something with a bit more teeth to it. You know, badass. A. Fell. Laughing. Badass? A. Crowley. Something cool. Something James Dean would want to hear. A. Fell. So we're James Dean now, are we? A. Crowley. Well, we aren't bloody Julie Andrews. A. Fell. Let's start over. You look extremely badass. An absolute renegade. Sex on legs. Is that better? A. Crowley. Somehow it's worse. Hollywood life. Laughing. So, Anthony, we were just talking about the last season of Warlock. You've got an Emmy, a television award, and a BAFTA under your belt. What has this been like for you? A. Crowley. A real hardship. Total nightmare. A. Fell. Yes, all those awards must be such a burden. A. Crowley. I suppose you wouldn't know. A. Fell. Well, I like that. A. Crowley. Until you've been laden down with them, you can't possibly understand the weight. Hollywood life. Tonight might be the night, though. Anthony, what do you think about your husband's chances? A. Crowley. If anyone worth half a damn was picking winners, he's a sure thing. A. Fell. Oh, hush. Hollywood life. One last question before you run off. I know that when the show first aired, there was a lot of discussion about how to label it. What the heart of it was, I guess. 
Now that you've wrapped the final season, how would you answer that? A fell. We're the last word, are we? Hollywood life, the leading experts. A fell. I think. A pause. A fell. I think it was a love story at the end of it all. That's what I think. A pause. A Crowley. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Angel. It was a love story. Hollywood life. Good luck tonight, gentlemen. A fell. Thank you, my dear. End transcript. We'll end it here then, shall we? A red carpet, two hands that fit together, as if they were always waiting to be held by the other. As if they'd spent years just reaching out, counting down the hours until they could finally touch. Two people side by side in the light and open air. When the camera flashes hit them, they glow like a gold coin, lost and then found again like a calm sky over a wide amber sea, like a wedding band, cared for and well-worn. When the light catches them both, they shine. And so do you. So do we. The End